Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. Neurologists are stunned. They've confirmed that ear. Good evening. This is Cheryl. Good afternoon. This is Cheryl. I hope you can hear me okay. Yes, Cheryl, but it's just that they put a commercial on right at the end of the song. Please forgive us. We'll mute you oh, out. Okay. Thank you. Thank Greetings. You. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Never had that experience before. Okay, so greetings, everyone. It is Saturday, June 10th, and I am so glad to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History, History, and True History, History of Nasara. Infinite blessings to everyone. Uh, we have um, lots of um, prayers, and they're go- going to come today from the I Am Decrees. So let us begin by going into our heart center. So going into the heart center, the sacred portal to all that is, we call forth for each of us individually the full and complete mergence with our soul, our higher self, our monad, our muddy I am presence. In full recognition and integration into our earthly being of all aspects of our divinity, our multidimensional aspects, including our angelic presence, our archangelic presence, our galactic presence, our universal presence, our God and goddess presence. Take a nice deep breath. See yourself in your mighty pillar of light that anchors directly from source directly into the heart of Mother Earth, allowing us to be the bridge between heaven and earth as we recommit ourselves to being that bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. Again, as you bring your attention to that pillar, see it filled with the mighty violet flame. As we call for the highest clearing, cleansing, and purging that we can receive at this time individually and collectively for Gaia and for all upon her. And we invite in everyone to work with us in unity consciousness to anchor heaven on earth. And we do that through the following prayer. Please say with me, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Take a nice deep breath. And so we see everyone joining us in their pillar of light. As St. Germain is overlighting us and activating that mile of fire of transmutation, transformation in each and every pillar of light 
for everyone across the planet. And he is supporting us and connecting heart to heart with everyone. High heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart, all connected to the cosmic heart of all that is. And we feel the expansion, we feel the oneness, the unity consciousness that prevails. And so we invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families, our soul pods, and we welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our Ascension Council and Mission Council. We welcome the assistance today and every day of all of the kingdoms. <coughs> the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the bird kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. And we welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries and divine father emissaries all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light, all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light as well, especially those that we work so closely with from Arcturus and Pleiades and Sirius and Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, and from Lyra. And we welcome all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother Father God to overlight us and magnify our work 999 billion times, 999 billion times, in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field, multidimensionally, on a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We call on everyone in our circle of support from the very first name that created it, to every man, woman, and child, every family member and loved one, every pet, every animal, 
every group, every organization, every institution, every nation, every military, every uh, governmental leader, and the legislative aspect of each government and all laws being created, whether it's on a national, state, or local level. And we call in the goddess of liberty and the goddess of justice to ensure only the highest and best takes place in every law that is created. And be it through our Congress here in the U.S., our House of Representatives, our Senate, and every state legislature, every provincial legislature, every city council, every legislative body throughout the planet. And we ask the same for the executive aspect of each government, every president and prime minister, every head of state, everyone who is a decision maker, all departments, the Department of uh, Justice, the State, State Department, all of the cabinet posts for each and every nation, and then again, asking all the goddess of liberty and the goddess of justice to overlight each government and the executive aspect of each government to make only the highest and best decisions for all concerned. And the same with the judicial aspect of each government, be it the Supreme Court, be it federal, state, or local courts, um, every jury and grand jury, every court case, every decision, um, every aspect of the legal system on national, state, and local levels for this nation and all nations, that only the highest and best decisions take place. All in divine order, we ask that the goddess of liberty and the goddess of justice overlight all judicial activities. And we call forth everything in our circle of support, every circumstance of life, whether it's the wildfires and every aspect of climate change and storms, whether it be tornadoes or typhoons or hurricanes or drought or any aspect of weather, floods, we ask that everything come into balance that Earth may manifest her divine perfection. And every other aspect of life and every aspect of lack, we see in its wholeness, in its perfection. As we continue the energy of the Festival of Humanity from last week and call forth for goodwill, peace, harmony, love, respect, reverence for all life, amongst all people on the planet. And we call in the energy of all the things that people are focused on at this time to come into our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of the planet and the recognition of the divinity of all. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras, the meridians, and layers of our field multidimensionally. Through every ley line and song line through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, 
structure of every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up this spiral of evolution, along with Gaia, and she takes a rightful place as Freedom Star. So as our I am present, and with the entire company of heaven, we make the following decrees. Mighty I am present, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great cosmic beings, great cosmic light, St. Germain, Beloved Christ, Lady Nada, and the Great Divine Director, send your legions of the angels of blue lightning to sweep everywhere into our beloved land, into the United States, and in every nation as well. Seize, bind, and blast all, and it's cause and effect that causes discord, that causes destruction and limitation to our people. Replace all such activities by the Ascended Master's light substance, filling all instantly with divine justice, invincible protection, and as mighty Ascended Master miracles of joy and limitless perfection, eternally sustained and ever-expanding. Charge forth through all who sincerely seek the light, thy Ascended Master consciousness, Never again permit them to be deceived by any person, place, condition, or thing. Never permit them to accept or be influenced by anything less than the perfection of the I Am and the Ascended Masters. Insulate each one in the magic electronic tube of invincible protection. Shut out all mistakes of the past. And do thou, almighty I Am presence of each one, stand guard forever. Seize and hold the intention of the entire consciousness of every student of the light and all of humankind and all forces within nature upon thy eternal perfection. Cut free from the magnetic pull. Cut all free from the magnetic pull of earth, the things of earth and all human creation and miscreation. Make and keep us infinitely sensitive to thee and thy mighty I am presence perfection, and absolutely non-recordant to human creation. Blaze forth through us such a powerful healing radiance, such an almighty purifying presence that everywhere we move and everywhere we go, each place becomes an alabaster city of light and truth, holy cities on earth. Focus them into gigantic pillars of the combined love, light, substance, wisdom, and power of the mighty I Am Presence and the Ascended Masters. Let the unfed flame come forth as the center of each city to hold the eternal perfection of the Ascended Masters there forever. Provide those activities as we call for the full and limitless action and perfection of the divine presence and manifest the victory of light in everything. We thank thee thou dost always answer our every call instantly and it is eternally sustained. 
We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. Mighty I Am Presence, mighty host of Ascended Masters, great legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings and great cosmic light, come forth in your mightiest cosmic action of the unfed flame. Annihilate forever the mass entity of lying and deceit and its cause and effect in all humankind, the earth and its atmosphere. Annihilate all such qualities in every human being forever and replace them by the ascended master's truth, honesty, honor, integrity, and light substance. Instantly and infinitely manifest eternally sustained and ever-expanding. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And so it is. Mighty infinite I am presence. Thou mighty guardian presence for America. Come forth in thy cosmic action of the unfit flame of divine love and eternal quenchless light. Blaze forth everywhere in and through our beloved America, all three. Thy light as of a thousand suns, charged with ascended master consciousness and the fulfillment of the divine plan for their freedom and perfection. We say to the consciousness, of everyone in the Americas. Awake, awake, awake to the truth of this mighty I am present and the full perfection meant for the Americas. Great ones, release throughout them that that activity of thy light which takes possession everywhere of the Americas, the governments and the people. Control their resources, direct their activities, Fill them with thy lavish abundance of all good things and release that ascended master consciousness which compels divine justice to come forth for everyone within their borders. Surround them with thy invincible protection. Blaze forth thy mighty activity of the light and love of the ascended masters and the angelic host that once and forever brings all into divine order through divine love. Charge forth thy full perfection everywhere forever. In the name of the mighty I am present, we decree that the Americas shall be manifest as nations of ascended masters to lead the rest of the earth into their eternal glory in the victory of the ascension. America, we love you. America, we love you. America, we love you. And our love and call to the mighty I am presence is great enough to bring forth your perfection now and keep it forever sustained. We charge you, our beloved America, with the ascended master's eternal victory of the light of God that never fails. And the mighty mastery of the I am presence, expanding its perfection everywhere within your borders. So long as the stars remain and the heavens send down dew, so long shall our beloved, beloved America carry the grail of light high 
and feed the rest of the earth with the ascended masters outpouring of freedom and perfection of the mighty I am presence. America, we enfold you in our mantle of light and love. Within it is all power. We hold you sealed within our hearts, and your mighty victory shall manifest every hour to the glory of the I am and the ascended ones forever. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. As we call forth this prayer for the children, for all the children that are ending their school year, see great blessings coming to them that they may know who they are as their mighty I am, know their divine presence, recognize their divinity, and recognize their divine purpose and mission and truly begin fulfilling it here this summer. O thou mighty infinite I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, mighty angelic host, great cosmic beings and great cosmic light. We make the call unto thee as never before to release thy blue lightning of divine love and thy sword of blue flame of divine love. Cut every child and young person on this planet forever free from every forest condition and thing that would be unjust or bind them into any disruptive activities in any way. In the name of the mighty I am presence, we claim every child and young person on the face of the earth into the service of the light of the mighty I am presence and ascended host. We do that for we are one. We call forth whatever activity of the great cosmic law is required to seize, bind, and annihilate all that interferes with their full expression of the Ascended Master's perfection. We speak directly now to the electronic body of every young person on earth to blaze forth the Ascended Master's activity of the sword of blue flame of divine love and cut them free from everything that would draw them from the pathway of light. Annihilate all injustice and every discordant thing by which they are now surrounded. Lift them completely into the octave of the light of the ascended masters and blast all teaching from the earth that is not the eternal truth of the mighty I am presence and the great host of ascended masters. Charge forth thy mighty illumination into every brain and body. Charge them with ascended master obedience, self-control, management, marvelous directing intelligence and strength that refuses acceptance to everything but ascended master perfection. Clothe them in thy mighty glory, which keeps them forever invisible, invincible and invulnerable, to everything that does not serve the light. Let these precious ones go forth completely released to render that service to the earth 
which brings forth the golden age and bless them with the fullness of the Ascended Master's divine love, limitless light, strength, perfection, and the victory of their ascension. In the name of the mighty I Am Presence, I have spoken, and so it shall be established unto them. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. And we now decree... Mighty I Am Presence, great host of Ascended Masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic hosts, and great cosmic beings. Come forth now in your mightiest authority and power of the unfed flame, the three times three in the cosmic light. Take possession forever of the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Supreme Court of the United States of America and all of their activities, produce your Ascended Master perfection. Hold your dominion and charge forth your invincible, most dynamic protection, all powerfully in in concerning them, and keep it eternally sustained. Compel within every person, place, condition, and thing within the government of the United States of America to guarantee and give divine justice to every human being on earth forever and hold all within the power of the blue ray and the blue lightning of divine love until they do. Blast all epidemics, plague, vermin, blight, and their cause and effect from America, her people, and nature, and stop all rude destructive activities within our borders forever. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Mighty I Am Presence, great host of Ascended Masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic hosts, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Blast, blast, blast. Forever, all entities and their cause and effect, individual and collectively, of all doubt, fear, grief, hate, jealousy, criticism, anger, irritation, resentment, and discord of every kind within the thought and feeling of all humankind forever. Annihilate all such qualities from the memory of every human being on earth forever. Replace them by the Ascended Master's victory and mastery of light and love, eternally sustained. Take into oblivion forever all that does not serve the light and save the blessed, beloved humanity in spite of itself and its miscreations. By the power of the unfed flame of divine love and the cosmic light, annihilate every rate of vibration from the bodies of all of humanity that manifests as a destructive quality and fill its place with the pure electronic substance of light from the Ascended Master's octave of light and keep it forever sustained. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. O thou mighty infinite I am presence, thou supreme justice of the universe, 
by the power of the unfed flame, the three times three in the cosmic light. Let thy judgment descend unto the physical octave of earth and compel divine justice to be released this instant into every legal issue and activity and into every business activity and be forever sustained. Let divine judgment descend on all destructive forces this very moment and annihilate them, their cause and effect on the earth and humankind forever. Thou who art supreme justice, the supreme owner of all that is, the supreme giver of all that is, the supreme perfection of all that is, and the supreme doer of all that is good. Descend into the brain and body of every human being on earth this moment and all who come here in the future. Take possession of that which is already yours and once again compel everything in humanity and its outer activity to come into divine order through divine love and be eternally sustained. We thank thee thou dost always answer our every call. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters and great cosmic beings. Come forth in your full cosmic power and authority of the unfed flame, the three times three, the cosmic light, and the blue lightning of divine love. <coughs> Blast this instant by the power of the blue ray. All legal procedure from existence within the United States of America and all throughout the world, that is not the eternal divine law of right and justice of the mighty I am present and the ascended masters for every human being on earth forever. Annihilate all that does not guarantee and give divine justice to every human being on earth forever. Blast the cause and effect of all that binds humanity by wrong legal activity and replace it by the ascended masters eternal divine justice to all forever. Replace all legal procedures throughout the world with the ascended masters, eternal divine law of the mighty I am presence that gives divine justice to every human being on earth forever. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our every call instantly forever. And so it is. And in summary, mighty I am presence great host of ascended masters, great cosmic beings, and the lords from the flame of Venus. In thy full authority of thy great cosmic law, project the great cosmic light with irresistible force throughout the government of the United States of America and hold all individuals true to their oath of office and obedient to the divine plan of the great cosmic beings for the perfecting of America the government, and her people. Come forth, take possession of all governmental offices, hold your dominion and divine justice everywhere within our government forever. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our call, every call, and it is eternally sustained and ever-expanding, and so it is. So we give thanks, knowing that even as we call, all has been taken care of in divine order. And we keep blazing the violet flame and the sapphire blue that work hand in hand, especially when it comes to divine uh, government. 
all the beings on the blue ray work on divine government, all the beings on the violet ray work on divine government. And so we just hold the image of the government and the nation that we desire to be, filled with peace and justice and liberty for all, and blazing that violet fire, blazing that cosmic blue flame. We hold everything coming into divine order with ease and grace and peace and joy and harmony. So that's part of our work here is to hold that image this week for one and all. Again, bringing everything into divine order and divine perfection for this nation and thus for all the planet. As everything going on is a part of our ascension process and we hold that light of ascension for one and all. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service here today. And we invite you for more divine service every Sunday and Monday evening for the ascension meditation and activation calls that we've been going on since 2010. And we call you to be a regular part of our family of light doing this work to bring heaven to earth. We are, it's a teleconference call. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings. Then Tar and Rama give us a brief update. We begin our work in earnest at 9.30 Eastern. 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time, where we have wonderful meditations, decrees and evocations, visualizations, energy updates that keep us informed, as well as assisting in raising the frequency of the planet each time that we meet. Each person that joins us adds to the magnification of that work. So we encourage you to join us every Sunday and Monday and be a regular part of the call. The main phone number that we're using is 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. Again, we'd love to have you say hello. Let us know that you were on the Saturday call and decided to join in. Let us know where you're calling from so that we can connect voice-to-voice and heart-to-heart and continue this wonderful divine service. So with that, I'm going to, oh, I have actually, I have other numbers. I have local numbers as well. I have international numbers. There's a way to get onto the internet, and I can send you that link. And uh, there's an app as well. So if you need that extra information, the extra phone numbers and so on, 
or just need some clarification about the call, email me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. So infinite blessings to all of you. We will hope you have a magnificent, magnificent week. And look forward to having you connect with us on Sundays and Mondays. Again, we want to thank Torn Rama for their amazing service all these years. And thank Rainbird for her service as well. Uh, I, I passed this talking stick with love and gratitude, with lots of divine blue flame love, and the transmutation of the violet flame, and all the rays, all the flames, all of the elemental energy, all of the angelic energy, all of the gemstone energy, all of the magical energy of this planet is with us. And with that, I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbow. Thank you, dear. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking sick, and we thank you for your divine service as well. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we're a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that get it done, <laughs> and each week we need 300 some dollars to cover the BBS radio. I believe this month is 326.25. That's what we need right now, and uh, here's how we make a contribution to our account at BBS Radio. Go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com, and there on the homepage you'll see um, the schedule list. Click on that, and you're looking for the schedule for BBS Radio 2 for this program, The True History, History of the Sarah and Galactic Origins. Uh, it's listed on Saturdays at the 3.30 hour, and this is Central Time. And then we have two programs on radio station. One, you'll find them listed on Thursday and Friday at the 8 o'clock hour. And Thursday's the night at the roundtable with the panel. You can click on that and access on that uh, icon there, and that accesses you to the account where you can make that donation. And then on Friday, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama at the 8 o'clock hour on BBS Radio 1. Um so either one of those works, and so thank you for taking that action, and we're grateful for all your contributions to keep us on the air every week. Lots of gratitude. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and um, to make a donation to Tara and Rama, you want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net. And there, as you click on the menu grid at the top of the page or the bottom, depending on which format you're using, um, you'll see a list of everything on the site. So near the bottom of that list is the donate link. Click on that. That takes you to Rama's PayPal account. This week, they have a bill due on Monday. The Vonage bill is $50. The Geico bill is 100 due shortly thereafter. So that's 150 due early in the week, and then at the end of the week, they need 150 to cover their Comcast bill. Um, so there you go. That's $300 that they're requiring this week, and they also require $200 for their living expenses. So thank you for your attention to this. Um, as we make a donation to Rama's PayPal, 
that's great. And as you want to uh, access the friends option, you'll see it designated as a little heart right there where you you select the payment method. And uh, that's where you, when you click on that, you need to put in Rama's email at, at PayPal. And that address is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And that just eliminates the commercial charges. Either way is perfect, and we're grateful for your donations. And as you're donating, please let Rama know uh, what when you when you send something in, how much you set. So that email for connecting with Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999 at Comcast.net. Uh, <clears throat> so there you go. That's what they need this week. And if you need it, the mailing address is Rob D. Berkowitz. Post Office Box 280-280 in the city Santa Cruz, New Mexico. The zip code 87567, and I'll repeat that, Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D-B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280 in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. And they also have a GoFundMe account, and it's for Rama and Tires to get a car. Uh, and you'll see, you'll find notation of that through the updates, and also on the website um, where you can link to it directly, or you can just search it there. It, it's Rama and Tire to get a car. So we were we're looking for donations for them to get a car. And they're looking for a used one. If you know of one, let them know. And uh, so there you go. We're we're hoping that they get something, uh, and they still need to keep the other car running while they're using it. So that all that's in the the GoFundMe account now, and that's just now got open. So let's take advantage of that option as well. So thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil. And I'm passing this talking stick. It, it, you heard it best from, from Cheryl. It's got all the elemental energy and angelic energy and the gemstones and the rays and the, and the violet red and the blue rays and all the healing energy of the gemstones. So greetings, Tara and Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Welcome. Greetings. Thank you so much, Rainbird and Cheryl. Thank you. Uh, come and join us, everybody. It's really worth your while. You can go to Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I dot com. Right? Um, right, Rama? No. no they, they, I think they can get the, num- the number from your from your website. Yes. But no, I don't have a CherylCroce.com. But you can contact me if you need to at the email address CherylCroce at AOL.com. 
Oh, at AOL. That email. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Cheryl. Okay. All right. Much love okay. and gratitude. Thank, thank okay. You, We're you, moving higher here. All right, everybody. It's very worth our while, all of us, to uh, come together for world group service for the highest good of all concern to happen here. And Cheryl's been working with this energy for many, many decades. She has learned many things. And it's like the back of her hand. She she knows it in the sense of love is the answer. And the truth about who we are comes from sharing knowledge of the truths and doing it in a group uh, for the sake of the whole. This is the age of that energy. This is an age we're coming into of world group service. In other words, the emphasis on world and group service for the sake of the whole. All right, so... Um, Rama, tell us your story. I didn't really talk to anyone today. I Except a horse. I talked to the horse and five deer and six crows and the owners of the horse who are teachers of transcendental meditation and they travel around the planet teaching TM, just like Maharishi taught us to do. <laughs> Send and you got love. to meet you meet you got to meet the man. Did you get to meet both of them? Yes, the couple. You got to meet both of them. Yes. Isn't that the second time? No. 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 Okay. Well, they were really happy to see you and meet you, didn't they? Yes. <laughs> and what's that horse's name? Horace. Horace. And that leads to something that's going to be very interesting today. Um, it is, um, it's a, it's a 34-minute 30, and 50-second piece. And we're going to play it when we come back from looking at the stars and such. Um which will be around 9 o'clock Mountain Time, 11 o'clock Eastern Time. But it's called uh, The Horus Solar Transmission, Embracing Full Solar 5D Abundance Consciousness. Uh, That's a lot. And it's by Steve Nobel. He's really good. Uh, at what he does too. So we're going to do that. Uh, in the meantime, Rama, um, you have uh, um, a. Did you? This is uh, Aurora Ray. Oh, you want to play that? Yeah. Okay. I, what does it say? The Galactic Federation's visible presence on Earth, from sci-fi to reality. This is the <laughs> the real story. Leave the boxes alone. 
<laughs> yeah, it sucked nonsense. The ultimate truth. Greetings, friends. I'm delighted to share our wonderful Galactic Federation's most recent communication. Dear ones, we are your family of light from the Galactic Federation. We are coming to you with a message of truth. The truth will set you free. As you know, our presence here has been no secret whatsoever. We have been here all along. We are pleased to report that the light forces have reached the point of critical mass and are ready to perform the final stages of the operation. We are here to assist you during this transition phase so that everything goes as smoothly as possible. We have come for the purpose of helping humanity raise its consciousness, heal its illnesses, end its wars, and clean up its planet. The Prime Creator has given us permission to make ourselves visible and gradually interact with the surface population. Our ships can now appear as you do on Earth, although they do not require roads or railways as we use anti-gravity propulsion systems. Our crafts are built according to the laws of science that apply throughout the universe and take into account the energy requirements for space travel. Each of our civilizations has developed advanced technologies that enable us to travel between stars, explore other star systems, and communicate with each other over vast interstellar distances. We also have learned how to tap into the unlimited free energy available throughout the universe by combining electromagnetic and gravitic forces into a single unified field. This allows us to produce unlimited quantities of power whenever and wherever we need it. In addition, we have learned how to heal all diseases, regenerate damaged tissue and organs without any side effects or negative repercussions for the individual. We have even learned how to transfer consciousness from one body into another so that we never have to die again. We are here now because we care about you and your planet. The Galactic Federation has been observing your world for millennia, and we have witnessed both the good and bad that affect your lives on a daily basis. This includes both natural and man-made disasters such as hurricanes, earthquakes, floods, fires, famines, wars, disease epidemics, and terrorist attacks. But it also includes amazing scientific breakthroughs such as space travel, cures for deadly diseases, and technologies that allow you to communicate instantly with everyone. Also, we know that you are in a very difficult stage of your development right now because there is a lot of uncertainty about the future direction that humanity will take as a collective species. You are facing many challenges in your lives, from global warming and climate change to wars, poverty, hunger, disease, and ecological disasters. It will also require a complete overhaul of your civilization because the current system of financial control that is enslaving you is based on greed and selfishness. The only way to reach a higher level of consciousness is for you to learn how to share with others instead of trying to accumulate all the wealth for yourself. This may sound like an impossible task, but it's really not as hard as it sounds. All you have to do is find a way to share the resources that are available on your planet 
with everyone else instead of letting a small number of individuals monopolize them for their own personal gain. Imagine what would happen if every person had access to an inexhaustible supply of pure water, clean air, healthy food, and unlimited energy. You would no longer need money because you wouldn't need anything at all. You would be able to live a life of abundance and freedom. This is the future of humanity, the world we were destined to create. There is a consciousness that is permeating the entire cosmos. It is a consciousness of oneness. Everything in all that is, is connected to everything else. There is no separation. There has never been separation, and there will never be a separation. You do not live in a static universe, but rather one that is constantly changing and evolving. You are evolving as well, though you may not see it yet. Most importantly, you are being given an opportunity to align yourselves with your Creator by accepting unconditional love into your hearts and sharing it with all life. Your future depends on how you choose to respond. Our purpose is to bring truth and enlightenment to the people of the earth and to help them raise their conscious awareness through love so that they may realize the true nature of their reality and their place in the universe. Thank you. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. done it again she's setting the tone for this day all right so the next thing we're going to do is we're going to have a little listen from Michaela Sheldon and Ethan Fox what about this one minute oh yeah mama's got a one minute tell us what that is this is Linda Moulton Howe Talking about the uh, the portal in Peru where you can go and put your hands in the little alcove that's kind of set into the mountain and put your forehead on the rock and, you know, call in the energies and use sound frequencies to open the portal and... Lyndon Moulton Howell talks about how this one person with his wife watching, you know, called to Lord Aramumuru and he went through the portal. I've heard of other people doing this. Freddie Silva talks about this portal as well. Here we go. Hundred feet away, she is watching the entire scene. Jerry gets down on his knees, leans forward with his forehead. He puts it in the rock. She sees him disappear, literally. He goes to a white place. And then this male voice comes and starts talking to him. He said that I was on another world, that it was outside of my universe. And he says, well, there are many universes. And you've just passed 
from yours in two hours. The Aymara Indians, for centuries, the Indians have said this was made by gods to be a two-dimensional doorway. Shaman taught him a sound frequency. His wife is 100 feet away. She is watching the entire scene. Jerry gets down on his knees, leans forward with his forehead. That's repeating itself. Yeah. Okay. That's a physical manifestation of galactic presence on Earth, right? Uh huh. Okay. Um. So. I will just read this for today. Um, Okay. It says here, ETs, have we all been contacted at this point? Tag your it. We're the full disclosure ambassadors. Oh, oh, okay, our brother Carlton wrote this, but that's okay, that's... Yeah, just... (laughs) All right, thank you, Rama. Okay, again, this is Carlton's wise words uh, about this. Have we all been contacted at this point? ETs posing for selfies at the White House? Are they nice, nasty, or fake? Did the United States government track down Hitler at his South American hideout after he hoaxed his death? Like Epstein? Benevolent high-frequency ETs are not fortune tellers. What's your ET heritage? As you're more reptilian, have a heart like the Pleiadians. Pleiadians. The cosmic cleanup starts within, and then the ET family reunion is a goal. Extraterrestrial contacts is the topic for Michaela and Ethan right now. And I'll just read this. Um, Join hosts Ethan Fox and Michaela Sheldon for another episode of the Awake and Empowered podcast to explore cutting-edge advancements, channeled transmissions, and practical solutions to peacefully navigate an incredible, highly credible age of awakening. Pioneering voices in the movement to higher consciousness, Ethan and Michaela perfectly balance masculine and feminine energies to share wisdom and insights through higher dimensional access. You will walk away feeling vibrationally uplifted, inspired, and excited to contribute to this highly credible period of vibrational acceleration on planet Earth. In this episode, Michaela and Ethan discuss the topic of extraterrestrial an extra-dimensional contact and disclosure. Michaela shares her personal experiences with contact and her personal journey into channeling 
higher dimensional beings like the Pleiadians and her personal guide, Jacob. Ethan and Michaela talk about how disclosure is happening in the world and how it is dependent upon individual and global consciousness. Further discussions include the topic of how the ancients used portals to enter the earth dimension and in doing so modified their genetics. How your life interests and career choices are influenced by your extraterrestrial lineage. Why different channels who channel the same extraterrestrial race appear to have extraordinary messages. And what is light language? About Ethan Fox, Ethan Fox is a spiritual teacher who assists lightworkers to uncover and live their life missions through his unique ability to remove karmic destiny and raise consciousness. As the founder of the Flower of Life Institute, he oversees the vision and the direction of global initiatives such as the AA Expo. What's that AA Expo? I'm not sure. Hmm. Awaken Aware Expo. Awaken Aware Expo. That's right, Rama. Seed of Life School. And there's a magazine by that name, AAE Magazine, as well as, um, I'm not sure. That's, that's it. All right, let's do this. This is one hour and 18 minutes, everybody. So here we go. Welcome, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Awaken Empowered podcast. I'm Michaela Sheldon. I'm here with Ethan Fox. And the hot topic today is extraterrestrials. So we figured we would dedicate this episode to all things extra dimensional, uh, which is a really interesting topic because we can take it in so many different directions. And I think the top of everybody's mind right now is, is when is disclosure going to happen? which uh, personally I think is already taking place on, on so many different levels. And to begin, I just want to mention, I did not believe in extraterrestrials at all. Really throughout my entire life, I was not involved in this conversation. I didn't even think about extraterrestrials being real uh, until I had my awakening and started to meditate and actually began speaking to them and, and one of the first collectives that came in to speak to me was the Pleiadians. And, and actually, I want to step back and say, I think when we break open to these ideas of extraterrestrials and contact and communication, it tends to start in various levels. So, so for me, my first awakening to spirit was a guy named Jacob, who I felt was really an earthly kind of angelic being, very grounded, you know, on my level. Um, and, and he spoke to me that way and really opened the door to a variety of other teachers, masters, ascended masters, you know, those types of familiar beings. Um, 
But later I found out that Jacob was more interdimensional than I actually thought that he was. And, and truly we all are. So, so if we've led many, many lifetimes throughout the galaxy and even beyond this universe, we have to consider that the beings that show up and as we show up, we're filtering all that energy and all that information through our consciousness. So in a sense, we are all a part of the extraterrestrial communities that we, we so desperately want to speak to and and also hear from, you know, here on planet Earth. But um, when I think about extraterrestrial contact, the first thing I think about is my own experience where something appeared to me, began speaking to me in a very etheric way that I had no knowledge of and, and actually had to go Googling. So when the Pleiadians presented themselves to me, I'd never heard that word. Uh, it was something I wasn't familiar with at all. And the messages were pretty otherworldly, um, taking earthly concepts and things that I had never put into a, a higher consciousness framework and explaining them to me um, in terminology, even that I wasn't familiar with. And, and so many people today are having, you know, these profound awakenings to to extraterrestrials and to spirit. And sometimes we don't even know who it is. And I get many clients today who come to me and say something, somebody is speaking to me, but I can't qualify uh, who they are. I can't get a name. I, I can't understand what collective it is. And, and many of us are even oriented now to gathering energy and information from many different beings and locations at once, which, you know, I definitely do in my channeling. But I think it's interesting to start with multidimensional energy because to me, everything actually exists in the room and the space that we're in. So, so we imagine these extraterrestrials to be off in the galaxy somewhere else on, on Pleiades, uh, on Sirius, on Arcturus and all of these different planets and, and star systems. And and they are physically, of course, but but if we exist in a quantum reality, then we have tangible access in a metaphysical sense to everything in our space, which includes so much that, that we cannot see. So before we can actually expect disclosure in a more physical and even governmental way, which I'm not sure I believe is really going to happen the way people are expecting, um, we have to come to terms with the fact that we are all um, telecommunicating with energy in our own unique and specific way. And we are the ambassadors for that disclosure also uh, in very unique ways. Yeah, I think uh, what you're saying is interesting because uh, because of the whole UFO movement, which I think has been great in many respects because it's brought these ideas into more more of a wider mainstream context. But because the UFO movement has been so based in physical, tangible evidence of, of UFO sightings, I, I think today a lot of us, when we hear about the idea of disclosure, we're expecting UFOs to land on the White House lawn in the U.S. and, and the president's going to shake their hand on the lawn and, and broadcast this internationally. Uh, but in fact, disclosure is happening all the time, even just what you're doing in channeling um, and all the channels out there who are channeling different extraterrestrial consciousnesses, that's disclosure. 
or even the videos that we're doing in the channel revelation show, for example, that's bringing all this ancient knowledge through extra dimensional, extraterrestrial um, influences. That's disclosure. So disclosure is happening everywhere, um, but it's not happening in the way that we think because a lot of people, when they hear disclosure, they're expecting that our governments are going to acknowledge the existence of extraterrestrials. And of course, they're trying to do that, but it may not be with the most positive intentions that they're trying to do that. Um, and I think at this stage, if a higher consciousness, extraterrestrial consciousness was supposed was to interact with our governments, it would probably uh, it would not happen today because our governments are not at a consciousness level to bring that knowledge to us. So if if tomorrow we see uh, UFOs landing on the White House lawn and and the president speaking to them on a broadcast uh, news channel, we should be very concerned because most likely they are not of the most benevolent uh, influence. And uh, so that's something we don't we don't necessarily um, uh, want to see happening right now. But I think all of these other things that are happening on a more higher consciousness level are um, are examples of our disclosure showing up today. But even still, we're seeing inklings of other kinds of information or even the fact that the broader population is now being exposed to the idea of extraterrestrials being uh, a real thing uh, it is is an element of us moving toward that disclosure, even if they're not uh, at the point of having um, interactions or being aware of channeling or even believing in that sort of thing. Just the fact that the, the broader consciousness is starting to accept the idea that we're not alone in the universe is a step in that direction. But uh, so the experiences you're having and a lot of people are having with um, with contact on a more extra dimensional level and some also an extraterrestrial level, I think, are examples of that. Uh, so so I see it as something that's already occurring um, and something that's probably going to continue to accelerate, especially in these decades that are coming up. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I agree. I think if a spaceship lands on the White House lawn and we see ETs get out and shake the hands of our president and government agencies, we should be highly alarmed because, first of all, higher dimensional extraterrestrial beings do not want to have any involvement with our government. And I know that's a very controversial statement to make because there's a lot of channels out there um, that are bringing information in that's quite the opposite. And and it's not that I don't believe there are extraterrestrials involved in various government, you know, uh, endeavors and things. Um, but I think the ones who have our best interests in mind, who have evolved into perhaps the highest dimensions, would never involve themselves in those types of activities. And and just like what you said, I think consciousness is the deciding factor as to when we might have an experience of quote unquote physical <laughs> beings uh, walking on planet Earth. I, personally, in the channelings that I've done, the the guides say we're not ready for that because we are magnets uh, vibrationally and through our level of consciousness to everything that we need to know in order to ascend. And it doesn't necessarily mean that 
we've done something wrong, that this information has been hidden for us. Um, we're prioritizing or there's, there's a system in us that's always prioritizing what we need to interact with next that's best, not only for us as a collective, but for each individual. And so if I step back a little bit, um, it's important to acknowledge, and I talk about the book a lot, but I think I never really explain what the book is because we're getting a lot of emails asking, where do I find the book and what's the book? Um, I channeled a book back in 2015. It's entitled Epitium, the Anthology of Creation. Uh, Epitium is an Arcturian uh, light language. Uh, it's a translation, in other words, of a physical term, meaning the source of all creation. And, and in the book, the guides start with the very beginning of time here on Earth and um, share the story of how multiple intergalactic races um, were called to Gaia to seed a new universal race. And, and this is a very complex story that takes a lot of twists and turns. But, but the point that I'm making here is that we are all um, extraterrestrial. So within our DNA, we are a melting pot of these ET genetics. And a lot of us are waking up to that idea as well, meaning there are certain stronger genetic predispositions that we have to one race or another, which is why we might be drawn at a, a certain point in our life to understand uh, who are the Arcturians? What do they look like? Um, what kind of messages do they share you know, through channels and, and books and things like that? There's a lot of physical synchronicity we'll run into uh, on the on the plane of Earth. That's a demonstration of our level of consciousness and vibration and how our DNA is prioritizing what is important for us. So so if we take that to the next highest level um, of the human collective, we can imagine that it's going to be quite a while, I think, because a lot of humans just aren't ready to interact with a physical extraterrestrial being. It isn't just the physical manifestation of it. I think that is so important to consider. Um, these are vibrational beings. And so we're exchanging vibration all the time with other humans and, and plants and animals. So, so imagine the close proximity uh, of an extraterrestrial race being here on the physical earth and, and interacting with us. They're going to be changed, of course, in order to get here and to maintain their energy and, and material form in this atmosphere. But we're going to also have to adjust ourselves slightly to be able to interact with them. But that's what we're doing on an interdimensional level, which I think is so cool. So, so when we're dedicated to a meditative practice, for example, and we're raising our vibration, uh, it's inevitable at some point we're going to interact with something that is a, a higher vibrational match. And that's either coming from within us or it's coming from somewhere in the field around us. And I think this communication is so important because it, you know, what they say in the book is that um, we we as humans have very little appreciation for the amount of diversity that the extraterrestrial community possesses. I mean, imagine we might have beings with one eye or three arms or have no physical features that are recognizable to us whatsoever. But 
to to get to the point where they could be here and and we could be in a matching vibration, we first have to respect and revere our own uniqueness and our own diversity and all of the different races that exist on planet Earth because many of the higher dimensional beings, the ones obviously who have our best interests in mind, they exist in unity consciousness. So, so I think that's kind of the bar, you know, that we have to get to really in order to have these more tangible experiences. Not that people aren't already having them on ships and, and having physical sightings. Um, I've definitely had both in my human experience where I've, gone on ships. I've had experiences on ships with uh, extraterrestrial beings, uh, but I've also seen ships in the sky. Uh, and that can be a really incredible validation if you're willing to believe, which I think is also really hard for us on planet Earth. Yeah, I think to reference what you're saying about consciousness, I think um, disclosure is uh, is a product of consciousness because uh, for example, um, our families have no concept of what we do, right? Uh, so you're a channel and you're speaking to extra-dimensional, extraterrestrial consciousnesses all the time, yet your family, I'm sure they've seen your videos and such, but they have no concept of what it means or what exactly you're doing, right? So, so they, So information or disclosure can be right there in your front of your face. But if you don't possess the consciousness to comprehend it, then that doesn't exist in your reality. So two people can be looking at the very same information and one can be at an entirely different consciousness than the other. And that one will see things there or, or understand things or concepts that become real to them where the person sitting next to them can, it can go completely over their head. So. So I think when we, we're, we're talking about the idea of disclosure, we have to consider that disclosure is not a global thing that's going to happen overnight. It is an individual thing. It happens one person at a time as each person's consciousness reaches a certain level. Now, if I were to talk to my family about these ideas, they wouldn't even know their eyes would glaze over. I mean, and even at least your family may entertain the idea no they don't really entertain it. <laughs> maybe okay well that's, <laughs> i mean they at least attempt to try to comprehend what you're doing where mine it they just can't even get that far so so this is just an example of of it's right in front of them yet they have no comprehension of it it's not part of the reality to where you can be speaking the language you can be using the same words that we're using here in this conversation yet they don't even hear those words. Uh, and, and that's true for my family, which is even farther back than yours in terms of consciousness. And so that's, that's the thing. It's not a right or wrong thing, but we just need to understand that, that, um, that these ideas of disclosure are not something that will happen globally. It'll happen an individual at a time as their consciousness reaches a, a certain point. And as your consciousness continues to grow, you'll start noticing more and more and more of disclosure that was always there. It was right in front of your face, but you couldn't see it before. So it's not really a product of, of uh, spacecraft landing on the White House lawn. It's really more of a product of each individual and their development reaching a certain point. If, as Michaela and I were saying, if a spacecraft lands on the White House lawn and everybody sees it, it cannot be a good thing, not at this point. Now, if at some point in the future, 
in our linear future, um, the whole of the global uh, human consciousness on the planet reaches a high level of consciousness, then it's very possible that we may be able to interact physically with extraterrestrial beings who are walking the earth because, well, they already are here. It's just that we can't all see them or perceive them. Michaela can channel them, but I don't see them. So it's not something that I uh, have a sensory ability to be able to, to do. Um, but I understand the concepts and I do interact with them through people like Michaela, for example. So, so we have to understand that the disclosure, when it does occur, it is going to happen a person at a time. And at a certain point, it will reach critical mass where it'll start to reach the entire population of the planet, at which point the consciousness will be, will have grown to a, a level where we may start to match these various higher dimensional beings. And at that point, more of us will be able to perceive them or see them in sort of a physical form, you know, walking among us in a manner of speaking. So the ones that are out there now who may be walking among us, and this is, I think, a topic we wanted to talk about as well today, may not be um, entirely of that extraterrestrial genetics or because to walk on this planet, you have to have a certain level of density, right? Certain level of vibration of a material level in order to even be physical and tangible here. Yeah, that's true. Actually, in the book, there's some really awesome detailed uh, passages about how the original cedars, they call them, came to the earth and how much they actually had to change uh, in order to come here. So some of them existed in light as a part of a collective. Others existed in some level of form in a different dimension. But but irregardless, to come here, they were giving up an aspect of their own divine blueprint to become something else. And, and each of them became something completely individualized, which I think lends itself to how individualized and beautiful we all are uh, in our own right. Um, and that's really the origins of, of our diversity. Um, but this can go awry sometimes. It, you know, we, we talked about this in the last channeled revelations episode where I don't want to get too technical here and get off track, but um, coming through portals. So we have uh, extraterrestrial beings who are entering the earth through portals. And sometimes uh, we are time traveling in our meditative state through a portal and we are interacting with beings and communicating there. And um, there's been a lot of interesting discussion around earth portals. And there's, I know there's a lot of grid workers and gatekeepers out there who visit these portals. They've been very unstable. And um, so it's, it's hard for us to discern, you know, and trust everything that we're hearing right now, which you know, is another topic that, that we'll get into in a moment. But I think contact itself on planet Earth today is, is really such a complex and interesting thing because even though disclosure is happening individually, meaning we're all having our unique, uh, you know, awakenings to uh, spirit and higher consciousness, there are times when groups of humans come together and actually witness something in the sky or are at a portal that they tend to visit and see something at the same time. And the guides are really clear. It's all about a matching vibration. So we think we just planned this destination trip to go to, I don't know, an active portal somewhere. 
and randomly meet these other people who also see a ship in the sky when when actually there's something in our own DNA and our soul's divine plan and our vibration that's calling that collective together. So so I think there are times when individuals could be standing on the street and see something that no one else around them can can visualize. And then there are times that we find ourselves in a group of people where we're all seeing the same thing. And so there's there's a little bit of, I don't want to call it predestiny in that, but universal orchestration that's going on there, obviously. And I have a lot of people um, who come to me in session who have had traumatic and difficult contact experiences. And while I know, and, and we've talked about in past episodes, um, there are dark entities that are very malevolent in focus. I think a lot of these contact experiences, at least in my work and opinion, are, are very highly misunderstood because we're trying to filter something that happened in a different dimension through the linear construct of mind. So oftentimes when People come to a session and they're like, oh, my gosh, I had this experience on a ship and it was very tragic and I don't know what it means. And I really had a hard time getting over it. The guys will so beautifully translate it as something that our soul either preplanned at a time in our life when we needed to have this interaction with a cosmic family or that we it's a part of our service in some way to be. Uh, offering genetic information or somehow receiving wisdom that we're bringing back to the planet. There's a lot of healings that go on in that love at that level. I know they're not all, you know, benevolent like that. But but what I find mostly is that uh, they're either more neutral or beneficial than they are detrimental, at least in terms of the sessions that I've done. Um, and I think. All of us have had ET contact, even though we don't remember it, because um, we're all plasmic beings. So so to time travel to another dimension and interact with an extraterrestrial, we're using the plasma um, in our energy field and in our bodies, which is why plasma is so extremely important. It's, it's our telecommunication device. And so any contact we've ever had, even going back, to our childhood that we don't remember, uh, or if we do, is the memory of it is stored in that plasma. So plasma is timeless, it's quantum. And for me, what began to happen the more I awakened and had communication with extraterrestrials is I was having flashbacks to contact I'd had as a young child that as an adult, I didn't even remember had happened. And it was so detailed. I mean, taking me back to very specific circumstances and, you know, a childhood home with events that there's no way my mind ever could have made up. And I know a lot of people do this in, in hypnotherapy. You know, for example, they want to go back and understand what happened to them, um, you know, in certain contact scenarios. But um, I think it's important if you're someone who's struggling with not remembering or having fear around something that's really hard to sort out, um, that both it exists in your plasma to be able to revisit again and get the details on. But also, number two, a lot of those things are fearful because we're trying to put them in the construct of a physical experience. And they truly are not a physical experience whatsoever. 
Yeah, I think, and I don't want to go too far down a dark alley here with this, yeah, but, sure. but I think we have to also acknowledge the possibility that some of these sightings could be our own governments. Oh, right? absolutely. Um, yeah. Even uh, after World War II, although the mainstream narrative is that Hitler died in the war, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that he actually escaped to South America and then onto Antarctica and set up a base there. Yeah. And even the U.S. military went there and apparently came back um, having lost uh, because of all the advanced technology they developed there and UFO spacecraft and so on. So there's a lot of evidence or even circumstantial evidence that points to the possibility that uh, even in the, in during the Germans developed some UFO type spacecraft. So a lot of the sightings could, I mean, that was a long time ago. So in this time that's passed since then, it could very well be that we've developed our own of some kind that, uh, that are, what a lot of the sightings are based on too. So we have to be careful when there are group sightings that it may not be benevolent extraterrestrials. It may be our own governments that are um, developing advanced spacecraft that, uh, that we don't know about yet. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you know, that really leans into the whole conversation of frequency and, you know, today, unfortunately in today's world, um, there are so many man-made frequency devices and technologies that are just designed for that very purpose to confuse us, to bring us into a lower vibration. And, and I think there can be a lot of contact from that state, right? That can be both government led, but also can take us into experiences beyond the earth that really aren't in our best interest. I, I feel like our, our true essence and our nature is to contact and communicate with beings who are loving and benevolent. But unfortunately, I think there are a lot of things that um, purposely get put in the way of that communication to distort it. So, so that's what we're dealing with on planet Earth is trying to keep our vibration high enough and, and our consciousness high enough in an environment that's attempting to chronically lower it to have the type of disclosure that we want and the type of relationships that we want with these interdimensional beings. Um, and, you know, another thing I think it's important to consider, at least as a channel, what I, what I hear a lot is um, interdimensional races, they get put in all these various categories. So uh, we think, you know, there's the white hats and the black hats and these beings are good and those beings are bad. Um, but but truly interdimensional beings uh, exist in many different forms. So even in Pleiades, for example, uh, in the book, it describes that these star clusters are all formed around certain groups or collectives based on intention. And there are some Pleiadians who have ascended all the way to the 12th dimension and they want to live more in a light-based, non-physical structure. And there are others who prefer a more physical um, manifestation and, and neither is right or wrong. But when we're interacting with them, we have to keep in mind that they're all a little different in the type of information that they're going to offer to us and how they want to support uh, our human and earthly experience. I think it's interesting 
uh, to discuss because we, you know, something that we've noticed a lot because there are a lot of people who channel the Pleiadians. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've noticed that the messages are all very different and contradictory in some cases. Uh, even the last few years, I mean, the Pleiadians you channel tend to be, um, their messages tend to be more positive and more optimistic and, and more about self-empowerment and, uh, and so on. Whereas I've heard a lot of other channels who channel Pleiadians who are um, very disempowering or more fear-based type of messaging. So, um, so I think that's a factor to consider. And I think a lot of people, and even myself included, in the years past when I heard Pleiadians, I assumed they were all the same and we we're talking to the same thing. So it was a little bit confusing for a while to try to understand why do two people channeling the Pleiadians have an entirely polar opposite type of messaging? Uh, and I think that that dimensional expression is a is an important factor to consider, or the consciousness level, for example, is an important factor to consider because we don't really think about, although on Earth it's easy for us to see that although we're all human beings, or at least most of our, us are human beings, um, we all have different opinions and different viewpoints and some of us are more angry and aggressive and fight in wars, and some of us are very loving and peaceful uh, and would never support those kinds of you know uh, things that are going on in the world. So, so in the same way, uh, we have to consider that um, that a lot of extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional consciousnesses are coming from very different levels of understanding and consciousness levels, and therefore their messages are going to be very different. Some may be more um lower vibrational messaging or things that are more fear based and others may be more um self empowerment based as well yeah it's important to consider that i don't think any race is perfect even the 12 dimensional beings and even the council of light that i work with which is a 12 dimensional council say we're still learning we don't have the answers to every single question which I think disappoints us sometimes because we really want that savior, want the answer to every question. But, but consider this. Um, we talk about the earth and the transition that's going on here all the time. Um, earth is moving into the fifth dimension, which is ultimately a gateway to multidimensional energy. So if we're channeling fifth dimensional beings, which can be high vibrational and really loving, um, and even have a bit more wisdom than we are, we're not going to probably get the information that's truly best for us to move into that next phase of evolution because we're a pretty close match vibrationally here on planet Earth. Some of us, not all of us, to what these fifth dimensional beings already know and what they're doing. Um, but if we go up a level, go up a notch to the seventh dimension, to the eighth dimension, um, we get a little bit broader scope um, wisdom information. And I think that's so helpful, even though I think it can be more difficult sometimes for people because we want that linear yes or no answer. And and I notice even channeled revelations, you ask these very specific questions. You know, I want the, this answer to this thing and the guys will open it up and give this very broad scope, you know, answer, which um, to me is pushing the boundary and the limit on our consciousness. It's, and that's what they want for us. They not only honor that we're all individuals and need to hear things completely differently because uh, a transmission 
communication from an extraterrestrial. It's quantum. It's vibrational more than it's words. So, so we're each going to walk away with something completely different, but, but also, um, they would never tell us what to do. And so I think discernment has to come into the equation and, and I, it's hard to discern in all these different experiences. Um, we have contact, we have channeling, um, you know, we have our own individual meditations and things that are going on and, and discernment I think can be very simple. The highest dimensional guides who are most loving and want the best for us, they honor our free will to the ends of the earth. They would never tell us that there's something we have to do, but they're always going to direct us to the most pure and powerful path. So we should feel uplifted to make very simple decisions for ourselves that are going to make the biggest impact on whatever problem we're facing. Um, I had someone come to me the other day in session and I hesitate to use this example. I don't want to put too much detail in, but um, there are a lot of extraterrestrial beings who are reaching into the Akashic records, for example, and, and offering prophecies about what is going to happen, what is not going to happen. Um, and, and from my vantage point, the highest dimensional beings will never say something is concrete going to happen. They will say, there are multiple hundreds, millions of vibrating potentials. But what they can say is in this moment, we are able to choose the ones that are vibrating the closest to your energy field. And they can do that for the collective or they can do that for an individual. But they'll be very quick to say your vibration can change in the next minute. And so can the collective. So even though we're you know, answering your question, we're never putting it into a finite type of expression. Um, and that is so empowering. Um, you know, I have people come to me who say, well, so-and-so Pleiadians, Arcturians, or my channeler told me that the Akashic records, it's just not in it for, in it for me. What I, whatever I want to do is not in my Akashic records. It's something I cannot do. Or um, I have to do this in order to achieve that. And in my experience with a variety of different extraterrestrials and collectives, uh, they would never say things like that. Not the ones who are evolved enough to be perhaps in the 12th dimension um, or even, you know, seventh, ninth dimension. They, they all say it a bit differently. Uh, but the highest dimension that you're able to reach, those beings are never going to stand in the way of what you want to do. They're going to encourage you to see it in the most expansive light possible, however, because sometimes we put such limitations on ourselves here on planet Earth. Um, we're subject to many limiting beliefs. Um, we have been taught to not honor our own sovereignty and and our personal worth. So they want to raise the bar on that in, in every interaction. So so I think in terms of discernment, we have to simplify. Does it make us feel better? Do we feel more empowered by the message or not? In that context, in our last channel revelation show we just did, we some of the topics we talked about were white hats, black hats, right? Yeah, and and yeah. whether they exist and what their intentions are. And I thought it was very interesting the 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 
responses that we got from from the various guides on that on that topic. And I think it speaks to that as to because we have a tendency as human beings to um and don't get me wrong, I, I like superhero films. So at least I used to before the networks went downhill recently. But but anyway, we have a tendency to want to believe in and hold out for that superhero to save us from everybody, right? And uh and I think that tendency is there in even in this area. And you know, twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, when I didn't have the knowledge that I have now in these subject areas, I also wanted to believe that there were white hats that were in the world that were saving us from, you know, from all the dark hats or black hats or whatever we call them. Um, but, but I think in the end, and that's something that also was referenced in that last show we did, which is that, that we are those white hats. We are the ones who are going to have to step up and, and take our own power back. And, and, and I think this belief, whether, you know, maybe there are well-intentioned people in the spiritual space who are sharing what they consider to be their truth or knowledge about white hats that are out there. Um, but, uh, and, and some of them may not be well-intentioned. I don't, I don't know. But, but I think to believe that that exists, uh, nothing wrong with the belief, but, but if that belief makes us not want to do anything to change the world or to change our lives to, to improve, circumstances then we become complacent and meanwhile the world continues to descend into darkness so so i think that's an important factor that we sort of addressed which is whether white hats exist or not in the current you know consciousness on the planet it's a vibrational thing change has to happen on the vibrational level first not on the physical so if uh, you know in what, 10 years ago, seven, eight years ago, when I was doing all those interviews, we were talking about how the white hats were, um, destroying all these underground bases and things like that. And I wanted to believe those things. And I had no reason to not believe those things then because I had no reference point or knowledge at that, at that stage. But, but now I've come to realize that, that, uh, whether those, th- those things were happening or not doesn't really matter because it's just like the conversation we had on channel revelations about whether the UFOs are destroying the, the nuclear missile bases around the world or not. And, and the guides essentially said, well, it, it, it doesn't really, isn't really beneficial if they are destroying them because the vibration still exists. So the vibration still exists, then it's just going to pop up again anyway. Uh, or it's going to pop up somewhere else or they're just going to rebuild what that was destroyed. So it doesn't really change anything. Um, so we're looking for physical changes to take place initially, but really real change has to happen vibrationally first. And, and if that were to happen and that happens individually, right? It's not something that we have to wait for world leaders to, to become conscious enough someday to change the world. If enough of us individually start changing our vibration and start taking action in our own physical lives to make things better, uh, then the vibration of the planet will start to increase. And, and as that occurs, we won't have to worry about UFOs to dismantle nuclear missiles because a day will come when they just no one will build them anymore uh, and they'll just dismantle them themselves. So. I think that's a factor to consider um, that these um, that these things need to happen on a vibrational level first. 
Well, it's the same philosophy as the disclosure model. Um, when we are the conscious collective that matches the vibration of the beings that need to come or need to show themselves to us, they will. Um, but in terms of like a nuclear weapon, we forget that we're all contributing to that. We, we love to point fingers at other people, but as a collective, we are creating everything that exists on planet Earth. And that's why the guides in the last transmission said, you know, even though there may be fleets of ships that are trying to destroy these nuclear weapons, they, they aren't of the highest consciousness because war is war. Destruction is destruction. And they know we don't want to put any more of that in the spiral of time because it doesn't just affect the Earth. It affects everything else in the universe. So, so everything that we, um, you know, try to destroy, even if it's for a good intention, <laughs> um, any war that we have in our personal lives or within ourselves is contributing to the greater planetary experience. So the more we work on that stuff, the less we have to worry about how we're going to heal it all because it is so complex. It's, it's hard to imagine that we could live, you know, in a world where there is no war. Uh, nuclear or otherwise, but I think that's ultimately what it's going to take. What the higher dimensional beings want for us is to remember that we are part of a co-creative vibration, the, the unity consciousness, the whole of humanity, everything that we are and everything that we do uh, is contributing to that. So um, we should also talk though about different races and their characteristics because it's just something that I experience, which I think is is kind of fun. And I know there are a lot of people out there who have their favorite ET races and cosmic families, and we're meeting so many of them um, these days. But, you know, for me, the Pleiadians were first, and it was pretty obvious to me um, in speaking with them that I've had many, many past lives there and got to have some experiences of what those past lives were like. Um, but I find that every time I've met a new collective, I kind of get a feel for what their strengths and weaknesses are, what their characteristics are, what their focus is for humanity. And, and for example, Pleiadians, and this comes up a lot in my session work too, they seem to be really focused on emotion, you know, and in, in their star system, they, they've studied the frequency of emotion and and using it as a tool of manifestation, but also consciously processing stuck emotion and, and trauma and all of those things. So, so they feel very human in that respect because I don't think every extraterrestrial collective works with emotion in the same way. Uh, for example, we've studied a lot in the channeled revelations, um, uh, podcast about the reptilians and how they aren't necessarily empathic beings. They're very mind focused and mind driven. Uh, as a matter of fact, they bypass that whole part of the structure that we have to create. So they're shape shifters, they're immediate manifestors through the mind, which is where we get our very powerful creative mind, but it's supposed to be used in concert with these other parts of us. So so it is interesting to me that lightworkers across the globe are are awakening to these very special relationships with certain ET races and collectives like the Mantis, for example, the Arcturians, the Syrians. Um, I know you've had some experience with that in your program. 
what I was thinking about as you were talking about that is uh, the reptilian consciousness is very obvious to me because I, you know, I've obviously I'm exposed to a lot of things, but then uh, on top of that, I also follow what's going on in the world uh, as well. And, you know, more of a physical dimension level and um, that high level of mind, which is absent of emotion is very obvious in a lot of world leaders um, or even CEOs of, Companies like take Mark Zuckerberg, for example, mm-hmm. is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Whenever you see him speak, he's just very stoic, very unemotional, very cold, very robotic, you know. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think that's why we've come to idolize technology today in Silicon Valley and um, you know, US technological innovation. The US to a great extent has a very strong reptilian influence in that sense because we have a lot of people who are CEOs of technology firms and the U.S. is probably the most advanced in terms of the intellectual part of that, because even though companies like China, for example, manufacture things for the U.S., the actual development of the technology, the technological innovation, a lot of it tends to happen in the U.S. And uh, and so we can see that personality difference in, in a lot of these um, CEOs in that they have that very uh, more intellectually based, unemotional um, approach, and and so if you look at a person, you can see that nature in them, a tendency in them. So, but on the other hand, that's also part of all of us, right? We all we all have that reptilian element, and I think society's gone to an extreme in that sense where we become very reptilian, and that's why today we idolize those kinds of things in society we idolize a lot of reptilian concepts and a lot of you know for example uh, our education system is very reptilian it doesn't really honor the creative side so much you know art and music and those kind of things are are sort of sidelined although i think the performance industry has actually become much more reptilian even though it's performance based um so even though rather than just being more creative, um, it's become more reptilian as well in modern times. But uh, but in mainstream education, it's it's a very mind focused thing. It's not really so much to nurture the creative, emotional side of human beings. Um, so so I think that element is very present. And if you look at person to person to person, you can kind of see in their emotional approach or uh two things what that is now we all have reptilian in us but we also have a lot of other genetics in us and and i think the uh, the the key is to activate all of it and have it function relatively equally then we have access to all of these components right we have the emotional the because the emotional i think can be very powerful as well um, but not when it's um completely erratic and out of control so i think nowadays People are in such extreme state of fear that emotion is sort of taking control in many respects in a very negative way. Um, so all of those things have to be brought into harmony. But in reference to what you're saying and having worked with light workers before and just being around people like you and Barb and so on, I've, uh, I have come to sort of understand certain tendencies with different people who have more uh, focus in one particular reptilian ray or not reptilian, but um, multidimensional or extraterrestrial consciousness. Um, so I found, for example, a lot of people who are a more Pleiadian focused. So meaning 
they might have come to Earth with a Pleiadian genetic as being more dominant and then becoming sort of a human hybrid version of that. They may go into fields of work just naturally um, that are focused in emotions, uh, for example, psychotherapists or social workers or even nurses, for example, I, I found over the years um, when we delved into what their lineage would, what their um, uh, lineage was in terms of past lives, it tended to be very much more Pleiadian. Whereas if you um, have somebody who is more Arcturian, I found that they tend to be more based in science and engineering or mathematics or analytical things, you know, technological development. Uh, inventors, for example, can have more of an Arcturian lineage. So if these are things that interest you in a particular area. For example, your focus in one particular area. It doesn't apply necessarily to somebody who may have a variety of focuses. That person may be operating with more uh, a variety of different lineages. But if you have one focus in one area or one area that interests you, for example, Pleiadians are often school teachers too, mm-hmm. um, right? And so, uh, so I think that may indicate that you have a lineage to that. Um, so, um, for example, another one I can think of offhand um, was the mantis. The mantis tends to be uh, as I recall, was it more medical or I, I think that's what it was? Yeah, they're very medical, but especially connected to the earth, inner earth and the soils and the microbiotics in the soils and how that's supposed to inter, interface with our cells and our microbiotics. And they can be very technical as well, um, but definitely more in the healing realm. Right, right. Mm-hmm. They could be biotechnology. That's yeah, sort of for thing. sure. That was yeah. something I noticed yeah. before. So... So one thing to look at, an easy um, way to sort of figure out what your lineage might be without having to go to a channel like Michaela to find out, which that's always an option, of course, is if you have interest in one very specific area and, and, or, and you've worked in those areas for most of your life, then there's a pretty good chance that you are of one particular extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional lineage. And not to say that you've never had life experiences in other um, um, civilizations, but but you may have focused in one particular area primarily and come to Earth with that, the experiences and knowledge that you accumulated in that area or with that particular collective. And, and then as a result, when you become... Uh, a human being and a human body, you'll gravitate to those interests. And those interests may also be areas where you have some expertise, having had these life experiences elsewhere. So, so that's something that I've noticed. And, and of course, you can do that with a number of the other races as well. But um, but that's, uh, you know, reptilian very obviously tend to be more, as I've said, uh, well, if you're a very dominant reptilian uh, consciousness, then you might find yourself in government or CEOs of a Silicon Valley company, for example. A lot of the world leaders tend to be more dominant in that area. And you can tell because they do things in a very unemotional, often cold way. They are not really considering the impact on other people because they don't really feel emotions. For them, it's more calculation, right? It's more a calculation of what they're doing. The repercussions on other people don't really matter to them so much. Um, and, and so they can, it's not that 
they're burdened by the concerns over other people, it just doesn't really occur to them. It's not really something that they relate to, feeling what other people feel, empathy, for example. Yet there are higher dimensional and benevolent reptilians. So I, I want to make sure that we get that into the conversation right. because um, the ones who are here on planet Earth are a little distorted of their original blueprint, meaning, you know, we've taken on their characteristics and they've taken on some of ours and we've genetically modified each other in a sense is in, in all of this is talked about uh, in the book because they initially came here because our DNA holds all of the, the very rich and valuable codes that they need to restore themselves after a cataclysm. And we think we're at the bottom of the barrel, you know, the bottom rung on the ladder when it comes to genetics, but it's not true at all. Actually, that's the reason why so many extraterrestrial races are not only so interested in humans and planet Earth, but also coming here to support us because a part of them exists within us. And what they want uh, most of all is for that part to blossom into something even better, something brand new. And that's ultimately what we're going for. So so a lot of this contact and extraterrestrial um, communication, it, it, it really comes from the crystalline DNA. And um, our DNA, our, our physical DNA or our carbon DNA is more uh, related to our earthly experience and, you know, holds the codes from our mother and our father and, and all of our ancestors, where the crystalline DNA is is a duplicate of that in a more cosmic sense. And what the guides say is that the crystalline DNA has unfortunately been dimmed through time. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, mainly, we've just been taken away from this realization that we even do have cosmic families or, you know, we are interdimensional beings at our core. You know, even ancient history has been hidden from us. So so all of that has caused us to not be able to match the vibrations of these various family lineages. And, and that's really changing right now for a variety of reasons. Um, the more we cleanse and purify and detoxify our bodies, the more crystalline we become, the more those strands start to vibrate. But the key the guides say is we really have to make a connection between that crystalline strand and the carbon strand. In other words, we have to bring our cosmic history down to earth in a, in a tangible and relatable way. And what begins to happen is those strands begin to find a new vibration. So the crystalline strands vibrate really high. And that's why when we meditate, we often have these time traveled and astral events uh, because we're raising the vibration and those crystalline strands become active. The carbon strands tend to vibrate much lower to give us a tangible material experience, which is why we came. And our goal is to actually blend the two. So I think sometimes people in these conversations that are having contact can get really disillusioned and lost because the vocabulary is really out there, the terminology, what ETs are trying to teach us. It's it's very high level. And there's some fear about bringing that stuff into our mainstream life and conversations with people we love and business even, for example. But in session, the guys are always encouraging us to raise the bar and, and to do that because that's where we fuse those two experiences together, our, our cosmic, cosmic, our cosmic experience 
and our earthly experience. It's where they meet. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that we've discussed in recent Channel Revelation show has been the um, the concept of, uh, as we touched on earlier, about how these beings, um, let's take the Sumerians in the last conversation, when they come through portals, they come through as light, as you said mm-hmm. earlier, but they have to hybridize in some way to right. exist here, right? And so that's a concept that, that I thought was kind of interesting, that in that hybridization process, they may take a different form than what they normally may be in. And, and sometimes because they're bringing through so much information, they may have a larger physical structure, uh, like a lot of the um, Mesopotamian leaders that we have some history of who are depicted as being larger, or even the Sumerians who are depicted as being larger than other human beings who were there at the time. And, and of course, a lot of that information about giants who walked among us is being hidden by our governments. Um, but um, people like uh, Jim Vieira, who we've had on uh, our show before and at the expo, has done a lot of research in that area. So there is obvious evidence is out there, but because that evidence would rewrite the narrative, it's all being hidden or destroyed. Mm-hmm. But clearly there, there were other races in the past who had a larger structure. But as we've discussed in previous shows, the larger physical structure doesn't necessarily mean you're, you have more information or more consciousness, right? It's a, at least today, but in more ancient times, that was the case. Um, but I think that's an interesting idea that in order to walk the earth, you have to have, uh, you have to change or hybridize in some way to, to walk the earth. And that form may take any number of different things. Like some of the more ancient beings are depicted as having lion or, you know, like the Syrians, for example, um, being lions or other animal depictions that, that are sort of foreign to us today. And I think a lot of um, even conventional archaeological research or study suggests that these were not actual beings physically who existed at one time or they were in headdresses or something like that. But the idea of that hybridization brings a new understanding that they may, in fact, have looked that way. But because uh, and it's just a factor of how that uh, hybridization takes form in the physical dimension, right? Just like we as human beings are also hybrids, right? And so maybe we can talk about that a little bit more. I know that's an area of some expertise. Yeah, well, I think modern day hybridization looks a lot different than what it did back in the day when these beings were coming through portals. And, you know, we can see the ancient renderings of, you know, these hybrids that looked so completely different, had, you know, blue skin and, you know, multiple arms and things like this. Um, in today's reality, as we crystallize or we activate that crystalline DNA, I think, number one, we're becoming more sensitive. So we're feeling the sensitivity to our earth and to our environment. And that's a really hard thing to adjust to. And, and actually, in a lot of my channeling, the guides talk about these ancient technologies that the beings that hybridized and came to earth possessed. They were elemental technologies that help them to communicate with their cosmic families beyond, help keep up with the evolution that was going on in their own star systems and, and to really help them adjust to the Earth's atmosphere. And and we have some of that stuff coming back today. You know, we have various medallions and pendants we're wearing to block out, you know, EMF and things like that. But but I think this is why 
um, you know, in the spiritual community, we have a lot of people who struggle more in the physical body because the more we ascend and hybridize, the more sensitive we become, the more the vibration and the material form of our body is going to feel that much denser. And, and when we're meeting toxins in our environment, we are no longer going to be able to assimilate those in the same way we did before. So, so I've seen it both ways in session where people come in as hybrids and they're not only more sensitive to their environment, but they also hyper detoxify. So they, they tend to be, um, um, shapeshifters in a sense where everything that they ingest becomes very quickly neutralized or, or somehow, um, alchemized in the body. And then I, seen it the other way where um human hybrids or you know everyday everyday people like you and i who are ascending are having a harder and harder time dealing with the body simply because of the material reality and densities that we're dealing with here so so i think we have to really be aware of that and the more we're aware of that the easier it becomes to handle it and and for me personally i've had to go more towards vibrational techniques than looking at more medical, you know, solutions or things like that. But, but naturally when you're hybridizing here into, you know, whatever cosmic being you've been before, which can be multiple, many of us go through these multiple shifts, uh, you're going to change your lifestyle 100%. And, and it can be really lonely. We've talked about this in past transmissions episodes. Um, uh, awakening is no fun. <laughs> it can be very lonely and, um, you know, it's inevitable when we have these cosmic awakenings, we might find ourselves in situations where we don't have a lot of people who understand us because we're simply accelerating into new timelines and dimensions beyond what others around us have yet to experience. And um, that is the case for so many light workers today. It's, it's kind of like we are raising the bar and, and pulling others along with us through our own personal journey. I think one of the more interesting things that we discussed in recent shows was the, how um, it was a channel revelation show you back where the guides talked about how world leaders who are more reptilian consciousness uh, are starting to, and of course the rest of us are, um, so they are more reptilian consciousness Whereas we're more human genetics, for example, or reptilian genetics, human genetics, uh, but we've become more reptilian and they are becoming more human. And that all of the acceleration of these world agendas having a cutoff at 2030 are because they are becoming more human. And a lot of the things that they're doing that are harming humans are starting to harm them as well. And if they don't move the world toward their agenda very quickly, then they're going to start facing more severe repercussions of that genetic transformation that's taking place where they're becoming more human. And so I would imagine that means that all the toxins and so on that are in the world that may not be harmful to reptilians, um, but are harmful to humans are going to start affecting them adversely as well very soon to where it'll have a more detrimental effect on their well-being to where they will have to maybe not go that direction so much in the future. So I think that's was an interesting topic that talks to the, the, the genetics 
or the hybridization of humans and other beings on the planet as well, and how that's evolving. Uh, and, and I can clearly see, I mean, I think the reason why the world is so turbulent today and why people are violent or angry and there's so much unrest is because we've become so reptilian. And, uh, and that's not our true nature. And, and so hopefully in the decades ahead, that'll start to balance out as the world leaders also start to have to uh, deal with the consequences of becoming more human as well. Yeah, it, it's definitely a period of time where we're we're in a, a war for our genetics, for our divine blueprint, which is our original genetic template. And we can see the onslaught of so many things that are working against us. But I think there's also positive signs. You know, um, for example, we have to consider that the the Earth's atmosphere it's in all the things that exist here are always going to be evaluated by any cosmic race prior to their arrival, because even if they hybridize and they, they suit themselves to this environment, this environment is going to genetically change them, you know, just like it's genetically changing us. Uh, there's genetics and there's epigenetics, right? So we have to consider both. But um, the good news is we're seeing more and more hybrid children coming to the planet as well. And this is another big topic in session that, that we often address. And we've had our own kids program here uh, that we've run and we've, you know, had the privilege of working with very gifted, um, children who, you know, there's no way they could be here unless their soul and their cosmic family had, had scoped out this environment and knew that it could sustain their energy, right? So, so I think it goes both ways. You know, we're seeing this kind of timeline collapse of all of the reptilian activities and and genetic interplay that's going on is forcing a lot of awakening um, and people are coming into these awakenings very fast um, and on the flip side we're seeing the entry of some you know hybrid and intergalactic children who are going to pave the way for future generations it's it's really a, a melting pot and a mix right now of you know all of that stuff but but if we look at from, you know, purely a consciousness perspective, what our ability is to transcend our own genetics, it's pretty amazing. And I think that's where we really need to be focused because, you know, all the contact and, you know, communication from extraterrestrials aside, we have the power within us to restore our own bodies, to actually live beyond disease. I mean, that was seeded within us from the best of the best of the best. And and so we're here to reclaim that in, in all ways possible. And I think it does take a balance of both physical as well as metaphysical uh, focus. Just like we have the carbon and crystalline DNA, you know, we have to work both angles and infuse that together in some balanced vibration in order for us to receive the benefits. Well, I think consciousness and vibration are really at the at the core of our, everything that we talk about here, because uh, I know that uh, many of you have not had contact experiences. I mean, and I wouldn't say that I've had the kind of contact experiences people uh, talk about. Um, but for example, Michaela talks to multiple guides in an afternoon and uh, that's just kind of a normal thing for her where for me that that's not something that I uh, am talented in doing 
But but ult- and ultimately, I don't think that's something necessarily that that anyone should strive to do just to do it because you cannot make contact with higher dimensional beings unless your consciousness supports that. So if you were to give instructions to, to a group of people at all different levels of consciousness on how to have a contact experience. Each of them is going to contact something totally different based on their consciousness level. If somebody is a very low consciousness level, they may contact things that are not very beneficial and could be very malevolent. Whereas if somebody's at a significantly higher consciousness level, they may contact beings of a very high vibration as well. So, um, so you have to consider that contact is going to vary from person to person. And even if the instructions on how to do it would be the same on all of them. Uh, for example, if we were to give instructions on do this and this and this to have a contact experience, um, that may not be uh, equal for every person who follows the same instructions because ultimately it's the vibration, it's the consciousness that dictates everything. And that's what we want to try to get to. And then when you get to that, whatever natural gifts will unfold. So Michaela as a channel, that's a natural gift she has. Uh, so at a high consciousness level, she will channel very high uh, dimensional beings. Uh, but if her consciousness was low, even if she had a natural talent for channeling, she would be channeling very low vibrational beings. So the gift itself does not necessarily imply consciousness. So you can't assume that 10 people channeling the Pleiadians, for example, are all channeling the same Pleiadians or the same consciousness level of Pleiadians, which is why the messaging tends to vary so much between people who are channeling the same thing, or at least claim that they are. Uh, and just because I can't channel the way that Michaela can does not mean that my consciousness level isn't similar to hers. The gift does not necessarily come with the consciousness. Some of us are here with certain kinds of gifts and talents. Just like, for example, let's just say we have 10 people who are inventors and they're really good inventors and they uh, have all invented amazing things. The, the one that's at a very low consciousness may invent an everyday technology that everybody uses, like, say, a smartphone, for example, where the inventor at a higher consciousness level may invent things that have to do with vibrational healing or may operate at a higher vibrational level. Even some of the technologies that Michaela uses for healing that are vibrational in nature may be coming from an inventor or engineers who have that high consciousness level. So they have the, all of them have the same talent and ability, but the consciousness level will dictate at what level they create things. So in the same way, um, I may not be a channel like Michaela's a channel, but we may have equal consciousness and, and our natural talents and abilities may focus in entirely different areas, as is very obvious to all of you who watch our shows. Um, so we focus in different areas. So just because uh, so I would say striving to have contact experiences may not necessarily be the direction we want to go. We want to focus in areas that we have natural talents that we're here to express in this life. Um, but we want to try to do it at the highest vibrational or consciousness level possible so that we can use our natural tendencies and abilities in, in the best way that's the most beneficial for humanity and for ourselves as well. Yeah, I think we have to be careful about contact as novelty, which I see out there all of the time that 
you know, there are these gatherings to make contact just for the sake of, you know, the excitement and the thrill of it. Um, I think that can get us into trouble. Um, I think ultimately those of us who are meant to have contact are going to have it and, and how we want to have it is in the highest and best way possible. So meditation without any expectation for me, I think is number one. If you're meditating just for the sake of raising your vibration, it's inevitable that if you're meant to meet a specific collective or race of beings, they're going to be the highest dimensional possible that you're able to connect with. with. Um, but also be careful what you ask for. <laughs> I mean, those of us who are on the brink of these, you know, really sensitive abilities, you know, crescendoing together into something really powerful, um, you can ask for it and receive it in a big way. And that has happened to me. I will tell you, um, you know, I sat out on my porch one morning and thought I saw a ship. I asked for confirmation. I got it. And then later in the day, I thought, wow, it'd be really cool to go on that ship. And the next morning when I sat outside with my coffee, that ship came back and <laughs> took me right up. So so don't discount the telepathic communication that you have going on with these extra dimensional beings. And I think those of you who are here in this conversation know you can feel it. I mean, there's just a an undeniable tingle or a sensation when you are being responded to in a way that is not physically or vocally, you know, detectable. Um, you know, but something else I wanted to mention is I'm noticing a huge increase in my channeled sessions and people who are speaking light language. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's really just a blend of multiple cosmic languages from different dimensions coming here to somehow vibrationally uplift us or heal us and, or support us. And, and I think that's telling also, or a good sign, I would say, of, of where we're heading in this, you know, ascension timeline, because the more people who are tapping into light language, um, it's really telling me that we're ready to receive these very, um, we'll say otherworldly uh, forms <laughs> of, of vibrational support and assistance. Yeah, I've noticed that too over the years, yeah. working with a lot of people in the spiritual community and a lot of light workers that I've worked with in the past, that light language has become more prominent. Mm -hmm. And it's just, um, I think it's a more pure expression of channeled information. Of course, it's not intellectually very stimulating because we have no idea what, what is being said or vibrated forth into this reality. Um, and I think even even though there are some channels out there who are able to translate that information, I think when you translate light language into human understandable language, you lose a lot because it's a vibrational transmission, right? Even though even what you're channeling that's in English is a vibrational transmission. Um, and that vibration comes through even though the words are spoken the words are just a very narrow part of that information that's coming through, right? It's just a small portion and all the rest is in, in, in the rest that's not actually heard in English. Whereas light language, I think, is a more pure expression of that information that's coming through when, when people are speaking that. And there's so many beautiful expressions of light language beyond sound. And, you know, the, people are doing interpretive dance and, and art and, you know, making geometries and technologies and, and all of these things using light language. And I really think that's the wave of the future. So 
So contact and disclosure, just the, the very idea kind of diminishes, I think, the value of these relationships that we're building. Um, we're remembering even within ourselves and then then helping to flourish in higher dimensions. I think that's a good place for us to end today. Thanks for joining us again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Channeled Revelations where we bring in the guys for a full two hours and, and Ethan takes over and asks the burning questions that, that everyone wants to know. Uh, you can check us out on so many other platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google, and many others. And we'll see you next week. Wow, wonderful, everybody. All right. There was a lot of good news, insights, as usual, as always, everyone. Let us integrate these things. We have another magnificent human being here. This is uh, called Ascension Pass with Sandra Walter. And uh, Ascension, Death, and Reality Collapse. Soulology with Todd Medina and Sandra Walter. An empowering, heart-based conversation on the radical shifts in consciousness. Soulology Full replays. Okay, that's https colon forward slash forward slash www.zoologynetwork.com. And then the other one is ascensionpath.com. Uh, and there's going to be a crystalline convergence conference gathering, like another coursework thing. And it's going to be September 23rd and 24th in Sedona. As you wish to sign up, now would be the time. I think you get $220 off. Anyway, mm. Global Unity Meditations every Sunday. All right. Is there any description here? Either? Or do we just get started here? Mm-hmm. Okay, real quick, Sandra Walter is an ascension guide and way shower in service to the shift in consciousness. She assists awakened humans through writings, videos, classes, events, and creations focused on the ascension. Sandra shares information as a contactee and pure conduit to empower, inspire, and accelerate the ascension of humanity. That's an Eckhart thing, the sound of hue, H-U, manatee. All the hues of the rainbow, sound, color, and vibration. Ascension path, core values, create unique inspirational content, classes, and events to expand the mind, open the heart, and assist the ascension. Honor and serve the journey with courage humility, grace, and divine intent. Empower the collective to co-create the new paradigm of peace and unity consciousness.
So won't it be. Let's do this. This is one hour mm. and 14 minutes. Yes. Mm. Here we go. Follow, you know, I kind of look at people's uh, narratives or their their transmissions. Uh, I've noticed this year more than ever that even though people speak a different uh, language or have a different nomenclature, a lot of the intel is starting to really uh, converge. And uh, and so I kind of use yours, I think, as a lot of people do, as a baseline. Mm-hmm. This last, I, I think, I'm not sure if you put them out once a week or once a month or just whenever you're guided to do so, but about a week ago, you put out a post, and it was so spot on for me uh, in so many ways because it kind of married a lot of the, the different narratives. Mm-hmm. But there was one particular place that really spoke to me, and I'd like to start with that if it's okay with you. Uh, and it goes like this. These new light frequencies bring palpable, unknown sensations and an awareness of a unified realm shift as we approach a very active Stargate passage in June with multiple increases prior to the solstice uh, on June 21st. Uh, now, there's somewhere in here that you talk about how the illumination itself Kind of suit, here it is. Uh, this is, this is the part, uh, that, that that's set up. Uh, so many people, okay. Part of the purpose of this new light is to dismantle our dense creations. Many are calling this trauma release. This really spoke to me. Something to be aware of. The release of trauma from the collective fields already occurred. It isn't trauma. It's the release of everything that was created as a reaction to trauma in the past. Beliefs, coping mechanisms, narratives, past life stories, entanglements, context, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's another part in here where you talk about how the light itself, the illumination, essentially supersedes all worries, all strifes, all these kind of superficial things that have been um, kind of like uh, monopolizing us. You could call it distortion, distraction. And I found that really striking because I've been, like a lot of people, uh, without words. and it really spoke to me that, you know what, this isn't that complicated anymore. I don't have to dive into the shadows or my favorite quote for 2023, by by the way, is attributed to you, which is you can either turn around and watch it burn <laughs> or walk through the new earth. And I thought, well, that's that's it. That's it. Feed that light. Keep on going. Keep creating. And all that other stuff will kind of fall away with a lot less work. So I know that's kind of a huge intro and lead in, but. If you could speak to the power of what we've generated as a collective and individually through our illumination and, and what effects and consequences, so to speak, it has on what life has been, and you know, to include worry, strife, yeah. and so on. Yeah, and just to uh, kind of get everyone on the same page or just just kind of realize what has happened. So a little timeline, you know, 2012 the reality's actually shifted. And everything that's been happening since then is revelation of what Gaia has actually created, her different tra- trajectory. She has different realms for us to experience. She shared with me, we have seven, seven different realms, which is just like different frequencies of consciousness that you can experience right now. And then as a collective, we get to experience them together and kind of uh 
migrate our, our realities and the harmonics to experience those as we go through our ascension process. So for a lot of people, experiencing uh, the death and dissolving of the old self in very profound ways, you know, this this has already occurred. It's just now we get to experience it as a collective. And I find like the power of unity consciousness, when we talk about that fast light, that acceleration, that photonic acceleration, where the light is faster than the speed of density. It's faster than your thoughts, which is why you can't kind of grasp thoughts sometimes, feels blank sometimes, or like you just need to sit in stillness and allow your brain to get the upgrade so that you can interpret light and language and everything in a different way. And you'll find it destroys your stories. It destroys narratives. It destroys timelines that don't serve your divine self anymore. So as this quickening continues to kind of stimulate all these different things, it also reveals things that are happening in the collective and I feel it's important that people maintain a cosmic perspective and a divine neutrality through this so that you don't cling to the comfort of old stories, old narratives or old interpretations, even of spirit ascension or what's happening to you and just kind of let go so that something new can get rewired within your own system. So you can actually interpret these brilliant new realms that Gaia is unveiling and revealing to a lot of us. Now, my personal journey included quite an upgrade last year where suddenly I was reconnected with my I am presence. And that, even though I was able to touch it and experience it and communicate with it before, that's for for newbies, that's the first step out of source is your I am presence, right? The first step of separation. So all of your over soul levels and everything are like unified with the I am presence. And even though it's been part of the mastery path to embrace and experience the I am presence, something new happened with the collective just last, uh, a year ago, March. And it happened during this massive geomagnetic storm and just had hearts up. Anytime the geostorms get above K6 and stay there for a while, you'll feel like the magnetic veils just collapse. And all of a sudden, there's opportunity there for us to regain parts of our consciousness and kind of reunite the fractals into a conscious state. And for me, that was so overwhelming because it came with, you know, I hold a lot of cosmic mother frequency and that just infinite compassion and grace and peace was very overwhelming. I felt it just wash away the illusion. So since that moment, since that passage, I've been consistently learning how to walk in these realms as uh, as different consciousness. And even though I know that different consciousness, like we're all different beings since 2012, even though I know that occurred and You know, different veils get lifted as you go. It was profound. It was very profound. So now I'm consistently learning how to walk in these realms, experience many realms at at once and serve in a, in a brand new way. 
not just as a conduit of that energy, but also like the application of pure unity consciousness as one. So there's been a lot of refinement in the groups that I work with and the people that I work with and the way that I serve. Um, and that's just part of my personal journey that doesn't feel personal anymore. You know, a lot of changes. But it also gives this perspective, this clarity on uh, on narratives and stories around trauma release. And this is definitely that, you know, a lot of information and conversation built around uh, what's happening because people associate it with things that have happened in the past or terminology that um, was used in the past. But from the from the cosmic perspective, from the I am, like where we're all connected, um, that level is providing, okay, take a look at it. It's not actually trauma release that happened a few years ago. And we all went through it and people were feeling it very strongly. 2020 on, right? Just huge releasing of trauma and you got to feel it. And, you know, the global pause supported that of all of us going, whoa, like I need to deal with myself and my family and my soul group and everything, right? Really gave us an opportunity to take a look at that. But what's happening now is the the constructs. And again, it's just co-created realities, co-created belief systems around how you dealt with it, what you did with that information, you know, all those constructs need to fall so that we learn how to create in a new reality through crystalline intelligence, through Christed intelligence, unity, love, light, intelligence, that pure source spark that's within all of us. So it's releasing all of the ways that we used to deal with trauma, like it's not the trauma itself. And a lot of people feeling that strongly, too, as uh soul groups and family monads, uh, that structure too dissipates. And it's not like disconnecting and rejecting that, but you can feel like the dissolvement of all of those entanglements and attachments and agreements just don't have any weight or pull or magnetic to them. They haven't in a while. So just on a collective personal level, there's a lot of, uh, Processing, wow, I believed that story and I need to release it now just completely. And the way that I construct stories around things that happen to me or happen to others needs to collapse or I won't be able to create in the new light. Mm. I won't be able to create from a pure source informed level instead of this weird trauma-informed level mm. that we used to create with intensity because the density is technically gone and you'll feel it like the the body the days the time everything feels less dense and for some when the the break the breaking apart of density you know sometimes the body because the body or a lot of us was created in density, unless you're a crystal kid that came in in the last few years. But, uh, you know, the body can feel kind of heavy sometimes because the density feels even more weighty or the density of the outside world sometimes can feel like so heavy. And it's just because your consciousness is changing. It's becoming this more light-based, light-infused um, intelligence. Mm. 
So as we got, go through this refinement, it's wonderful to witness that, but also our focus needs to change into this unified way of creating. The mm-hmm. ego transforms, the mind transforms, you know, everything needs to consider the whole at all times. And that's much easier when you're actually experiencing the reconnection with all that you are with source itself. Mm-hmm. Easier to operate from that. It gives you a different perspective. It's, uh, it's very bizarre. It feels familiar, but yet unknown. Uh, I have to say for my personal journey, it's it's been beautiful and bizarre. <laughs> I feel like these incredible cosmic forces trying to merge right through your heart center and create something new because it's not a synthesis of what was. It's birthing of something brand new. So a lot of us working with light conception and the immaculate concept, like coming forth and actually birthing something brand new in these realms. It's uh, extraordinary. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one of the things that I saw in, and it must have been the write up before, but it talked about, um, <clears throat> let's see, what was the word? You, uh, the, the re, it, well, it wasn't the reaction thing, but it was about the, the illumination superseding all these different things. Mm-hmm. And so you were talking about doubts and you were talking about, you know, some human things, right? And oh, then you even said past lives. And then I believe I heard you the other day, or I certainly heard you now, where you also uh, talked about the dissipation of the monadic, I, I don't know if it's the monadic belief system and the soul tribe kind of connotation. Mm-hmm. Can you just uh, drill down a little bit for me on that? Because I want to understand that. My, yeah. As an example, because like my, my up to this moment, <laughs> my uh, perception of monad and uh, more so monad uh, than soul tribe, because to me, soul tribe I can kind of see how that's easier to see or experience uh, at an earthly level. But the monadic part through dimensional experience, et cetera. I mean, if, if I'm understanding you correctly, even those things that even the, the things that we know, even if they're beyond the physical, have to be broken down as well or have to be dissipated as well. Is that correct? Yeah, well, the whole universe is getting an upgrade. So as these like literally sound frequencies, harmonics start coming in. They're just shaking apart all the things that we created. And it's, it's us, you know, it's not star family and the oversoul. It's, it's all part of the same thing. And the, the beautiful thing about like a presence activation or this new state is there's so many perfect moments where you kind of laugh at, um, at at what was created, not in a mocking way, but just in, you know, just complete freedom from everything that you created or you participated in or or even um, soul groups and family monads, like the entire illusion of density uh, just disappears right. often, right. right? You're just like, Oh my gosh, just complete, all the entanglements and all the belief systems and everything just get completely washed away. And then of course, we're all moving forward. Well, then what's the new language? And they're like, hold on. And I'm sure a lot of people can feel this. Stop. Right. Right. Stillness before you go 
trying to push into a new creation or trying to figure it out with your old dense ways, pause, right? right? There's got to be this moment where you feel the new thing coming into these realms that yes, the more, the more that we, uh, support that and surrender to that, the easier it becomes. But a lot of us are seeing the kind of snowball acceleration of all of these systems collapsing. And you can focus on linear systems or dense systems or distorted systems, but it's actually the entire structure is crumbling, collapsing. And that doesn't mean, please, uh, folks, don't get attached to, oh, now I'm free from my family and I don't have to deal with them, or I'm free from all those old friends that I don't even want to deal with them. It's not like that. There is an inclusive, beautiful intimacy that comes with witnessing and feeling everything as unified, as source, as beautiful. I I spend so much of my days just completely in love with everything. I'm surprised I can get anything accomplished at all. I knew that. (laughs) Everything is just so, you know, a breeze will come and I'm so in love or a bird will sing and I'm just so in love with that thing. And then a person will present and I'm just so in love with them. Now everything, you just start perceiving us as our star family and masters, which is just other other aspects of self, uh, just perceiving everything from that. They, they see um, source in everything. They're not focused on trying to fix your darkness. Right. They're right. just like, it doesn't even exist. That's right. just what you experienced in density. So as we come out of that, there's just a different perspective on and an honoring and a gratitude for all of our travels together, all the experiences here, and how we will all change because, let's say, the white sheep of the family decided to wake up and and transform the entire genetic code for the for the lineage or just amplify the light regardless of circumstance because you are not your circumstances, right? That That also is an illusion. So all of those relationships get transformed. And as we walk through that, you know, we become that star, that little pinpoint of light that's then shining through all of those realms so that they can just get, uh, they can experience the expansion. And it's not personal. That's the thing, like, don't treat it as me and that person or that mother, or that father, or that cousin, or that friend. You know, stop treating it, it stop creating separation, right? The, the more you can release yourself from outcomes or or um, your need for others to do certain things or right. treat you a certain way, just it all dissolves, right? And even... I just want to mention, because this seems to be a little rampant in the collective right now, just feel into your heart and and please try not to criticize the way that you used to be or your old belief systems um, by kind of projecting them on others who are at a different stage of their journey and believing certain things 
or doing certain things. There's no need just because you leveled up or have a different perspective to mock or make fun of people who are at a different level of consciousness or maybe still entangled in the old narratives. That's not the way to step out of this. We don't make no master has ever mocked what other people believe in. They simply shine the light and share a different experience, right? So there's no need to um, kind of pull apart and mock and make fun of and criticize uh, as the as the realms as the old systems come apart. Mm. I feel that's important, and I feel it's also probably a good sign of how much light you're emanating and how to emanate this love and have love and compassion and grace, even for the folks who are still doing things that you happen to not believe in anymore or not experience anymore. Right? There's a a true refinement of our vibration happening right now. And I've always said, let us show the way, right? Let's demonstrate to humanity what's possible with ascension. And I feel because there is such a strong acceleration of this love light intelligence, of this crystalline photonic light, and it's affecting everything, water, plasma, the plate systems, the crystalline grids, the stargates, the master crystals, like everything is getting amplified right now. And if you put your focus on because it's it's a person it's just a a personal reaction for a lot of people to them shedding their old beliefs and narratives is be like oh, I can't believe you still believe in that right <laughs> <laughs> like okay honey we see like you're dealing with your own stuff but it's uh, if we can just like upshift and uplevel and continue to amplify the new consciousness and sharing if we can at all encapsulate in words, what's happening to us right now. It's a very different state of consciousness. And we've always described unity, true, pure unity consciousness is such a radically different state than we are accustomed to. We're all going to go through these windows and gateways and passages where your higher levels are going to say, shh, you need to spend as much time connecting with zero point stillness as possible. Right. It's not like the past where you have to give up everything like many of us did. Right. We've a lot of us did that in order to transmute that step for a lot of people. But you are going to have to give up your addictions and your habits that don't support expansion. Right. A lot of people getting uh uh, uh, really nursing their own heart through st- keeping themselves alone or separated or only interacting on social media, getting even addicted to social media as a support system. It's like you've got to, you've got to get connected with Gaia and people who are experiencing uh, something new and learn how to co-create. In that new light, I feel that's important this this year because next year is a completely different state of consciousness. So all of us that are kind of gobsmacked by the presence thing that happened last year and then this year again, wow, oh, brother, I went through it in March. I didn't think I was coming back really? to service. 
or my body or anything. Thank you. I was like, I was like, am I going to die? You know, it's just, uh, and it's, it's kind of, I don't know, we'll go off on a, a death tangent if, if you're not, but, uh, it was like three weeks of, I don't even want to talk to anyone until I am completely capable of expressing myself in the new way. Yeah. And I just didn't touch the keyboard. Everything was on autopilot all through Equinox, just, ooh, and it was beautiful because I was snowed in in Mount Shasta for weeks. I couldn't even go outside. <laughs> I couldn't even go to see my friends, just like ooh, really in it. But I really learned, um, I'm very good at holding space. So that being present with, with yourself and the cosmos and the universe and everything is uh, so needed. And then, it started, then the balance started happening, it, capable of holding that new frequency and that new self as it starts to emerge and become a, a thing that doesn't have identity. It's just source, just allowing that to uh, be in, you know, infuse what I produce with that frequency. Still learning. Yeah. Right. But there oh. were definitely like full wipe, like blankness, like I, wow, just yeah, like even even now. I mean, uh, even but now. Uh, but you said a couple of things. I just want to restate them because these are my takeaways. I love doing these, these shows. Cause I, I feel like I'm in a session. But uh, and thank you for answering that thing about like, a, you know, the monad soul tribe, the different uh, threads that we have. I understand it now because because this is part of the unexplainable that you just help explain which is uh, you don't really understand it, uh, but but basically everything collapses to the present. That's what it it made me uh, be able to articulate for myself is mm-hmm. that even because I would have said past lives, uh, it's just like a trauma, it's an attachment. I'm past that, past that, past that. But when I get to the monads where you've had dimensional experience, etc. Mm-hmm. So really it comes down after hearing what you had to say, it, it, whether it's true or not isn't even a question. It's not even it's not even in the in the equation because we're being forced here. This is how I feel to the, be present like you're talking about. You can't hide. Uh, mm. You can't uh, divorce yourself. I've uh, been spending the last uh, five months in Houston in my family's old stomping grounds, which is in uh, uh, the, the oldest suburb in Houston, right next to downtown. Mm. And it's been interesting because my daughters live here, my youngest and uh and I walk around go to the coffee house lots of young kids lots lots of uh kind of universal area i mean it's very eclectic very progressive so you meet all these different people you could be sitting at a picnic bench at the coffee shop and there's an attorney and then there's a homeless person that plays music on the corner and and i and i found it fascinating because i would work 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 and i would go meet my daughter meet some people and engaging these people not from a mask that I had before, but actually allowing myself, which I found to be quieter and just observe and then engage some of the things that I received from these people that were strangers to me were absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, I was engaging their higher self. They were engaging mine. And yet they're not in these light worker community circles or so to speak. It's quite fascinating. Uh, but it, it, it helped me as an exercise and I'm not an introvert, but I have been very introverted, especially since COVID hit. 
<laughs> you know, I've spent a lot of time alone, so I can relate to what you're saying. But it allowed me to understand that this part I will never have again. This is this is this is gold. If I don't get it here, I'm not going to get it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate you covering that. Uh, the other thing that you said, and I, and, I, and, I, and I think this would serve to, to speak to just a little bit more on it, is what you said earlier about the way these things are coming in. And it's and it's like. And I know some people might struggle with this, but for me, I kept going, why am, why go to the shadow again? Why go to the shadow again? It felt like to me that there was enough cleared that I could walk towards the new earth, that I could, you know, take that pause and try to create something in this Trinity energy. These things will fall away. My vibration is too high. And if I want to go back there and watch it burn, I can watch it burn. Uh, and, and so if I, Equate that to the way these things are coming in, which used to be once a week or once a month, even a couple of years ago. Now it's like two or three a day, especially when those K7s or whatever, all that stuff is going on, which has been amazing. Um, it, it feels like to me that it used to be they would come in and the wave would come in and 90% of the time we would be going, okay, what do I need to release? Okay, what is this? What is that? What is this? And then you would get that little 10% expansion activation. You know, where you come out of it and go, oh, what was that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a few days later, it comes into your consciousness. Mm-hmm. Now, it feels like what you were describing about this whole bewilderment, like this, what? <laughs> where it yeah. comes in, you might get a little quick 10% sting of, a, of, of a, a, a feeling or an emotion or a memory, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. And then you're sitting there for the next 90% of the wave going, wow, what's going on here? Yeah. And that pause you talk about. Uh, whether it be in the uh, transition of the, you know, or the transformation of the wave, or it be in trying to create in the new energy. I have spent the last 75 days since we launched this thing, jumping off with both feet, you know, aware of the collective, aware of the personal to my, to my wholeness as much as I could be and not being able to take a step until something kind of unfolded and it was and it's been trying because part of me going we got to do this we got to do that we got to do this and something speaking to me third energy what my heart whatever you want to call it me is saying no it's not Mm -hmm. right yet it's not right but yeah but what about this bill what about that no no doesn't matter doesn't matter you just Mm -hmm. and i just went through this from may 11th through yesterday and I'm not quite got it all yet, but I know I know I didn't take, you know, those I didn't break that that credo. I didn't I, I, I listened to it. I didn't want to, but I can see that it really, really works. And it really is an absolute, totally different place that none of the old mind constructs or um, rationale works at all. And it's wild and it's strange and it's exhilarating and it's a little frightening. <laughs> so I, I feel like that, that, you know, these waves, you know, just to conclude it, um, we come out of it and now our energy of thought, you could say in so many words, and I don't mean to throw shade on anyone or anything. It's just my own experience. It doesn't need to be wasted on all of that. All of that that we've worked our way through and just to get to the point, realize it wasn't even real, but to yeah. then allow our energy to kind of permeate 
and mix and, and with this collective universal energy because really it speaks for itself. And the last thing I'll say is as the days go by and I don't know what I'm going to do for a profession <laughs> because I have less and less and less to say because my, my voice inside of me says, if you know it, you don't got to say it. Now I have a different role than you and other people, but it's more of a, Not like really. when you talk, well, you're right. You're right. I, I, I will uh, digress on that. The, uh, but what I was going to say is it's what you were talking about earlier. It's the, it's not so much the part of me that, that should or shouldn't talk because I know it. it's the part of me that wanted to say something because I know something you don't like what you were mm-hmm. talking about earlier, the judgment, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you know, the comparison, the superiority unconscious to us. Why compare? Why mock? Because even if it's a little degree, it's just it, energetically, it's just as big as anything. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. I know personally, um, and especially, you know, with the service thing, I am currently, you know, I moved the, the crystalline convergence is like my big event in Sedona. (laughs) And, uh, that's what uh, I just moved it from spring to, uh, September equinox. Just uh-huh. everything was like, don't touch spring, right? I was like, okay. So I had to move the whole thing. And, uh, which, which is beautiful. Wow. Just opened up all kinds of space for this transformation that we're all going through right now. Cause if we had had it in the last couple of months, it, it would have been, uh, it would have been a different expression altogether. So there's a, a lot of recalibration and literally our hearts refracting light in a different way, which is, blows my mind uh completely that we're capable of doing this now but with the the service question so many people are stimulated by the creativity coming in because it is it's we are being pushed into being true creator beings again and we have to learn not relearn, but learn like a brand new way of creating a unity consciousness with different frequencies and different light and a different planet that's becoming a star. Like it's a completely different system. So these passages where we do get the message to be quiet or stop creating in, in the old way, stop creating with your, your, you know, your voice and your thoughts and your expression and everything like stop like it's just like the hamster wheel you know it's just like stop stop doing that right and for a lot of us when you get that message of hold on right just step back from that and feel the stillness feel the new true you trying to squeeze its way into uh these realms so it can change everything we want to honor that stillness and at the same moment in the same now we can feel like a new way of creating or new services or new creations that really want to be birthed we're going to spend some time john burgos is my my co-creator uh we're going to do a huge section on just creating new services as presence as this new thing and how that's not just how that's done but how to actually feel where your new consciousness this new light wants to go rather than the old self who's so um comfortable or feel safe with creating things that truly everybody else is doing 
right? There's, there's nothing really new in, in that. You know, we have our new expressions and, you know, you have your membership and you have your events and you have this and that and everything. That structure too is going to have to change to accommodate unity consciousness. And we all feel it and we felt this. Oh my gosh, I had this conversation with sisters and, 2011, I was like, well, everything's going to change and we can't just keep doing, you know, the same kind of events and everything. And here it is, you know, 10, 12 years later. The thing that has really um, been kind of walking me through this, not just presence level, but taking so many moments, hours throughout the day to just be with the stillness and stop trying to interpret the frequency in a linear way. Mm. So there's a lot of, shh, let it go, let it go, let it go. A true refinement of where I direct my energies, who I interact with, not from a hierarchy level, but just really feeling where the heart wants to direct this energy how my consciousness itself wants to express because again it's not personal it feels so unified that it's washing away Sondra Walter a lot of times um, the experience of death on an etheric level and sometimes on a physical level where it feels like I'm just not going to exist, not going to project into these realms uh, as a body anymore, right? I could feel my body transforming. There's this kind of celestial light body mechanism that's coming online, completely directed by this new heart. I've had a change in the way my heart refracts light. So it it's not, which is completely... Uh, disconnected or detached from the way my heart used to interpret my own frequency. So it's much more unified. Spending time with that, of course, has become a priority. And even creating things like the convergence, which is a lot of linear tasks, you know, with event planning and such. Um, there are days where I was like going to dedicate, you know, Quite a few hours to creating, well, let's say, graphics, <laughs> website or whatever. And it's just not now, not today. The energy mm-hmm. isn't there. And then all of a sudden a window opens up and it's there. So planning uh, goes out the window as far as um, linear tasks go. Making it okay to be that way now is lovely And as someone who has learned how to trust the journey and surrender old ways of operating, you know, no longer city gal, no longer mountain gal, no more, you know, all of those just disappear. So now being presence, and even though I'm in Sedona, you know, a, a linear place on the map and doing completing all the work this year, with what Sedona was supposed to be upgraded to. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whether I stay here or not, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You know, all the trajectories are 
ascension yeah. and what ascension can reveal to us. So the the death of the old self is is beautiful. It in the beginning, uh yeah, I've had many near death experiences, so I'm not really attached to being in my body. Um which I feel makes it easier to experience this right now. I and like one of the, this might be profound for some people to hear who are concerned about the dark, right? Um, first of all, please face your fear of living as light without shadow. The perception of duality itself too has to be a balance of light and dark. That story itself is collapsing. Something new is coming in, you know, to live your life as, as star, solar, cosmic, Christ consciousness is different. You know, there's just no focus on the shadow whatsoever. And you let go of all the stories of overriding and bypassing just such old terminology. Letting go of that too as the old self dissolves. But the very palpable experience of death of the old self Perhaps that's kind of our strongest guidance right now. Help people through this. They're going to start feeling it because so many of us got activated as a collective. And even though you can call it the ascending parts or the collective that got activated as presence last year, it's, it's a still a unified thing, whether or not a, a body consciousness that still believes it's, that's still entangled with its journey as a body on the planet uh, wakes up or not is is not our concern, right? And this might be profound for some people to hear as we go through death of all these things, but the dark or the dark forces um, have chosen uh, death, yeah. not death of everybody else, but death of uh, themselves, right? And that perspective of Ooh, they actually have, they've accepted that they will be, uh, destroyed. So now they have like a death wish and it's not a death wish for the whole planet. It's for themselves to be revealed and like end the madness, that kind of thing. That really touched my heart. I just got that, um, over the weekend too. Wow. Uh, and I was like, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, a kind of let's goes, uh, uh, releases a lot of folks in the collective who are so focused on destroying that. I'm like, they're actually destroying themselves. Sure. They have a death wish, you know, at, the, at this point. Um, they've accepted that. And those beings who, um, have created those distortions and everything, um, ha- have come to, you know, it is a collective. So they've come to, to their own acceptance of mm, what I thought I could create, uh, it it doesn't have any energy, it doesn't have any gas anymore, yeah. right? Only the beings that uh, emphasize those stories, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, this agenda is that, that's the only energy they're running on right now, mm. right? Yeah. So that resistance, that, yeah. I see that out there, and it has changed from the last couple of years, you know, even mm-hmm. the last two, three, four years. Uh, it's not sticking. That, that's the thing. That's the one qualifying uh, uh, all on the same playing field. It, any energy 
I guess you would say that's that's got that um, uh, the duality. It's not sticking at all. It's, it it's it, not for anybody. Uh, and you said something else earlier too, which um, I've been trying to encapsulate. Uh, now you mentioned March, and on March first, I woke up. It's not usually my thing, but I started seeing stargates, and I'd never seen that before. I'm like, yeah, there's stargates all over the earth, and that this started a whole thing more. <laughs> March, cosmic party, right? Welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was, and then it was, uh, you you got to leave social media, and I'm like, uh, I, I I don't have a pin. Like, you know, what are you talking about? And and boom, you go. And the, and the craziest thing happened. Um, so I think we announced it on the 10th and we went ahead and, and did two weeks going out the door. And then we started uh, doing on the 24th, our shows on the new platform. When I came for the first show, I've done 4,200 shows, probably almost 6,000 video videos over the time. And I, I was so nervous. And not just the first show, but the second show, the third show, the fourth show, the fifth show. And I realized after about 10 shows that this wasn't going to go away. And I realized that, that I was having a glimpse of, of a sacred space, sacred lifestyle. And it wasn't just me. It was actually started with people in the comments starting to help me understand it. They'd say, Oh, the energy is different in here. And I hadn't even thought about it. And then mm-hmm. as the next show comes on with no solicitation, how oh, the energy is different in here, you know, and, and I started to realize it's a small piece. So how do I navigate this? You know, and, uh, and I think the best example is after many, many initiations over the last few weeks, um, I may 11th, I had one of those great days, <laughs> you know, where everything's just like you get shot out of the cannon and, you're walking yeah. on water and, you know, and Jesus is right next to you and calling you in and you're like, well, what's happening? <laughs> and I came back to the house and I got a phone call and it was the deepest of the deep of the 3D, right? And, and I took the phone call and, uh, this energy of, of pure human fright, fear, I don't even know how to describe it. We probably all had it at one time or another. And, uh, and it came in and I said, okay, hung up the phone. I said, okay, uh, I'm going to sit with this. I'm going to feel this. Mm-hmm. And I did. And, and, you know, and I just, I was like, okay, okay. So what? <laughs> and then, and then eventually pop, boom, it's gone. And I went through to the other side and I thought, how did I do that? You know, uh, and it, and it was later revealed to me through self, you know, uh, it was transparency. So from that point, I had to really hustle and, and really, you know, stay on top of things to keep things stabilized, keep things going. And it all culminated uh, in a meeting yesterday afternoon with my co- uh, collaborators. So a beautiful couple. And I spent the night before very sensitive to the old loops playing in my head, loops of judgment, loops of this, loops of that. I'm thinking, oh, this is interesting. I'm not going there. And mm-hmm. so I just went into this transparent with self thing. And, and instead of creating any uh, imagination, running wild loops and all that, I just went to the source 
and then the source became, you know, I am the source. And then it was these two beautiful people. And I, and I just kind of held the space. There was no words. So then I get to the meeting and I just heard, you know, just be transparent. Just be transparent. Just put everything on the table. And I did. And I know their hearts. I had no expectation. I had no thought about it. But not only did they meet me there, they expanded the space. Two people, not one. And it's not like they knew what I was going to say. They just, it was like, and I'm still not quite um, understanding it all. But in this moment, as I stand with you, I, uh, you know, just very recently, like you talked about what you picked up this weekend for me was, okay, stop trying to figure this out because you're not going to figure it out. Just go from space to space, from moment to moment, and consciously, to the best of your ability, be transparent, be wide open. You're not going to go wrong. And it's, mm-hmm. and again, it's wild and strange and frightening and vulnerable, but mm-hmm. it's, Quick to the other side, quick to uh, uh, what occurs as a consequence, and and it's and it's that beautiful that uh, that love for everything you see kind of energy, you know. And, um, and I got to tell you, I feel I, I feel like I'm dying right now. <laughs> so as I as I bear my heart, I feel like I'm dissolving all the time. <laughs> yeah, all the time, and that that emanation. I'll just speak to that transparency i have um this yeah i'm just calling it presence activation because that was just the the reconnection that occurred but to feel uh the, the kind of cosmic mother energy that uh truly is requesting me and probably a lot of us to hold a different frequency and of course when you emanate that we have to realize that every other being on the planet is also getting the same energy. It's just the way they interpret it, right? But there's a quickening happening in everyone else. So when you bring that that frequency, that higher um, purity to uh, a conversation, a meeting, the grocery store, anything, you'll notice how it just starts to self-correct realities, right? Things just, and that's, even though in the past we called it miraculous because it's miraculous healing, things just happen, right? Things just autocorrect when you hold that field. But I've found too, brother, with uh, my online events and everything else, a lot of clear direction to hold that field, hold that energy open, and as a gatekeeper to hold this thing open, you know, this crystalline stargate that is now emanating different light. It's uh when I put my focus there, like everything just takes care of itself. And perhaps we are demonstrating uh how to walk through the challenge of I want to create something new, but I don't want to do anything. I'm experiencing dissolvement of the old self so how do we even talk about what i have to offer you know all of those things that that arise uh i feel all of us are teaching showing the way of how to walk through that simply by being very transparent about the experience 
and the death, which is a theme of, of like first theme that I had in December when they're talking about what's going to unfold this year. The very prominent theme was death. And it wasn't just physical death. It's this death of the old self, the old constructs. Like there's, there's nothing to stand on right. in as Gaia just eliminates, you know, those platforms for our existence. It's just the magnetics. Everything is just completely changing the foundation that we stand on and which is why you build everything on the heart because that's your gateway to new realms, different expressions. We really have to trust it. I feel like the, the global pause gave us uh, an opportunity to calm down, experience that state as a, as a collective. But now as we move forward and we want to get out there, it can't hold the same intention Right, even intentions to uh, do proper energy exchanges or create abundance because I want to build this new thing. That can't be the core intention any longer, right? It's got to be, let me emanate uh, different frequencies, perhaps uh, teach exactly what I'm experiencing now or these next levels for me, it's next levels of ascension and realms and how water and crystal and everything like interact which is fascinating to me but it's it's different it wants to be expressed in a different way so i haven't created an online course i've simply been doing like every other month these presence events which are styled to feel like the convergence which i thought that field was too strong to hold in like a webinar and here we are doing it yeah. You know, just like the co-creation field gets amplified, the experiences, it's it's beautiful. But it'll be interesting as we go into these these different states of walking in this world that make us feel so um detached from the old self or like we're dissolving. Just nothing feels real or um kind of tangible. Right. Anymore. Right. It's very, it's very different. Dissolving. Very different. Yeah, dissolving is a good word. Um, it's almost like what you're describing is, you know, we talked about embodiment for years and years and years, right? Uh, like the embodiment was the inhale. Mm. Let's get back in the body. Let's get back in the body. Let's get back in the body. And now we, <laughs> and so now we're detaching from not just the body, but, you know, like you were talking about, even the journey and stuff. And it is a challenge. And I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I've been saying to myself for the last few weeks, uh, you know, we used to have 30, 30, maybe even 40 um, uh, shows scheduled in front of us. I haven't had more than 10 nice. at any time. They're usually five. I think right now it's four. <laughs> and they're spread out. It's like allowing for the pause, allowing for the space. It's like you can feel it, like you're not allowed to do it or it, it opens up for you. But going back to what you were saying, um, each day I get up and I, and I basically say to myself, okay, what are we doing today? Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. but I know it'll it'll show itself. And it may be me being on my back all day, uh, if that's what the, you know the body calls for. But it has been a challenge. It has been a challenge uh, mm-hmm. to... Where does, where does the, yeah, yeah, like where does the expansion go from here? Like with my work, 
what now? It can't be the same. Now, the shows have a different energy, and 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 and, and that's there. Did I? You know, it, it's just all these different dynamics that are that are dissipating or dissolving too. <laughs> so it's like I don't have anything to base this on. Yeah. But there is a a different type of um, uh, awareness of what services, and in my bones it feels. Uh, and you spoke to it a minute ago, like you really you can try uh, to put something out there, but if it's rooted in any way from lack or I need to get some money together or you might as well forget it. <laughs> it's got Watch to be and a warning for people. Watch it. Right. Careful. Right. Careful. Yeah. Responsible creation is the thing. You gotta qualify all the light and creations yeah. coming out of you or the the boomerang is harsh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it even means, you know, like for me, because I tend, I tended to, I'm, I'm getting better to say, we're going to go do this and we're going to go do that. And, you know, high, high energy and creating energy balls. And, you know, this is, but something's happened. You know, yeah. you can call it maturity. You can call it a, a wider state of consciousness for the individual, for all of us or whatever. That pause is becoming so important. Yeah. You know, there's so many things I could have done, say, for instance, the two or three days before this meeting I spoke of yesterday. So many things I could have put together and presented and, and said that, but I, I, I wasn't allowed to. I, I, I wasn't allowed to. It took some conscious consciousness, but most of that consciousness was me laying down with my eyes closed, holding this space. Holding you could al- yeah, you could almost call it like the unknown of the void. And the void, you know, for some people, oh, it's dark. It's, you don't know, but no, no, it's, 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 to me, it's the mother's womb. It's just. Mother. It's cosmic mother. Mm, Like we're really getting to know her again, not as a being, as a conscious field, right? As an energy. And cosmic mother has always been the gateway to ascension. So as that comes through and Gaia's emanating that frequency, if you're getting the direction to just hold this, like even back in March, I was like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> you know, I did my presence event first week of first weekend of March. And then it was like, okay, now we need you to hold space. Right. And it's reading books, meditating, listening to music, no online, just big grid set up. Snow, completely snowed in, just holding that field of love-like consciousness, just that total, compassionate, open, peaceful. And I really feel this is teaching us, too, by so many of us, um, even if people are just feeling it as a physical thing, like, oh, I had to lay down like three times today or whatever. It's like, well, stop making it a problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, we, there's a request here to hold that field and allow that energy to permeate all of these realms so that Gaia can reveal for more of the collective 
uh, the realms that she's already created. You know, if you think of like seven different layers and we're experiencing three, I got a big gold four a couple nights ago and I was experiencing dramatic vertigo and activations from my star family. Thank you, but wow. Um, but like a big gold four, like all of a sudden the fourth realm is starting to come through, which is like pure unity consciousness, being able to create in the, in the unified field, um, now available to us in a, a different way, a true Christed, uh, beingness coming in to a lot of us. And it's always a domino effect. So I know if a few of us, get activated then it just trickles out you know it gets sent out into the field available to anyone but i feel like the perhaps the thing to remember for people who are feeling that like feel the frustration have your weeping session or whatever like oh my gosh not another day where i don't feel like doing anything or the energy isn't there oh my gosh like that's been like my life for the last few years. <laughs> just like, okay, we'll just, uh, you know, allow for the, is there a creation window today or not where you can kind of uh, do linear things. And then of course, bringing a lot more uh, joy and enthusiasm to sharing and creating new things. You know, you find your niche. It's all got to be creative though. Creativity is definitely the key. You have to balance consistently with nature creativity and listen listen to gaia listen to the mother right she has so much just remember she knows everything that you're going to do here just shush 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 so just feel the energy and stop trying to uh allow the mind to comprehend what's actually happening right now because it can't be You know, that last post, it's faster than the speed of our thoughts. It's faster than the speed of our doubts. It's faster than the speed of anything that we created in the illusion of density. Let it go. That's the part. That's the part I was trying to find. (laughs) Oh, that's faster than. Yeah, because you you, you made that. Yeah, Yeah. that that uh, that that was the part. That was the part that I went. I, I knew I was right. And I don't mean right as in I wasn't trusting myself because I, why am why even go there? Like why it's just showing itself and, and, and I can sit with it and it's gone or, or whatever. It's not sticking. So what does that mean? That means that I can just keep shining. How do you do that? I don't know. <laughs> Show up. Be transparent. Stop trying. Yeah. <laughs> be I transparent. Uh, it's funny because uh, on Monday nights I make uh, music with my brother, uh, Ty, and um uh, and you know, we've been doing it for, uh, I don't know, about a year. And, uh, uh, last night he came in, he'd been in Mexico last week, so we missed a week. And I forgot to put the post up. <laughs> and we got into the studio. He goes, uh, you know, did you put a post up? I said, no. He said, well, you want to go, like, go on the old platforms, you know, so we get some people in the house. And I said, no, I just, why don't we just do this together? Yeah. You know, and the reason I mention that is because another another way for me to figure out how to implement this new code, as I see, it, like like it's not been done, at least in my in my you know field, as a you know human incarnated. What's the next step uh, step that I take, and mm-hmm. what do you want to do, Todd? What feels good to you? 
whether whether nobody sees you or a thousand people show up, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. And honestly, it doesn't matter because I realize now that my projection or my illumination is 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 not dictated by anything or anyone watching me because the whole the, the mother's watching me. Right. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Thank last you. year, last year, I went to Sedona. I got called to Sedona in July. And it's so funny how this year the rhythms are the same, you know, at least energetically. I'm not saying geographically or anything like that. Mm. And for the first time in a really long time, the mother came in. Like Mother Sedona, Mother Earth, Mother Goddess, all of the above and all in between. And I had the most extraordinary, um, it was a July, August, September, um, or thereabouts, especially July and August. I mean, she... I mean, it was just, it was the most, uh, transformational time in my life to the mm-hmm. point of even at one point, I, I, I was, I went out, I was at the studio on 89A and I went out to my car and I was sitting there. I think I was on the phone. I got off the phone <clears throat> and it was about five o'clock, five thirty. And you know how this goes and maybe not for you so much, but I think so for all of us to some degree, like, what am I doing here? You know, I mean, am I crazy? And, and so here I am sleeping on the floor of the studio at her direction for six straight nights on this natural rock that's beneath the ground in this hundred year old building, right? Yeah. That was the level of it. So I'm outside and she says, I want you to get in the car and drive out of town, drive out to, to the West. Like you're going to Cottonwood. Yeah. All right. So I start driving. Sun starts going down. Uh, turn here. I turn here. There's this little cutoff, this little dirt uh, turnaround. Pull out there. I looked over here to the where the sun was going down, and there was a monsoon in the middle of the sunset. And this, or and I filmed it. Pull out the phone, just film it. Hey, mother told me to pull over. This most incredible light show that that communicated with me to the to the nth degree. It was all the mother, and it was fascinating. All these people pulled up next to me, and and uh, we watched it, and then it went on and on. I won't get into it, but. But the, 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 the reason, part of the reason I bring that up is because she stepped back in a few weeks ago. And last year, the message was, we're going to burn it out. Get out there. Go make it happen. Fire, fire, fire. Let's, let's get, let's rip the band-aids off. Let's go make something happen. Let's develop some energy. And then this time she came in and she was like, that which you spoke of, that space in between. Like that nurturing, that, that, that which I know, that which I come from, right? And, and the, the, through all the fluctuations of the human, um, and the multidimensionality coming in and the reassessments and all, uh, she just says, uh, it's nothing to worry about. Just be you. You are it. You are all of it. And so, like even talking to you today about the monad, that's another thread I can cut, so to speak. There is nothing left. It's all here. And, you know, I truly am spirit flesh. And then the reflections that you have on death. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm not going to physically ascend in the body? Well, what does it matter? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like everything outside of me, essentially, and this may not go over uh, right if I don't say it right, but it's, it's a program. It's, it's, it's a coding or whatever part of my journey has brought me information and a wider, uh, palette to paint from, so to speak. But I feel like I'm at a point now where 
I don't mean to take it or leave it, mm. but it's all the same thing. It uh, is. Right? Yeah. Unified. Mm. Finally. Feeling unified. Yes and no. You know, all of that. It's just, mm. uh, all of a sudden there's a, um, I have to, I have to share like the perspective on everything is so radically different. Um, and as somebody who's had some, some good divine neutrality for the last 10 years, probably since my Shasta time, just really learning that deeply. But the way that we view, uh, realities, outcomes, trajectories, our own journey, I have to say there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of reflection on my own journey anymore. There are things that it, it, it kind of fizzles when I have like maybe um, impulse or or a feeling like, oh, but wouldn't Sandra like to create this? That'd be really helpful because everything's been about service for forever. Right. So now I'm like, well, what if I put out this and put out that and everything? But it it the energy, like if it has any kind of personal thing, it just you know, it's like Cosmic Mother just brings you right back into mm. this, like, beautiful, neutral, peaceful place. And I have to say, like, as, you know, here in Sedona, it's, wow, it's going to be four years this this year of, uh, the you know, the instruction is to have activate all this Sedona crystal and Christed energy so that she operated like Shasta. And, and return the water to the canyon land. So all of our, oh, the monsoons have been like so, so infused with that, um, beautiful new consciousness. Just I, to experience like the return of the monsoons and like a real monsoon season feel like the cleansing and the flushing and the purification. And it's like raining cosmic mother, um, during those storms, like the entire energy changes, the land responds to that um, to that new water that we're all playing with. Mm. It just uh, it really complements the process right now. We're trying to you know take it to other locations too, and kind of like feed it through. The different stargates, but we have you know, a lot of sisters moved here a few years ago for this particular part of the mission, and we're almost complete. Just another year to go, but really, you can feel it. Yeah, you can feel it. A lot of how many years? How many years was that? Uh, we came here in 2019, middle of 2019. Um, a lot of us, you know, instructed to step away from California that because weird things were going to happen. <laughs> And then 2020, and you saw what happened with California. Goodness. But, uh, yeah, just building that, you know. And I know with uh, even like the last convergence, we got into such a state of zero point. The entire event ended in silence, and no one wanted to leave that state. And then we, we go to Cathedral Rock. And we watched the eclipse, like the moon comes up and then we like literally could watch the eclipse and everyone was silent. Just like the ability to hold that field together and not feel the need to um, chit chat, explain, communicate in a 
verbal way. Like everyone was so heart connected and feeling and touching and, and, and touching the ground and opening their hearts and tones once in a while. But to, to feel that, you know, just as a way shower to feel like, ah, we got there. Mm. We got to that point where it goes nonverbal. It's pure energy. It's pure hearts. It's, it, you know, we have, granted, we hold like a silent temple space with just toning and invocations, but that unique energy, um, which was then, you know, planted and, and, uh, anchored upon cathedral, could just really feel it. And now we know why. You know, every time you plant stuff in a stargate, it just disseminates out through the grids and then, you know, all of us, tap into it. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. Yeah. Tap into it. But there is, there's something to be said for um, trust and faith right now. Yeah. Right. Cause it is so, it's again, unknown yet familiar. It feels more like more God than you've ever felt before. Yes. Like more divine presence than you've ever felt in the physical for eons. Yeah. It's just, Oh, all of a sudden it's there. And it continues to want more space, want more of itself to be present, right? So you've just become a conduit of that energy. And for people who are kind of pacing the floor, trying to figure out what to do, um, for a lot of people, that is our task. Just enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. Enjoy how different it feels. Yeah. Right? Because it's not spacey, it's spaciousness. You know, it's different. Whoa. Expansion. Right? Yeah. Get to know your true self. Mm. Yeah, that's presence. Yeah. Uh so when is your convergence gonna be? September? Uh September equinox, twenty third, twenty fourth. Twenty third, twenty fourth, September. Equinox. Sedona. Yeah. Sedona. <laughs> uh, if you're ready for it, I know it's gonna be uh, Oh, that's it, and that's a good month. Nine completion going into the to the last quarter. That's going to be. That's yeah, going to be I'm I'm glad that it got shifted. I'm like, oh, that's where it lands. That's going to be powerful. So. Well, I just want to thank you again. Uh, you know, for being a guidepost for so many of us, um, and I know it must be exciting uh, for you and those like you after all these years. <laughs> All this stuff coming to fruition, but it's mind blowing because it is a great unknown, but it's beautiful. And, uh, and you are too. And, uh, just want to say again, thank you very much, Sandra. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Thank uh, you, brother. You thank take you, care brother. and best you, of, uh, uh, to everything that you're doing. All blessings. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's amazing how everything just works out. Perfect timing, everyone. So, let it go, let it flow, huh? Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you, Barbara Walter and Sandra your, Walter. Sandra Walker, haha. <laughs> what a, that is such a cancel clear my tongue out. Clean <laughs> my tongue out. <laughs> Yes, Sandra Walter and her friend, her lovely friend. And for Michaela 
Miss Sheldon and her lovely friend Ethan Fox. Divine uh, templates for the divine masculine, divine feminine energies, the way the sharing goes. Uh, may we continue to remember who we are. And we will take a little break now. And we'll be back with our brother Richard with a look at the stars. And I'm sure lots of wisdom will come. And also Kepacha and Tanya Gabrielle. And so we'll see you in about ten or so minutes. Okay? We'll be right back. Namaste, everyone. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you. That's the talking stick to you, Richard. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I wanted to just tell you that Kepacha is 27 minutes and Tanya is 21 minutes, so that's 48 minutes altogether, so it's about 12 minutes for you. Pass the talking stick. All right. All right. Well, we've got some relief in sight here in this chart tonight. Mercury is finally separating from Uranus. It's in the last degree of Taurus, and it's nine degrees away from Uranus. So it'll be in Gemini tomorrow. And the moon, uh, the sun is, uh, the sun is at uh, 20 degrees. So we're two thirds of the way through Gemini. Uh-huh. Saturn, on the other hand, is stationary direct. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, stationary retrograde. Oh, that's yeah. different. Yeah, so, well, see, we've had, Pluto's been retrograde all by itself for a couple of weeks, and now Saturn's going to join and go retrograde here momentarily at 8 degrees of Pisces. So, um, I don't know how the... uh, It's weird for me because that's... My north node is at 7 degrees of Pisces, so I don't know what that that means. It means my destiny is on hold, I guess. You know how Saturn is. It likes to slow things down. It sure does. Moon is conjunct Neptune tonight. It's at 23 Pisces. Neptune's at 28. Chiron's at 20 Aries. North Node is still at 4 Taurus. Jupiter's at 6 Taurus. And our... Lovely pair over there in Leo, Venus at 6 and Mars at 13. So after sundown, you should be able to see them right close together in your in your western sky. They're about, they're about 45 degrees uh, ahead of the sun. And they're both, the, the 6 degrees and 13 degrees, they're both in what? Leo. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. 
My airdose is square with Mercury coming up. Uh, yes, Saturn is, Saturn is square to Mercury, uh, Jupiter is square to Venus, and Jupiter is still square to Pluto, so that T-square, Pluto, Venus, Jupiter, is still operating for a few more days. Uh-huh. Yeah. <coughs> but uh we're getting into we're getting into with Venus and Mars in Leo, that's like summer love. Venus and Mars dancing in Leo, you know. That's beach weather, you know. <coughs> vacation time. <laughs> okay. It's, it's yeah. It's uh make Make baby time. You know, make more human vehicles. Uh huh. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, yeah. Venus is empty for a while. No sign. Uh, cancer. Cancer is empty for a while. Yeah, for about ten days, and the sun will go into cancer. Virgo's empty. Libra's empty, Scorpio's empty, Sag is empty, and Pluto is right there on the cusp between Capricorn and Aquarius. So that's that's your layout, you know. Uh, lay that on your personal chart, and then you can uh, figure out what might be useful to you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then. I'm I'm done with this part of the show, so let's go see what Kaipacha is going to talk. What's he going to talk about today? What's he going to talk about this week? What do you think he'll talk about? He'll probably talk about Venus and Mars. And that's Mercury. Yeah, Mercury getting ready to go into Gemini. Talk, talk, negotiate, negotiate, diplomat, diplomat. Mm-hmm. Fight, fight, argue, argue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, come on, you got, you got Gemini, you got, you know, Leo is sextile to Gemini. So when you got Venus and Mars in Leo, sextile to Gemini, with the Sun in Gemini, you get domestic, domestic disputes. Oh. Yeah. Or cooperation, you know, depends on depends on where where the couple is on their evolutionary uh, ladder. You know? There you go. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, my my neighbor uh, my neighbor Ken was up for the weekend, and he stopped by and chatted for a few minutes, and he says, "Yeah, my son's wife turned out to be a whore. She'd been cheating on him." You know. Oh. Yeah. So it sounded from his tone that the the son's gonna dump that wife. But anyway, not my business. Not Waste of violet fire. Send violet fire from a distance, and now we'll go see what Kate Potts has to say about the whole world. Yeah. 
In a nutshell. Let's go do that. Okay. It's Kaipacho with Weekly Pele Report, and this one is for June 7th of 2023. The moon uh, was conjunct Pluto and has slipped into Aquarius and just hours ago opposed Venus and is going to square Jupiter very shortly. (laughs) Before she goes into an opposition with Mars a little later on today. And uh, she's going to, you know, keep moving through Aquarius until she uh, hits Pisces on Friday. Yeah. And she's going to square Mercury uh, conjoined with Saturn. How about that full moon? How about that full moon in Sagittarius? Was that not beautiful? Yeah. Oh, my goodness gracious. That was just awesome. So, you know, she's now waning, right? It's like you hit that peak with that full moon. And then she's going to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I'll talk a little bit about that, that lunar cycle. I'm at a bend in the river here, came back to California for a little bit. And uh, what else is going on that I want to talk about today is that Pluto is stationing to go retrograde. Yeah. And I'll give you all the dates having to do with that Pluto going back and forth and back and forth. Between Capricorn, Aquarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, Capricorn, Aquarius. He's in Aquarius now, but he's going to be going back, back, back. And, yeah, we'll talk about that. What else is happening? Mercury is changing signs also. Okay, so Mercury is going into Gemini, making a nice trine at that first degree of Gemini to the first degree of Aquarius. Mercury trine Pluto. Some powerful, deep thinking these days, that possibility. The other thing that's happening is that Venus is moving away from Jupiter for a first quarter square, 90 degree square. I'm right at the 90 degree turn in the river. All right. Venus is at that 90 degree square to Jupiter, Jupiter and Taurus. Okay. Venus up there in Leo with Mars. We're going to be talking a lot about Venus and Mars and Leo these days. And, yeah, uh, she was conjunct Jupiter back in March, March 2nd. So the seed was planted March 2nd, and now it's time to, for it to break through the crust of the earth and be seen. Be seen. Ow! All right. That's enough. Uh, yeah, the, the, so the moon, uh, you know, uh, uh, hits uh, Saturn and Pisces and then Neptune and Pisces. And by Sunday, uh, she goes into Aries and, you know, bops through Aries, uh, conjunct, you know, conjuncts Chiron and uh, hits into Taurus by next Tuesday. So I'm going to just find a nice little seat down here on these rocks and uh, talk at you. All right. The energy of this week. What is the energy of this week? Okay. 
it's a combination of things. I think I'm going to just be kind of like going blah, 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 all over here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I want to read you a Sabian symbol for the third quarter square moon. That's 270 degrees. The moon is returning back to the sun. And it's it's just like uh, this lunar cycle is so beautiful. It's so uh, like breathing in and out and in and out. The moon is returning home to the sun where she is going to get nurtured and nourished and get a new impulse and, uh, you know, a new feeling and a new potential. And she's going to start off in that new moon and come back down to earth and, and like and bring, you know, bring this light from the sun, bring this energy, this feeling, this powerful you know, beautiful, amazing impulse to create, right? And brings it down to earth and manifests at that full moon and gathers up together. Okay, everything that we've done in the meantime, everything we've created and manifested and, you know, just and then she brings that all right back to the sun again. <laughs> and here, look, look what those humans did. <laughs> Here's our gift back to creator source and creator source says oh that's very nice let's give them some of this and so then she comes back with more gifts you know and you know delivers them on the full moon and picks up what we've done and so this is like you know this is this is a beautiful 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 cycle so she's kind of returning home that's what this uh sabian symbol is about okay and let me just you know read that and do that and and, and get that piece of the puzzle Okay, out there for you. It's uh, the 20th degree of Pisces. It is a table set for an evening meal. An indication that in the end and at the appointed time, the individual's needs will be met among those to whom they are linked by a spiritual web of energies. The significant element in this scene is not only the meal, but the fact that it is an evening meal. Third quarter square, right? Waning moon. To use traditional symbolism, after a long chain of personal existences, the soul returns to its spiritual home at the close of the day of manifestation. There it finds that which renews and amply sustains the happiness of the beyond of existence is experienced. If all has gone well, this last symbol promises a satisfying or fulfilling end to whatever one has been undertaking. As the life closes, the soul consciousness finds nourishment in the harvest of whatever during the whole life has been relevant to the archetypal purpose and destiny of the soul. One of a myriad of aspects of the divine creative word which began the cycle. So this is what I want to really be talking about a little bit here today. 
And that is this, you know, this coming out of the imagination, the spark, the creative impulse, and coming into manifestation through creative self-expression. Venus in Leo, Mars in Leo, and this Venus breaking away from Jupiter. So March 2nd, you know, that, that Venus conjuncted Jupiter. And, and, and this was, you know, a powerful, beautiful, new, divine, creative impulse. And now, you know, three months later, okay, she comes into Leo. And I want to, you know, let's just look at this Leo. What does Leo rule? Okay. In astrology, Leo rules romance, children, creative self-expression, risk-taking, gambling, adventure, play, fun, the stage, drama. (laughs) So it is the fullness of the king and the queen, the lion and the lioness, like, like roar, like step out, coming out of cancer, right into this yang, externalization of my soul purpose of my specialness of my uniqueness and going for it and it's interesting that you know venus square jupiter you know that and here's this is the part that kind of rubs me the wrong way that (laughs) indulgence this is this is like a key word okay like you know jupiter can be too much Right. And Venus and the square can be too much and like, and I just want to, you know, discuss this because Pluto is retrograding back into Capricorn. Capricorn rules the patriarchy. We've had 6,500 years of this patriarchal conditioning, which is what? It's masculine. It's do. It's conquer. It's go. It's climb to the top and, you know, you know, be full of power and self and, you know, Bobby, this very powerful Hercules kind of energy, be a hero and, you know, charge out there. But, but, and that's a little bit what the mantra has to, you know, has to do with today also is let's, you know, this reemerging of the feminine, this reemerging of the feminine. What is, you know, the, the, the core principle of the feminine is in the I Ching, right? The, the masculine is creative and the feminine is receptive, receptive, receiving. And it's interesting now, Jupiter in Taurus, North Node in Taurus, Uranus in Taurus, Mercury just breaking out of Taurus. Venus is the ruler of Taurus. This goddess, this feminine energy is the ability to receive. And through these last conditionings, whether it's the church or or the government with, you know, collecting taxes, okay, or this hierarchical, the employer, okay, demanding more and more work and production, and you've got to do and you've got to produce and you've got to you know, just like always be giving, 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 giving. There's been a strong emphasis on giving, on working, on serving some external authority, some society or some church or some boss or some corporation or, or whatever. But let's look at the glory of receiving. And, and let's, you know, let's, let's feel worthy of receiving. 
that we are beautiful, that we are special, that we are abundant, that we are, it's, it's like not feel guilty or ashamed of our existence and that, you know, you only get what you pay for and, you know, nothing is free and blah, blah, blah. There's all kinds of, I swear, it's this kind of conditioning, okay, you know, they're trying to turn humanity into slaves, <laughs> you know. And and they've used, you know, guilt and shame and religion and laws and all this kind of taxes and, you know, all this kind of stuff to just go, you know what, you are here to work and serve and give, you know, and, you know, and, and don't you just like sit around and be lazy, right? You know, don't, don't just indulge, you know, don't just have your cake and eat it too. No, 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 no. That's wrong. That's bad. So I, I. I feel like there has been, you know, kind of a negative slant really thrown on the feminine through these patriarchal times. And it's time to own it. It's time to take it back. And this Jupiter, Uranus, North Node, and Taurus is the time. The time to feel comfortable in our bodies, to, you know, to really enjoy, enjoy life, enjoy nature. Enjoy ourselves and, and, and engage and express our joy through wild dancing, through romance, through candlelight dinners. Through blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, so this Leo, you know, Venus and Leo, what does she want to do? She wants the freedom to express herself. And, and, and let's face it, we're all strange, we're all bizarre, we're all unique, we're all different, you know, and, and there can be a fear of rejection, a fear of judgment, a fear of losing or being wrong or being laughed at or being called ugly or, you know, tripping as you go up to the stage or, you know, doing karaoke and singing off key or, you know, you're going out to the dance floor and looking dorky. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, Leo has to, like, really deal with this fear of rejection, right? And and and, and that, that's what gambling is. You can lose. You can mess up. You can look stupid. That's what stage fright is. And some of that is ego, right? You know, it's just like, oh, I'm, you know, my ego is afraid. I've got to, you know, I got to, I'm not, I don't, I don't dance. No, no, I don't sing. No, I don't, I don't put myself out there. I don't expose myself. I don't make myself vulnerable. Oh, no, 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 no. That's, but guess what? You're missing. Not only, not only are you missing these opportunities for enjoyment, for letting go, releasing and having fun and, uh, you know, love, but you're not manifesting anything. You're not. You're not, you know, you're not gambling. You're not, you're not risking yourself. You're not, you're not coming out of your safety zone in order to make yourself new. So you are not renewed. You are not rejuvenated. The sun rules Leo. It gives us this life energy. And so this Venus and Leo for the next few months is about receiving, right? That light from the sun. And, you know, and the moon brings down, okay, this, you know, this, this powerful purpose. And it's up to us to overcome our fears and overcome our, you know, our, our, our fear. Maybe it's a fear of applause. 
You know, uh, you know, a, a fear that you know, if if we do a really good job, they're gonna want more. <laughs> you know, or you know, like, oh, you know, what do I do with all that attention? Or you know, if everybody's you know looking or clapping or letting, you know, then I've got. Yeah, I mean, so you know, it's not only fear of failure; it can be a fear of success. <laughs> I mean, it's like the stories we tell ourselves. You know, it's like, oh God, it's just really, you know, it's it's, it's very amazing. So, yeah, you know, this this is this energy that I really feel is is coming. We've had, you know, a a, a big bundle. Okay, we have had. Chiron, Jupiter, North Node, Uranus, Sun, Venus, and Mars all in, you know, Aries, Taurus, Gemini for, you know, for a long time. And, and now it's, you know, it's time to take that instinct. Okay. That, you know, that, that inner gold, that the jewels that we have within and put them out there. And when we put them out there, okay. Then, you know, when we plant our seeds, when, you know, when we, you know, make a painting or write a song or, you know, make something new that's never been seen before, done before, heard before, felt before, the moon gathers that up. And, and then we come back to the banquet table. Like, you know, I'm coming back to that Sabian symbol at the end of the day. After we've gone out and we've created and we've expressed and we've taken risks and, 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 and we've brought something new out of ourselves, right, and given it to the world, then we've got something to harvest. Then we've got something to bring back. Even then I could say that we're hungry because we have, you know, we've taken the nourishment We've we've taken the power, we've taken the life force, and we've utilized it. We've done something with it. And this can even not just be the day or the week. You know, like the Sabian symbol says, this can be our life. So that when we're on our deathbed, when we're looking back at the end of our lives, and we're looking back over what we've done, did we take the opportunity? Did we seize the day? It always reminds me of the Dead Poets Society. I don't know if you remember that movie. I may, I might be dating myself. You know, it's Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. Great movie about seizing the day. Yeah. Seizing the moment. Taking the opportunity to not only put ourselves out there, but then receive back. Right. You know, like like take it all in, take the light, take the applause, take the money, take the, you know, take the joy, take the the touch, take it all back in and relish it. And then we've got something to be grateful for because we've done this exchange. We've done this giving and then we've done this receiving and it's, you know, and, and we're doing this dance with life. This is another Leo thing, you know, this dance with life. And we're not on the sidelines. Okay. We're not in the, what do they call that? You know, at the football field or the baseball Leacher. field, the, uh, we're not in the. Leachers. Ah. Shit's been too long. The dugout. Oh. We're not in the dugout. <laughs> We're not on the sidelines watching it go by. But we are in there 
playing the game. <laughs> Let's play the game. And, and, and we get this sense that, you know, what's, what's so beautiful about this time period, really, you know, this Jupiter in Taurus is giving us that confidence. It's giving us that sense of self-worth. It's like, yeah, by God, I do have some gold to share. I, you know, I do have some talent and I do, I am capable. You know, I'm going to like, yeah. So Jupiter in Taurus is like, you know, go for it. And the North Node in Taurus is like, yeah, you're awesome. Just as you are. So, you know, it's, it's something. I, 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 I think, you know, there is this kind of thing. You know, with that whole patriarchy and and Leo has gotten a little bit of a bum rap, you know, it's like, oh, don't be egotistical or like, who do you think you are? You're so awesome or special or this, that or the other thing. But, you know, uh, it's fun. If we look at it as a game and we don't take it, you know, it's drama and life is a drama. And, 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 And we're just here. You know, this is just another lifetime in a series of lifetimes. You know, and we're just doing this play and we're playing this role and we're following this script. It's not really us, but we discover our truth and our power through this particular script and playing this particular role in this particular life. And we don't have to take it as the reality or the or the end all because there's another life and another life and another life. But it's like, you know, for this lifetime. Get dressed up. Yeah, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I could use a haircut. (laughs) But, you know, you know, know, fancy yourself up, put on some nice clothes, get out on that dance floor, you know, razzle and dazzle and and you'll be glad you did. And what it gets easier and easier the more you do it, the more you it out the more you put it out you know it's it's not as big of a deal your stage fright goes down you know every new play every time they open the curtain (laughs) you know in front of an audience you have less stage fright less stage fright less stage fright you know it just yeah it, it becomes oh wow it's like a muscle that we can work this creative self expression And our creative self-expression is giving back to creator, giving back to source, giving back to great spirit, giving back to God. It's an act, right, of thank you. It's, you know, it's, it's like, yes, thank you very much. You gave me this body. You gave me this voice or you gave me this talent. And and it's like, I am going to, you know, make the most of it. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to waste my talent. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to utilize every gift that I have been given by Gaia, by, you know, by, you know, Father Sky and Mother Earth. And I'm going to like really, you know, Leo wants to leave a legacy. So this Mars and, you know, Mars and Venus moving through Leo, you know, and of course, even the sun in Gemini is just like, you know, come on, sing it, speak it, write it, publish it, you know, network, get all your friends together and, you know, you know, do ceremony, do rituals, celebrate life. Ow! So the mantra for this week, I give glory and thanks to creator. 
for the gift of a life on this earth. And the more I enjoy all I've been given, the more I see what it's worth. Yeah, it's a, I, you know, I, I, want, I want to sit with this mantra this week. I want to, I want to repeat it over and over to myself. I want, to, I want to give thanks to these flowers that are blowing in the breeze behind me. I want to give thanks to the river. I want to give thanks to the Canadian geese. I don't know if you saw them or not. There's a whole bunch of Canadian geese around here. But I just think really that, you know, a good way of giving thanks, expressing our gratitude to spirit, is to really fully enjoy and indulge yourself a little bit. I actually bought a key lime pie last night. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a splurge. It's like, oh boy, look at that key lime pie. <laughs> oh my God. So, you know, yeah, the moon coming through here, blah, 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 you know, on, on her way back through Aquarius and Pisces. She's going back to the sun. And that third quarter square is coming up when? When did I say? That Friday? Uh, sun square moon, Saturday. Saturday. Saturday is, you know, a good day to enjoy a good banquet feast. It's actually my uh, my third daughter's getting married on Saturday, so it's a it's a beautiful. We're gonna have a banquet. We're gonna have a feast. It's really awesome. So, anyway, yeah, one more time for this week's mantra. Here we go. I give glory and thanks to Creator for the gift of a life. On this earth. And the more I enjoy all I've been given, the more I see what it's worth. It's worth a lot. It's worth a lot. And we can do a lot. We can create a lot. And we can change a lot. And we can grow a lot. And just like these flowers, we can, you know, we can open and and we can share ourselves a lot and get the most out of life. Ow! Yeah, baby. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. So, I don't know, the song I, 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 The song for this week, I, I was thinking of, you know, I, Homeward Bound, just like keep, you know, was uh, kept coming up for me, but mm-hmm. and then games people play. Oh, the games people play now. Every night and every day now, but you know, it should be something, you know, think of your own, uh, uh, theme song for this week and, 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 it, you know, have it be about gratitude, you know, have it be about fun, have it, but the incredible lightness of being, right? You know, it's like, you know, fireworks, explosions. It should be maybe something from Greece, like, you know, dance, uh, dance the night away, or I forget what songs are in Greece, but that's, anyway, flash dance, something, whatever. Right. Yeah. Have a good week. Have a good weekend. And, um, namaste. Aloha. So much love, baby. Ow. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
pass the talking stick back to you, Richard. Okay. I'm looking at next Saturday's chart. When we get to next Saturday, around 10 o'clock at night, we're going to have the next new moon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because remember, the, the full moon in Sag was at 15 degrees in Sagittarius. All right, so you go. Third quarter is the middle of Pisces, and then the new moon is in the middle of the uh, middle of Gemini. But the sun is also moving, mm. so the new moon is going to be at 27 Gemini, square mm. Neptune. And at the same time, Mercury is going to square Saturn this week. Mm. It'll be at 12 Next Saturday, Venus, uh, Saturn is at 8 going retrograde, so we'll have Mercury square Saturn, and Jupiter will still be square Pluto, but the big thing, look at this, Jupiter at 7 and Uranus at 22, mm. all right? There's 15 degrees of difference, so at 7.5 to 7, you get 15 degrees of Taurus. The midpoint between Jupiter and Uranus is 15 Taurus. Now look at Leo. Venus will be at 12. Mars will be at 17. And the midpoint is... 15 Leo. <laughs> so you're going to have Venus conjunct Mars square the midpoint of Jupiter and Uranus. Mm. That's a very powerful yep. Taurus-Leo square condition. Mm. Not an easy one to negotiate. And when is that, Richard? Next Saturday. Oh, brother. Okay. New moon with uh, four pretty potent squares. All right. You got uh, you got you got Pluto, Jupiter. You got Saturn, Mercury. You've got Sun, Neptune, and then you've got Venus and Mars to the middle of Taurus. Wow. Along with Sun conjuncts, Moon conjuncts Sun. And that'll all, that'll be building through the week. The, uh, you know, Mercury's moving pretty fast now. Because tonight, like it's at 30 degrees of Taurus, it's going to move almost 12 degrees this week. All right. So Mercury will be 
coming in to square the Neptune, square the Saturn. The sun will be moving seven days, seven days, seven degrees. The sun will be coming in to square to Neptune. And Venus moving faster than Mars. Venus is coming up to, a, it's in conjunction now and just getting closer and tighter as we go through the week. So that's your week ahead. So I guess just in general, be a little bit cautious. Yeah. Especially if you're out in public. You know, or if you're in one of those larger, larger cities where uh, certain certain folks are upset about their government. You know, we got this big, big thing going on in Atlanta over here. You know, with this uh, uh, oh, police tra- police Top training city. facility they want to put together. Top city. Yeah, well, that's just a, that's just. Well, they killed it's that a- young Hispanic man. They murdered him. Well. Uh, He was sitting and he had his arms up. He was sitting cross-legged in a meditation pose. And they shot him something like 47 times. Yeah, they were putting a warning out. Who's next? Who's next? Now, look. How How many armed conflicts are going on all around the planet? How about that breaking up that dam in uh, in Ukraine? As many as Empire can get going is the answer. Yeah, well, uh, empires are not a healthy thing for humans. No. <laughs> That's a statement and a half, yes. All right, let's go listen to Tanya. Okay. Beware, beware the empire, beware the uh, military-industrial-pharmaceutical complex. Oh, and, and big tech complex. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Oh. Oh. No, the astrology and numerology, the star codes... Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the astrology and numerology, the Star Codes, so that we can navigate whatever is upcoming with the most positive attitude and wisdom possible. And in this case, it is a very big event. We are going to look at a trine between Pluto and Mercury, and you may wonder, well, that isn't really such a huge event. Well, it is this time around. It does happen quite often. However, this time around, it's happening while Pluto is retrograding back into Capricorn, so hovering between zero degrees Aquarius and 29 degrees Capricorn, and Mercury moves from 29 degrees Taurus 
to zero degrees in Gemini, which happens to be its own sign. So we have a beautiful trine between these two planets, and we're going to go into what the meaning is in a moment, but it happens also on June 11th, which opens the 11 master number portal of being so present that nothing else matters except this now moment. That is what 11 truly represents, which is why it is the psychic master number. Because when you are intuitive, you are in the present moment. You're not focused on the future or the past. So Pluto at zero degrees Aquarius, it dipped in in March. Now on June 11th, it's dipping back into Capricorn until early 2024. It's going back and forth over the late degrees of Capricorn and zero degrees Aquarius, which is extremely powerful, which is why there's so many transformational purging shifts and aha moments that are bringing up the truth during these couple of years and beyond. So Mercury governs what we say, what we speak. And Mercury is moving into its own sign, Gemini, which is the sign of communication. It does govern the third house in astrology. So the third house governs short distance travel, our siblings, and how we communicate and media. And because this trine is happening at the zero point degree, it is resetting everything. Now, Pluto is the slowest moving planet and Mercury is the fastest moving planet. So we have that incredible juxtaposition of light and dark, curiosity from Mercury and profound truth from Pluto. And the trine is the most harmonious aspect in astrology. So it's giving us a huge opportunity here to create some magic. And magic is in the code as well, because June 11th, 2023, adds up to a 15 universal date. And 15 is the number of spiritual alchemy. So it truly is about love, abundance, uplifting others through joy. So this present moment awareness on June 11th, 15 universal date, spiritual alchemy, spiritual magician, Super enhancement of present moment awareness here. A focus on uplifting others, on uplifting choice of communication, on smiling as opposed to closing down. You know, Pluto feels things deeply. And when you share something from the heart, Pluto ensures that it has a powerful impact, being the planet of power. And Mercury governs our ability to be curious. And so we have this empowering drive to discover new answers and just go towards uh, refreshing new perspectives that are based on truths that appear that were unseen before. So conversations are deepened as well in a joyful way, in a loving way. So... Mercury enters Gemini, Pluto re-enters Capricorn. Capricorn governs our long-standing systems, our structures, our ability to get work done. It governs career. 
And with Pluto and Capricorn from 2008 until 2024, we have a huge responsibility to relook at those long-standing structures and seeing what doesn't work and purging that. So that is really coming to a head in 2023 and 2024. And so this Mercury trine is helping us to see how best to do that. Now, another transit on June 11th is Venus square Jupiter. And these are the two benefics, the planets that bring positive energy coming together in a square, which is very activating. So it does enhance the optimism and the happiness as long as you guard against extravagant behavior or Keeping spending to a minimum, focus on beautifying your life and on pleasurable events and festivities and celebration. Now, with a square, you may be more sensitive when relating to your loved ones governed by Venus. However, you're open to new emotional experiences. And this is what the whole Mercury, Trine, Pluto message is to begin with. So June 11th opens the 11 gateway into the present moment, and it's going to be clear that shifts only happen in that moment. Playing, having fun, feeling happen in present time. They don't happen in the future or in the past. So the power of words that you speak in the moment will become very apparent. The power of words will become very clear to you at this time because the words that you entertain in your mind, they create your reality. And what you pay attention to determines the experience of your life. Often the subtleties and beauty of life are missed because people are giving attention to what seems more obvious. Especially these days, we have so many distractions with our devices and going online and just the bombardment of stimuli that our mind is is more full than it has ever been, right? There's no more room really for more info. So the words that we choose to entertain in our mind will often create feelings of restriction and tension, Because they're not focused on what truly actually matters in terms of joy, peace, and love. However, some words can do the opposite. They can actually bring those feelings of incredible harmony and joy and being at peace instead of those feelings of constriction because you're overwhelmed by everything that is bombarding you. And these special words do calm you down. They do speak to truth because they actually relate to a different area than your mind. Your mind is not your feeling area. So when you hear these words, the truth actually calms you down. And what happens usually is the words that we do have running through our head aren't very soothing. They're infotainment or information And they move quickly through our mind. So notice that when you have thoughts in your head that zip through, as opposed to going slowly, that reality is actually much more slow and simpler than the mind imagines it to be. So in a few seconds, the mind can hop from one thing to the next, 
literally go around the world with the thoughts and be very stimulated by that, but they aren't deep. They're more empty. They're not completely satisfying. They're lacking something of true value. The mind's thoughts and words don't satisfy because they actually aren't real. But when you have words that point to an actual truth, an actual feeling eliciting a true dynamic connection within you, they can be very satisfying because they bring you to your true nature. They bring contentment. They bring a sense of joy, right? You feel a sense of peace. And these are peace, joy, contentment, love. They are what they are. They're satisfying. They're very simple. And when you experience them, you don't need anything else. You're not lacking of anything else. But when you're just having info run through your head, you crave more and more. It's addictive. Love is very subtle. And I'm not talking about when you fall in love. I'm talking about love, the love of Everyone and everything and every flower. Everything that, that appears in your life. That is a very subtle feeling. And you can feel it whenever you choose to simply by noticing that love is always there. But you may need to quiet the mind first because the mind is not going to focus on love. The body and the mind are not that tuned to that subtlety. You need to tune in to love. So one other frequency that is similar to love is joy. It's a little different, but it's just as subtle and it is just as nourishing. It refreshes your experience of life instantly. And so this is the shift that you're looking for. So we're going to, in a minute, focus on some words that will help you get to this place because Mercury trine Pluto is at the zero point and 29 degree, critical degree in astrology, asking you to experience a major shift in the way you choose your thoughts, which thoughts to actually pay attention to and which words to use. And if you don't regularly nourish yourself in this way, you turn to addictive habits because you have a natural hunger to satisfy your essence. And when it's not fulfilled, you're, you're going to turn elsewhere, right? So you're going to hunger for one thing after the other. And this hunger is what drives you. If it's never satisfied, then the mind just keeps focusing on new thoughts and new desires and wanting more and more because the imaginary world of the mind is not going to fulfill your essence. It's like a picture that you see of something that is beautiful or delicious and it's just a picture. You're just looking at it, but it's not real. That is the mind. So pictures and words are symbols of reality, but they're not reality. And they communicate to you, yes, but they don't satisfy the soul. So if you live inside that mind of pictures constantly, you're not going to feel fulfilled because you'll always be hungry. You'll feel unsatisfied. You'll still have an appetite for more. There'll be an emptiness and incompleteness. 
you'll feel divided as a result. You know, do I do this? Do I do that? There's no sense of just being in the moment grounded where there is not division. So the subtle world where the divine lives, where love lives, can't be accessed through the mind. It's only going beyond the mind. So Pluto trying Mercury at zero point degree is going, taking your mind beyond the chatter, beyond the distraction. It's getting out of your mind and into your body and then going deeper from there. So what do I mean by getting out of your mind and into your body, which is the first step? Think of something you love. Like for me, it's ice cream. I love ice cream. And it can be any ice cream, right? I mean, I don't do dairy. I do coconut, a coconut version with, you know, no cane sugar and coconut sugar, whatever it is, right? So I have my version of ice cream, but I love ice cream. Now, when I think of ice cream, it sets a lot of thoughts in motion. And the thing is, the thoughts then feed each other. Where do I go to get it, et cetera, et cetera. The mind just doesn't land on a thought and stay there. So the thought of ice cream spawns more thoughts of ice cream, right? And it then runs away with that topic. So now I'm going to focus even deeper. I'm going to focus on the body, bringing into the body. So I'm thinking now of eating the ice cream, how that makes me feel. And it's a really exciting yummy thought because it I pause now and you know you can think of your own food that you like maybe it's chocolate maybe it's something completely different an avocado but if you like ice cream you experience some happiness just thinking about eating it and that's how the body is the thoughts can evoke those feelings and those feelings are felt in the body because now you're in your body You're not in your mind anymore. You're literally bringing the feeling in here. And as long as you don't allow a thought to take you back into your head, you stay in the body. And that's where happiness belongs. It's the subtle realm. It's felt in the body as subtle energy. And you can use other imaginations. So, for example, if you love someone, you love a pet, you love something, you imagine that being with them, the love for them. And it that takes you to the subtle realm right away. It's an experience of love. And it's the, a brilliant use of the imagination. Thoughts that take you out of the mental realm and into the body and into your senses and into the subtle world of sensation, they create a bridge to the divine, to your true divine nature and joy and peace and love and affirmations and prayers, positive thoughts, optimistic thoughts can take you out of your mind and into that place. And that is reality. So when you use words as bridges to experience the divine within you, you're making a choice to do this. So, Focus on those things. Know that you are the space in between. You are not 
the mind. The mind does not make these choices. You can take control, which is what Pluto wants. Pluto is empowering you. It is the planet of empowerment. And there's only one energy source that can choose anything. And that is who you truly are. That's the real you. The false self thinks of itself as being the words in your head. And those words didn't come from the real you. They came externally. They are external distractions that pop into your head, but they don't accurately represent who you are whatsoever. Pluto trying Mercury at the zero point is literally saying, stop going to your false self. It's just an act. The real you, the only you, has been here all along. It's been making choices either from that divine place or making choices from your ego, your conditioning, your programming. So as the divine self starts waking up, it chooses more and more to not get lost in the false identity, the ego identification. And this is the awakening. This is the spiritual process of waking up. The you is waking up now and it's increasingly aware of the thoughts that are coming into your mind and their effect on your body and on your energy. And the more you become aware of how who you truly are, the more you're able to choose to live in reality rather than in the mind's <laughs> imaginary false sense of reality. And then you are able to live in peace and love and joy and contentment more and more and more. So this is the awakening that is being spurred on by Pluto trying Mercury at the zero point. It's really an important moment, June 11th, master number moment. And to help you even more with this moment, have a look at my free masterclass, How to Master Your Stars. We come from the stars. And in this masterclass, which you can watch at spiritualmasteryclass.com, it's going to change your life by helping you take your power back, showing you the secrets to spiritual mastery, the true meaning of your rising sign, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness, and your natal sun and natal moon's profound impact on living a life of peace and love and joy. It also will reveal how to instantly connect with spirit and many more secret tools. So enjoy that free masterclass at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Have a beautiful week. A beautiful June 11th moment, which will last for a while. So enjoy that Pluto trine Mercury. And I will see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. Lots of love.
I think she made a good point there. Yeah. Richard, can you say that again? You broke up a little bit. That's a good point. Pluto trine Mercury. Transformational thinking. Mm -hmm. May it flood the world. Yes. Agreed. All right. Namaste. Namaste. Until we meet again, Richard. Have a good week. See you next week. Namaste. Okay, Rama. What is that number for calling on the conference call? Um, 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. All righty. And so we'll be there. And we'll be there for an hour. And then at the top of the next hour, we will be right back here at BBS Radio, best radio in the universe. And may we all have everything we need, want, and desire in abundance and prosperity and bliss. Okay. See you at the conference, everyone. Thank you, thank you. Namaste. Are you done? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know I heard him say F you a few times, Roa. What can I say? <laughs> but he was uh, at the end of the song. He got in the. I was a road along the along or along a stream, and he sat in the middle of it, cross-legged, and did his meditation. Yeah. In other words, he was saying, you know, I was made for this. I came in here to straighten things out and. You did a darn good job of making it hard for us all. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, okay, so. Welcome back, everyone. This is uh, by request from Penny. We are going to start with the collective dark night of the soul. This is Open Minds with Regina Meredith, and her guest is Andrew Harvey. What do we all need to learn from the dark night of the soul? Mm. Mystic and religious scholar Andrew Harvey shares the larger-than-life lessons we can all learn from painful and difficult times, both collectively and as individuals. Through his transformative work, Harvey teaches us how we can burn away illusions to connect with sublime divine intelligence. (coughs) We find out who we really are and go forward in sacred compassionate action. This is 45 minutes and so let's get started, Rama. Let's get started. This is a time of savage grace. If you want awakening, 
Because this time will strip you of your fantasies and illusions and offer you a path to radical union with the divine. If you're brave enough, the great Hindu mystics tell us that there are four stages, difficult, serious, dangerous, and then lethal. Where are we on We're that scale? We're in dangerous. Oh, We're dangerous, on the cusp okay. Of lethal. All right. It's a dying and a birthing at the same time. Be aware of the birthing because that will give you purpose, meaning, and joy. The triumph of the depravity of lies is a sign that extinction is now possible for the human. If we don't get real, I'm here to help people at this moment die into life so that they can know what I am. So many others now know, which is that there is a new life coming for the world. Andrew Harvey is a mystic who believes that our shadow is our greatest ally and the only path forward is to make friends with it. This is the one thing many people in the spiritual communities want to avoid, like the plague. But look around the world. Truth time. It's so good to see you again, Andrew. It's been a few years. It has, but how lovely to be back. Well, I have to say, because it's been a few years, that means that we have all a big new audience. And I can't help myself. I have to share how I first saw you, met you, and fell in love with you. It was at a New Age conference. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And I believe it was in um, Vancouver, B.C., and Barbara Marks covered a lot of them. Oh, God. I remember. Oh, that one. Yes. Jose uh, Arguello yes. and others were there. And you got up and spoke toward the end. And I didn't. I'd heard of the great mystic and orator, Andrew Harvey, but I didn't know what to expect. Well, let's say you silenced the room. You weren't silent, but the room became silent. <laughs> and you basically said, there's no daydream meditation or rainbow bridge that's going to get us where we need to go you have to do the work and we are not doing the work in this room and you went on and it was like everyone was like this and i thought oh my god he speaks the truth (laughs) so i immediately had to i came up to you and said may i interview you right now you were you were perspiring and everyone was in shock and i said let's go do this now and you were kind enough to grant me an interview oh god i never forget it (laughs) No one will forget that, Andrew. So, Andrew, you're a passionate man. You're a mystical man. You have a huge heart and are full of love. But you also see the danger in the times we're in, which you're calling a really dark night of the soul evolutionarily for humanity. We all chose to be here at this time. So, please. Well, first of all, it's absolutely lovely to be with you again, because I remember our meeting also with great joy. And I remember the wild interview that oh, yeah. followed. <laughs> yes. You know, this is the worst and the best of times. It's terrifying because the entire world, the whole of humanity, is being plunged into a global dark night, a series of unspeakably difficult crises, all of which are manifesting at the same time. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are mystics and who have been through dark nights ourselves, when a dark night of such intensity appears, we know that something amazing is being prepared. When you look at the great evolutionary mystics of humanity, They all know that we were going to come to a period like this because we've been living in 
hubris, fantasy, and delusion. But they also all know that this crisis has been perfectly designed by sublime divine intelligence to burn away our illusions, to initiate us into the truth of who we are, and to help us come together to co-create a wholly new way of being and doing. Absolutely. And not only that, I think it's important for us to keep in mind that as souls, we chose this. Oh, we yes. chose to be incarnate right now. Everyone, every people can say, oh, I would have never chosen this or what a horrid time to be alive. No, you chose it. But you chose we it for chose a reason. For you a know, reason. I, the real yes. reason, I believe, is that this is a time of savage grace. If you want savage to wake grace. in, here's the time. Because yes. this time will strip you of your fantasies and illusions and offer you a path to radical union with the divine. If you're brave enough, if you're wild enough, if you do the work, this time will give you everything. Radical grace. I love that. So when the way you describe the dark night of the soul is when you've come to a point where life is now, you can't find the meaning to it anymore. And it's a kind of malaise and depression that overcomes humanity. And I see, we're seeing a lot of that. There's a lot of suicide. There's a lot of every kind of substance Violence. abuse on the planet. The growth of authoritarianism. All of it. Paralysis. Yes. Everything. Yes. And so most people are looking, people here are awake. The people watching you now are awake, but also not knowing how to proceed forward. We've come out of the dark night of the pandemic where people have chose, had been siloed themselves into taking positions, choosing sides, and hating on one another. This is the worst part of all. So talk about that for just a moment, about the division of consciousness and being pitted against each other through media and social media. And then I want to go into the fact that this is actually an initiatory process, and we'll talk about it. Well, one way of looking at this dark night is looking at it as the Hindu mystics ask us to look at it, as Kali Yuga. Mm-hmm. And the great Hindu mystics tell us that there are four stages, difficult, serious, dangerous, and then lethal. Where are we on We're that scale? We're in the last lethal. part of dangerous. <laughs> oh, We're dangerous, on the okay. Cusp of lethal. All right, all right. So in this stage, and this is known, this, they've written about it. Yes. In this stage, there's Everything terrible divisions. Yes. Waves of consciousness up yes. and down. Up and down. And Throughout in this history. stage, there's going to be terrible suffering, yes. terrible division, people hating each other for ridiculous reasons. And it's cosmic. And it's cosmic. It's not just here. It's not just here. So it's, go ahead. It's a process. Yes. And it's a process which is designed to really wake people up to the necessity of diving deep into mystical practice so Mm -hmm. that they can find out who they really are Mm -hmm. and go forward in sacred, compassionate action to help build a wholly new way of living. So it's going to get very much worse even than it is now, alas. But it has to because we're incredibly sick and the horror that we're going through is chemotherapy for the cancer of selfishness and divisiveness that unfortunately we've become possessed by. But when you know what the dark night truly is, which is a birthing process, 
That doesn't mean you just relax. It doesn't mean you just say, oh, it's going to be born naturally, the new humanity. It means that you dedicate your whole being to the new birth that is trying to come through. Major course correction. Everything. A major course correction in every aspect of your life. Well, we're watching it in institutions. And as the astrology is lining up, it looks like we have a lot more change ahead. Oh, yes. For several more years at least. In the falling of institutions that we're familiar with and we depend upon, yes. even. But they don't have to transform. Talk just about the darkness. I mean, no, think about all transform. the wonderful light that's appearing too. The amazing new visions of the future that people are having. The breakthroughs in energy. We can dwell too much on the darkness. It's important to see it and face it. But, but it let's has to look break at down to let the new come in. Through. It has to. Yes. This, this is just a natural process, yes. just like cellular growth and death yes. to be replaced with fresh cells in yes. our body. So we have to say it's okay. We have to be okay with what falls apart yes. in our lives and then be ready to be a co-creator in what we're going to be giving yes. birth to. But the co-creation part is really important. That's that's action. That's the crucial part. Yes. And radical regeneration, your book, you your other one I, what I did with you was radical passion. Yes. You're about action. Yes. It's very easy to dwell on the dark. But what I encourage people to do is to develop what I call birth eyes. In the middle of all this madness and chaos and horror are appearing extraordinary new visions of the future, amazing breakthroughs in new energy, extraordinary, ordinary human beings who are risking their lives to stand up for democracy and justice, such as the women in Iran. So what this process is, it's a dying and a birthing at the same time. Be aware of the birthing because that will give you purpose, meaning and joy and dedicate yourself to be one of the birthers in whatever way that is most natural to you. You're just divine. Thank you. Every, everything you say is has truth, and but it's golden because it has that mystic quality to it. it and you say to. when we go through this, kind of mass depression of sorts yes. during the breakdown, during these periods. It's a chance for us to look at the repressed contents of our subconscious mind because they are now going to show themselves. Everything's going to come up mm-hmm. because you're going to discover that you never were as righteous as you thought you were. <laughs> that there were lots of hidden motives. That's <laughs> no, it's exciting because it made you feel separate yeah. and spoiled yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. And let's get real. We need to all be far more compassionate. Well, in the New people. Age community was is particularly complicit in that Absolutely. the way it was run before. And yes. that is also coming to pass now. I it's, hope so. Yes. yes. It needs to go through For a massive a much revolution. More, yes, yes, a mature, mm. acting, yeah. action-oriented spiritual process yes. is what's replacing it now yes. and getting, like you say, roll the sleeves up and start letting the unconscious contents show themselves to you in the less flattering sides yes. of our own character that need this maturation. But this tremendous energy hidden in those repressed sides Mm -hmm. hidden energy of passion Mm. and hidden energy of compassion yes because so many people went on the spiritual fast to feel superior now the mother has organized this terrible crisis in which we are all feeling at a loss so we're all being humbled we're all being more compassionate because we realize that others are suffering also yes and that gives us a new level of skillful means with each other Absolutely. We can face each other as human beings 
and reach out and say, what do you need? What are you battling with? This is what I'm battling mm-hmm. with. Does it resonate with you? Let's help each other get yes. through this. Yes. Mm. Now, one of the confounding parts of it is in this uh, kind of spoiled character that humanity has taken on mm. in recent times in this, this decline to awaken us is that we've untethered ourselves from objective truth. Yeah, and God. we're now in a yes. post-truth world. Yes. And you and I are both very concerned yes. and passionate yes. about this topic. So please. Well, the triumph of the depravity of lies is a sign that extinction is now possible for the human race. If we don't get real. If we don't get real. And if we don't agree on some established facts, we have to agree that there is a climate crisis. Mm-hmm. We have to agree that capitalism in its current manifestation just isn't working. There are too many people living in too dreadful circumstances. We have to agree that we cannot go on treating animals in the way mm. that we're doing because a million species are on the verge of total vanishing. So unless the truth, which is very difficult to face, gets through to us, we won't be able to work with what we need to work with to build a new world. You can't build a new world out of lies and out of denial. Absolutely. You can only build a new world out of facing where you are, going very deep into yourself to find the divine consciousness that we're all secretly one with and coming together in sacred action. That's the way forward. Absolutely. But you can, a word pops up that people... I utter all the time. When you take the totality, the totality of it in, you're overwhelmed. Yes. I think, oh, oh my God, there's too much to even look at. All I can do is just, just let me do my little part well and let other people address the bigger issues. Well, now on one hand, there are people who are, who were born to and designed to take on the big issues and move them forward. But you say that everyone needs to be aware and do a little part, even a tiny part. When people say to me, oh, I don't think I can take on all of this, I say to them tenderly but firmly, you tremendously underestimate yourself. True. Because you don't yet know who you really are. If you took your spiritual practice more seriously... The divine is ready to flood you with power and strength on a level that you cannot yet imagine. I know this from my own life, because in order to be the kind of teacher that I've tried to be, to bring what I hope is the truth to people, I've gone through many multiple hells and great sufferings, but I have always been saved, helped, redeemed, transformed, and given the strength to go forward. So I know whereof I speak. So I am just saying to people, I get why you feel paralyzed and despairing, but have faith in the great message of the great mystics. Have faith in spiritual practice. You'll find you won't be overwhelmed by what's happening because you realize that what's happening is happening out of a fierce love mm-hmm. that truly wants one humanity to end so that another can be born and participate in that birth and you'll have more joy than you can stand. So true. You're talking about connecting the source. Connecting with source and connecting with each other. And each other. And each other. And we don't 
uh, unless you've had a near-death experience or a kundalini awakening, almost all of which happens accidentally to people, mm-hmm. most people have not experienced that rush that you're speaking of, of all of the support and energy that comes in when but it's they can. It, you nothing, can. It's course. all right there. Yes. You can call it in. Yes, you can stop doing practices. Yes. Just start one. Just yes. say the name of God by whatever name yes. you love God. You'll find that if you do it sincerely, it will open doors you didn't even know existed. Yes. The, there are such powerful, simple practices which if people get with them right now, instead of feeling depleted and paralyzed and in denial, You'll see that you'll be given the strength to stand what's happening. You'll be given the insight that a birth is being prepared and you'll be given the energy to go forward and do things that you never imagined that you were capable of. I'll give you one example. I was just going to ask you for one. Perfect. (laughs) I've been to this amazing country called Namibia, which has taken my breath away. It's astounding. It's naked glory and it's God without clothes, beyond dogma. Mm. It's just the most amazing place. And I heard of a person there called, I won't mention her name, but what she decided years ago, 10 years ago, she was in Minnesota, she was living an ordinary kind of life, and she was happy. And then she saw that all the cheetahs were disappearing in Namibia, and suddenly, for no reason, she decided she was going to save the cheetahs. This is a middle-class woman in an ordinary part of Minnesota. She told her husband, the husband said, you don't know anything about cheetahs. She said, but I can learn. Anyway, she went to Namibia with $10,000. She poured her energies out. And now there are twice as many cheetahs as there were when she turned up. She would never have imagined that she was going to do something like that. She just followed the voice of her heart. She had the guts to do it. And the universe organized her success. I love it. That will happen to people if they trust enough. I love it. Now, do you mind if I read a little poem? It's kind of along the line of what we're speaking of Not from your book. No, this God. book, it's like, turn me to gold. Yeah. 108 poems of Kabir and you've translated and you have wonderful photographs from Brett Hurd. This is a, this is a book you want to just sit with. This is your book now. You gave yeah. it to me. I know. And I just, Oh, the photography and Kabir. So this is this particular poem says this whole world is a field of action. You plow it to raise a rich crop, but the wild deer of attachment ruins the harvest and most return empty handed to the barn. So let's talk about this because as you say, it's a field of action, which you plow. Right. But attachment. So talk about what this poem from Kabir means in context of what we were just speaking about, even. Well, you said it when you said we all chose to be here. Yes. And I think our fundamental choice to be in this time was for the kind of total awakening that this time can give Mm -hmm. because it's so ferocious. So attachment. If you come to this time and don't realize that what it's asking you to do is to rid yourself of your attachments and illusions and plunge into divine love and offer your whole life up to love in service. Yes. You're missing the point of having chosen this incarnation. So get with the evolutionary program of the divine, accept its terms, do the work, turn up, and you will go full 
to the bar. You'll go with your arms full of the golden wheat of your own sacred actions and realizations, and you'll return home joyful, knowing who you really are. But you may have to go through a heartbreak or two, and that's okay. Everybody that's goes. That's where the maturity comes from. The greatest from. mystics have to die oh, into life. You have exactly. to die into life. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Of making mistakes. Don't be afraid of potential Heartbreak in this process. Well, listen to Rumi. Can yes. I quote oh, Rumi? You quoted Kabir, but these yes. are the two great kahunas. Yes. These are the big, they are the big guys. They are the big guys. And Rumi says, the grapes of my body can only become wine after the winemaker tramples <laughs> me. I surrender my body like grapes to his trampling, mm -hmm. so my inmost heart can blaze and dance with joy. Mm -hmm. And although the grapes go on sobbing, blood and screaming, I cannot bear any more anguish, I cannot bear any more cruelty, the trampler stuffs cotton in his ears and says, it is I who am the master of this world. You can deny me if you want. You have every excuse. But when, through my passion, you reach perfection, you will never be done praising my name. The whole story of our time is in that The whole story. We need to oh, surrender so that we can beautiful. be taught the deep meaning of what we're going through. It won't be easy. There will be moments when we Our scream and shout. grapes are going to be crushed. They're going to be crushed, but new wine, wine. is oh, being gosh. pressed from that crushing. Okay, and so. when we taste it, and I have tasted it in this life, I know that I'm not exaggerating or lying. I'm here to help people at this moment die into life so that they can know what I and so many others now know, which is that there is a new life coming for the world. A vast, amazing, utterly extraordinary new kind of humanity being born. And we're going to go through hell to get there, but the doors are open to that unbelievable possibility. That is so beautiful. I could say, cut, we're done. We're not even going to finish this interview. It's true. Thank you for sharing the <laughs> poem from Rumi, but also for sharing your own extension of that, because yes. you're right. Everybody can feel the correctness in it. So it almost feels tedious to go through the rest of the talk, but we're going to. Oh, we'll make it <laughs> So I want to go back to something we talked about in the beginning, and that is in the classically new age, which is dying, that's dying. Thank God. Yes. Thank God. There was... I've done everything I can to inter it. Yes, you, oh boy, you have. Yes, you have to tear it down. Mm -hmm. But there's a denial, as you've put it, denial of harsher realities, right. using fake compassion and cheerfulness and too, too easily giving forgiveness, which makes it hard to tell the truth. Right. Talk about those statements. There's a great difference between happiness and joy. Happiness comes and goes. Joy comes from deep connection with the source. And I think that New Ages have made a devil's bargain because fundamentally they've wanted to be happy and cheerful. And that has meant for them excluding the horror, the pain, the agony that is actually happening. But in excluding the horror and the pain and the agony, 
What they haven't gone through is the kind of process that breaks you open to radical compassion and makes you far humbler and far more truly initiated into the source, which brings joy. I was going to say, like, access to joy. So you think you're preaching joy, but you don't know what real joy Joy is. is. It's so much deeper. And if you really say, as so often in the New Age you hear, don't judge, you're really being absurd. You don't judge in the sense of don't hate and don't ever exclude anybody from the possibility of transformation, but see clearly that some people have chosen very dark things and are doing very, very dark and dangerous actions. And that needs to be recognized and, that needs and acknowledged. To be recognized. But yes. without hatred, right. you don't have to despise them, but you right. do have to recognize right. what they're up to, otherwise right. they can potentially destroy at this moment the whole human That's enterprise. True. Let's get real. We have a lot of sociopaths, psychopaths, and yes. narcissists, and authoritarian figures right. on the world stage right now. And we need to be aware of it. This is global. It's global. Because it's a global phenomenon. It's a cosmic but phenomenon. But it's also part of what this crisis is about. Mm-hmm. The mother is saying to us, don't be stupid. Yeah. <laughs> don't be blind. Yeah. See that some people out of vanity and delusion have chosen the dark. Mm-hmm. Realize the dark is powerful. And realize that through their choices, they are now threatening the future of humanity. Don't hate them. They are my children. They are your brothers and sisters. But be very clear about your responsibility. And your responsibility is to choose truth, choose justice, turn up as humble, sacred activists, and do everything in your power to prevent them destroying everything. Yes. And if you turn up like that, I will help you. Mm-hmm. And you will see that together we can build a much more harmonious and just world. Yes. And help these people who have chosen right. the dark right. overcome their crazy appetites and become humble, loving communers with me. That's what she's saying to us. Yes, absolutely. Now, speaking of the feminine, okay, yeah. the great mother, uh, I'm going to say, we'll talk about something that I found interesting in the moment, this man, uh, Andrea Villa, a man who works with other men in raising consciousness, said to me, whenever I would see him, I'd say, how are you doing? Are, are you happy these days? And one day he said, stop asking me, he's Italian, stop asking me if I'm happy. Men aren't Happy. We experience a lot of things, but happiness is a thing that women wish to experience. That's not what men are looking for. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for substance or joy. They're looking for passion and so forth. But happiness was relegated to a different category in his mind that only women participate in. How crazy. I think he has a ghost of the truth. I think what men are really looking for is a quest, Mm -hmm. something that they can pour their whole being into that's noble. And that Mm -hmm. is really going to help. I think that's what the the deepest and richest men want more than anything. And I think that was at the basis of his teaching with other men. And um, he, he was 
he was quite interesting, but that was just sort of a shocking statement to me. Say we're not we're not looking for happiness per se, but that we're looking for these other, as you say, to this fulfillment in life that can feel as though it's beyond our grasp and create despair. Right. Women, it's a little different with us. We have um a different sensibility when it comes to the collective. Right. So we're more wired perhaps to nature and the collective on certain levels. But this need for harmony, peace, we call it happiness amongst our tribe, our household, our friendships and so forth, is of tenement importance to women. We don't distinguish between happiness and joy per se, even though in your speaking of it, you can feel the difference. But we need both. We need both. And one of the great characteristics of our time, and I'm sure you know know this and see this, is how many utterly amazing women are rising up as leaders. Yes. Especially African-American women. Yes. At this moment, just saying, we are here to guide us through. So there's a way in which you could bring those two statements together. And it might be something like this, is that the... Men need to realize that the goals that they set themselves, the noble goals, should be in protection of life, in cherishing of life. Yes. And women are the ones they need to learn that cherishing from. The mm-hmm. divine feminine will teach them mm-hmm. the truths of life. And then their goals won't be destructive. They'll just be furthering the, the growth of, of life. life. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, here's another area you talk about. To go through this, we have to, and I thought it was a very interesting phrase, negotiate extremely stressful ambiguity (laughs) at all times. I I chose things that, to me, I thought I really want to hear Mm. your explanation, while remaining in a radical state of unknowing. Yes. So explain this to us. We're not going to get very far. I've got so many questions, but this is, you're so wonderful. You've chosen wonderful things. So tell us about that. To negotiate extremely stressful ambiguity while remaining in a state of radical unknowing and why this is so uncomfortable for people to not know. We've been brought up in a culture that is a fix-it culture that demands solutions and clarities as it demands waffles. That has had a tremendous effect and given us a lot of power, but it has made us in some ways profoundly spiritually stupid because the divine is beyond any concept and any dogma that we could ever create. And the only way in which you're going to be endlessly expanded in wisdom is by understanding that you don't know. And resting in what the mystics call unknowing knowing, being at home with not knowing, knowing that if you can stay in that humble position, you'll be given what you need to know. And you'll know how to respond. And you'll know how to respond because instead of bringing to the moment or the problem all of your assumptions, all of your passionate desire to have everything cleaned up immediately, you'll be bringing the fullness of your humble, clear presence. Mm -hmm. And in that humility and in that clarity, you'll be given by the divine Mm -hmm. these solutions which you could not have imagined (laughs) before. That's been my experience. It's the experience of all mystics. But it's the key to how to get through this period. Because one of the things this dark night is revealing to us 
is that any solutions that we make out of the consciousness that we're in at the moment, however noble and intelligent it may be, are not going to work Mm -hmm. because that consciousness is what's going to be transformed. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, and that's very tough to accept, if you just surrender, as the poem by Rumi suggests, Mm -hmm. essential, surrender in unknowing trust, you'll find that you'll be given the equilibrium and the spaciousness to see things as they are and to respond from your own innate divine wisdom in ways that will shock you by their Mm -hmm. effectiveness. Mm -hmm. But everybody has to discover that for themselves. But when they do, it's so thrilling. Yes. Okay. Mm. So the antithesis of that right now, you're bringing up all these beautiful things about humanity and where we're headed. And I'm, kind of tossing in the challenges we face. Oh, God, yes. As you know, I've written a lot about those challenges. Yes, you have. Mm. Being in this humble state Mm -hmm. of not knowing and accepting the ambiguity until the answers come. The opposite of that is an explosion of mental, emotional disorders such as narcissism. Yes. How and why? Why is that becoming so center stage? They are desperate at all this destruction and dissolution. And if they don't find the mystical guidance that is being offered, they are going to retreat into authoritarianism, into fantasy, into delusion, into narcissism, into denial. Lack of empathy. Lack lack of of empathy. That's why I'm working. That's why all of us who are trying to be midwives of the new are working overtime at this moment to try and help people get to the much richer realities. Otherwise, they'll be threatened by these solutions, which will only make extinction more likely Mm -hmm. and not help us at this point. Okay, so let's go through the the, th- the four R's. Okay, mm. we're gonna go. We'll go into them because this is the helpful part here. This is the real okay. part. Yeah. Reconnection. We need to reconnect with our source. We need to reconnect with nature. We need to reconnect with each other as sacred friends and sacred companions. We need to reconnect with animals. Yes. If we do this rich work of reconnection, Trees. we will become much wider and more spacious and have find that we have far, far more strength available to us because the whole universe is trying to help us at this moment. The divine knows exactly what we've created out of our madness, but is offering us simple ways to really, really get down with what can truly inspire and strengthen us. And reconnection is the beginning. You mentioned nature and something just popped into my mind. Seems tangential, but maybe not. As we know from the existence of homeopathy. Yes. But the the waters of this planet are by the moment taking in cosmic information. Yes. We don't stop and think about the waters as being an embodiment of this cosmic knowledge at all. We just put some chlorine in it, purify it, and turn it on. Turn on the we tap. Totally. Objectivist view of everything. And it's so tragic. Yeah. I, I just I can't help but think that exposing ourselves to the natural bodies of water on the planet can't help but be incredibly fulfilling and Absolutely. uplifting on an auric level, a physical level, and on spiritual every level, level. But nature on every level. <clears throat> yes. If you do reconnect with adoration with nature, mm-hmm. Rumi said something so wonderful. He said. 
Adore the beloved and the beloved will reveal to you that each thing that exists is one drop from the beloved's river of infinite beauty. Mm. So if you reconnect with a tree or an animal or a plant with that degree of tender, humble, unknowing adoration, you already are coming into connection with the cosmic force of creativity. Mm, Absolutely. It enhances your whole being. Now we go to resistance. Resistance. We need to resist the tendencies in us for limited, separate thought and action. We need to resist the sides of ourselves that don't care, that want to be paralyzed, that don't want to face what's happening. That want to make enemies. Don't want to make enemies, don't want to stand up Mm. for the truth and justice. And that takes courage. But reconnection will give you the courage Mm -hmm. to resist. And we need to stand up when necessary against those who are trying to destroy the experiment. Resilience. Resilience comes from recognition and resistance. Because when you reconnect deeply with the source and realize that you are being asked to resist your own dark impulses and to stand up for justice in the world, you discover that you're so much stronger than you ever imagined you And you discover also that there are others there who will help you and who will join you and who will dance with you and who will love you and who will encourage you. And through that discovery, you become resilient. You become able to dance with life instead of trying to impose your own pattern upon life. And you discover that you are able to weather much more grief and difficulty and heartbreak and pain than you ever knew you were. And with more grace and harmony. And you bring it up in the book because you were raised in India the first nine years of your life. And it's a special place in your heart. And you talk about how there, where people are living with almost nothing, how easily they share Oh, and God, joyfully yes. they share. The Indian poor are my teachers. Oh. They are the most resilient people in the world. And they are the most joyful. Yes. And that resilient, you're right, because how wonderful that you brought that up, because one of the things that makes the Indian poor so resilient is their true compassion for each other and their willingness to do everything they can to help each other. Mm-hmm. I have a great friend who's a rickshaw driver. He makes perhaps $2 a day. I help his family, but I have been so overwhelmed by the love they all share. They are all there for each other every moment of every day. And they are resilient as heaven. They really are extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, And that's the place where we're going to go to too. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. And it, but it's more than beautiful. It's the key to how the human race can survive this terrible passage. Being there for one another, truly. Being there. And cultivating and encouraging. Exactly. Yes. Okay. And finally, we come to regeneration. And here I have the question, who do I want to be in this difficult time? Well, regeneration, in the way that I've been exploring it in this book, Radical Regeneration, has many, many different meanings. The deepest meaning is the goal for this huge dark night. The goal is the birth of an embodied divine humanity. Mm-hmm. It's the second coming, which yes. is not going to be the return of some avatar, but right. the rising 
of the golden yeast of love consciousness in millions of beings. And this transformation we know from the great mystics is not just a transformation of consciousness or of the heart. It's also going to be a transformation of the body. Mm-hmm. Yes. So as we cultivate reconnection, as we cultivate resistance, as we experience resilience, we are entering this evolutionary mystery in which we're going to be transformed in mind, heart, soul, and body. And with the powers that come in the course of that amazing Truly, transformation, longer we'll be regenerated. strength and exactly. vitality. We, but the powers that we have of intelligence and passion yes. and truth, they will help us not only regenerate ourselves, mm. but regenerate our whole way of being and doing everything. Yes, everything. Everything. So I want to get to this before we sign off today. And it's that the Western world has um, lost sight of the wisdom of elders. Yes. <clears throat> and you say this is at our own peril. Yes. And this has to be reestablished. Yes. And so, but we don't want the old way and we don't want charlatans and we don't want things by rote. So talk about it in a complex form of what? finding the elders that have the wisdom we need now. Elders aren't just older people. There are some elders I know who are in their 20s. That's true. And it's really respecting wisdom Mm -hmm. and respecting and listening for people who will tell us the truth in an encouraging and loving way. They are the elders, whether they're 22 or 35 or 85. The thing, there are three things that characterize a real elder. The one is, the first is that the real elder will not flatter you. Because the real elder knows that if they flatter you, they are endangering you. They will tell you the truth in a simple, clear way. The second thing that a real elder will do is to radiate love, compassion and encouragement. Because they know from their own experience that however tough things are, if you rise to the challenge humbly and receptive to grace, you will be fed strengths that you need. And the third thing that the elder will be and do was to be there for you. They'll say, don't, you don't have to do this on your own. I'm here and we're all here in this together and we're going to do it together. Those three things, and those mm-hmm. can be in any age, mm-hmm. but those are the three qualities that we really now need in our leaders, in our mm-hmm. guides, everything. But there's some amazing elders on the Planet. Think yes. of Jane Goodall. Yes, yes. Think absolutely. of the Dalai Lama. Absolutely. Here they are. We must get yes. with them because mm. they have everything to offer us at this moment. And this is what I'm trying to be at this moment of my life. And you are. A joyful elder. Well, and also the, my final point here that you make, and that is to be a sacred warrior. Yes. And midwife. Yes. During this process. Both. Both. Yes. Yes. So you are that. But let's talk about the nature of the spiritual warrior before we say goodbye. Well, I say be a midwife warrior. And that means for me, bring together in yourself the deepest compassion with the greatest possible courage. Mm -hmm. So it's not being just a midwife or just a warrior. It's being a midwife who is birthing the new and standing up for it and being a warrior 
that is attuned to the sacred feminine, to life at the deepest level, protecting life. And to be life, of service to that. To be of service to that. So I believe that the new humanity will be, in the deepest sense, androgynous. It will be neither male nor female. We'll go beyond those categories and each being will fuse in their own unique way mm-hmm. the deepest sacred feminine with the wisest and kindest well, sacred masculine. Well, that's when masculine. we reach that ultimate enlightenment as the human species. Right. Certainly. But and that's so, the goal, and we yes. can start working towards that goal yeah. right now. Anybody listening can start. That means start letting that. go of the patriarchy. Gone. Yes. Bye bye. Well, the patriarchy is gone. Obviously. No, it's, <laughs> it's going to cling to its go. power, but it's over. Oh my God. In, it's in the heart, mind of God, it is finished. Yeah. Right now. And the final thing you say, I love it, which is act in a noble way as best you can. Yes. It's because nobility is contagious. Yes. I love that. Andrew, I love you. I just, I love your wisdom and your uh, oratory abilities to be able to convey things in a way that we can hear. Just beautiful. And not only that, you just become richer and wiser with the years. Just more beautiful with the years. So I just want to thank you. Thank you. Thank Thank you for taking the time to be here and also for having written this book and continuing to be that sacred warrior and midwife. Thank you. And because you're showing the way for the rest of us. Thank you. Again, the title of the book is Radical Regeneration, Sacred Activism and the Renewal for Our World. You can find it at major booksellers. You might also want to watch my previous interview with Andrew here in the Gaia Archives. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Oh, boy. That was stellar. Thank you, Penny. Yeah, I, what, Rama? Oh, huh? Do you want to play now? The, uh, biogeometry, creating a new golden age. Yeah, we get there. This is by Robert J. Gilbert. Mm. How has ancient Egyptian energy? science been given a modern rebirth as a universal system linking the singularity with zero point energy techniques robert j gilbert phd reveals the fractal nature of our universe through exploration of biogeometry and the history of its founder Egyptian architect and natural scientist, Dr. Ibrahim Karim, explore these inner worlds that connect every individual to the divine plane by unleashing your true essence through ancient Egyptian energy practices modernized by Dr. Gilbert and Dr. Karim. And this one is 40 minutes. And I see, Rama, you found it so yeah. All right, here we go. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Robert J. Gilbert. 
In this episode, we will explore the ancient Egyptian energy science we introduced back in episode one to its modern rebirth in Egypt today as a truly universal energy science. This is the amazing story of biogeometry and its founder, the Egyptian architect and natural scientist, Dr. Ibrahim Karim. I've been very fortunate to have known Dr. Karim for over 20 years and to have him as my own mentor in biogeometry. The practical vibrational energy science in biogeometry is more extensive, more precise, clearer, and safer than anything previously revealed to the public. Before we get into the specifics of the remarkable practical applications of this new energy science, let's look at one of Dr. Kareem's most important new discoveries. He identified a profound natural power which can harmonize the energy field of all living beings, and which was not known at all to the French researchers. Dr. Kareem asked the question, what is the vibrational quality, the power of the center rather than the outer boundary? And with that question, he opened up a vast new world for balancing the energy of living beings. Dr. Kareem was able to identify the energy quality coming from the center discovering that it is a universal power without polarized specialization. It is very different from any of the 12 band vibrations discovered by French researchers, bands which nature uses to create specialized powers, which makes things individual and different from one another. The energy of the center performs a very different task. It unites and harmonizes all the diverse powers of creation, which manifest through the different bands, so that they can all work together in harmony, rather than creating chaos and destruction. This vibrational field of the center of any physical form holds a powerful resonance with the original unified field state, which spiritual traditions refer to as the divine plane, the unified source of all creation, the one from which all things come. The fractal nature of the universe creates a microcosm in every physical object, in every physical body, of the original zero-dimensional point which gave rise to creation, which modern physics calls the singularity. This original center created the sphere of space and time out from it, in what physicists call the Big Bang. This original center, the singularity, is what appears microcosmically in the center of all physical objects. Every center resonates with and channels into the physical world the energy quality of that original unified field energy. As Dr. Kareem himself puts it, the center is a transcendental gateway beyond space and time. He means this quite literally. The center is a gateway to a vast inner world Dr. Karim began to put together the puzzle pieces regarding how ancient spiritual texts are in fact advanced books of physics, a physics of energy quality, which goes far beyond our modern physical science of quantity. As a simple example, we described how ancient traditions understood the point in the center of the circle to be the thought form in the mind of God behind all physical creation. This symbol was the image for the Godhead, for the Freemasons and the Rosicrucians. 
the symbol of the sun for astrology and the symbol for gold in alchemy. However, this pattern is actually an energy circuit diagram showing initiates where to find the energy of the one, the unified field, the Godhead in the center of all physical forms. The surrounding sphere shows the crystallized physical boundary around all physical objects, which holds the different specialized powers and functions of the 144 subbands of the vibrational spectrum. In summary, we can say that the French radiesthesia researchers had cracked the code of all the different specialized vital energies which give physical beings and systems their unique powers through their discovery of the vibrational spectrum bands which appear on the periphery of all objects. Dr. Kareem then added the missing master key which unlocks nature's vital energy system. The discovery and practical application of the energy quality of the center. This is the gateway to the unified field which balances all living beings, which harmonizes and centers all the diverse energies of the vibrational spectrum. With this, the keys to the lost ancient Egyptian vibrational science have been restored in our lifetime through the work of a modern Egyptian researcher. Dr. Karim, in over 50 years of intensive research, found ways to directly detect, concentrate, and practically apply this universal harmonizing energy from the center, along with the polarized energies from the French research. Dr. Kareem calls this power of the center the one energy quality, the unified source of all that is. Dr. Kareem spent decades mapping out precisely which sacred geometric shapes, which sounds, which number sequences, movements, angles, and proportions can resonate with and radiate this profound harmonizing energy into the physical world. This is the foundation of the new energy science of biogeometry. Dr. Kareem was able to develop a radiesthesia pendulum, which would emanate this energy from its tip, and which can also detect the presence of this energy from any person, place, or thing. Students and practitioners use this pendulum to detect the increasing intensity of this harmonizing energy when applying biogeometry design methods and when transforming the energy field of living beings or transforming earth energy lines, electromagnetic fields, the energy in homes and offices, etc. Part of this vibrational pendulum's resonant design is 16 disks which help manifest the energy quality of the center, which is why it is known as the BG-16 pendulum. Dr. Kareem has also developed more advanced versions of the French vibrational tools to detect the 12 bands of the vibrational spectrum, which are also used in practical biogeometry methods. These tools can also differentiate the harmful from the beneficial components of each band of energy. Dr. Kareem found certain subbands within the French 12-band system, which resonate particularly strongly with the energy of the center. Early in his research, he had identified three qualities within specific subband locations, leading to the concept of the Biogeometry 3, or BG3, to identify the energy quality of the center. 
The term BG3 became known as the technical name for this universal harmonizing energy of the center. Since that time, Dr. Karim has gone on to identify 28 specific subbands within the French 12-band system, which resonate intensely with the energy of the center. These 28 subbands are applied together in some advanced biogeometry energy balancing tools to create very strong beneficial energy fields. One of the key components which resonates with the center is what Dr. Karim refers to as the higher harmonic of gold. This is a literal golden energy emanation, the same as is described in spiritual traditions all around the world. This is the golden radiance found around the heads or the entire bodies of the saints. This golden energy quality resonates more strongly in a person's energy field when they connect to the center, to the divine. So a saint is someone who has a very strong golden energy in their field at all times, because unlike most of us, they never fall out of their resonance with the divine plane into lower states of consciousness. This golden energy is the marker of connecting to the center, to the divine plane. This golden energy appears in a person's energy field during intense inner experiences of prayer and blessing, when we literally connect to the divine. Ancient traditions knew that this golden energy from the center can also be manifested through temple science applications of particular sacred geometry shapes, of sounds, colors, number sequences, etc., which Dr. Karim has rediscovered in his over 50 years of intensive research. This BG3 energy of the center is the universal donor, the same healing energy as we connect to in the highest levels of prayer and blessing. Whereas one can get too much of any of the 12 bands of polarized energies discovered by the French because they push energy strongly one direction or another to activate or sedate, the BG3 energy connects everything directly to center to its own perfect equilibrium point. You cannot overdose on the BG3 energy of the center, but you can overdose on too much of any polarized energy from the 12 bands, which would create imbalance through too much yin or too much yang, too much sedation or too much activation. Dr. Karim has been able to make biogeometry a truly multi-dimensional energy science going far beyond modern materialistic science, which can only detect energy on the physical and electromagnetic levels. Dr. Karim was able to discover the geometric forms which resonate with the many different planes of nature using the seven planes model found in modern Western esotericism. He found that the zero dimensional point, the immaterial center, is what always connects to the divine plane. Whereas the circle, the boundary of creation is the form which resonates with the physical plane. Dr. Karim revealed a deep secret within sacred geometry that specific geometric forms act as antennas to connect to energy from specific higher planes of creation. Dr. Karim was then able to identify the geometric forms which resonate with all seven planes of nature. These geometric patterns are taught in the advanced biogeometry trainings making it possible to detect or direct specific vibrations to or from any plane. In the human body, 
these different planes appear microcosmically as our physical and subtle bodies. So for example, the geometric form which connects us to the astral plane, which is our first subtle body of consciousness, is the form of the pyramid or hemisphere, which we saw in our last episode as a form which radiates the mysterious negative green carrier wave used in ancient Egypt. The pyramid and hemisphere are also then the forms which we can use to detect and direct energy in our own emotional body. Because our emotional body is in fact our microcosmic piece of the astral plane inside ourselves. Dr. Karim then discovered the geometric shapes which act as tuning antennas for the subplanes of every plane. These are modifications of the core geometric shape of the overall plane itself. Here we see the geometric forms which can connect us to the 12 subplanes of the astral plane, which again appears within the human being as our emotional subtle body. This is the true energy science behind what we think of today as sacred geometry. Because this energy science of biogeometry is so profound and far-reaching, it can be challenging to find short descriptions to try to summarize it for the public. Biogeometry is sometimes referred to as the science of creating sacred power spots, because what sacred power spots really are is the places where this divine universal harmonizing power concentrates into a particular area. Every power spot radiates strong BG3. In fact, it is the defining characteristic which makes an area a true power spot. Biogeometry methods for detecting the energy quality of the center can detect any power spot anywhere on the Earth. This includes major power spots such as Giza Plateau, or even tiny power spots which exist in every home or office, which can be amplified through biogeometry techniques to balance energy in a location. Because the human physical body is a fractal, a microcosm of the Earth itself, we also have power spots in our body, just as the Earth does. We call these power spots in our body chakras, acupuncture points, etc. These power spots, whether on the Earth or in the human body, or even out in space with planets, stars, etc., can be detected at a distance through photographs as easily as in person. Biogeometry can also create through design methods the same energy as found in natural power spots on Earth at any location including in homes and offices. It is truly the science of creating sacred power spots. Another way that biogeometry is sometimes described is as nature's own design language of shape, sound, color, motion, number, angle, and proportion. It reveals and makes practical the design methods which nature itself uses to create all the energetic functions in the world. Biogeometry is also known as the physics of quality, a rebirth of ancient knowledge into a new energy science, which complements and expands our current physics of quantity into a truly holistic and complete energy science. The first 20 years of Dr. Kareem's work in developing biogeometry were done quietly in his own home, while he was known to the public only for his architectural design work. Then in the early 1990s, a director of the Egyptian National Research Center 
invited Dr. Karim to have his work in biogeometry evaluated there. At first, the assembled scientists and medical doctors at the research center were quite hostile to Dr. Karim and to the entire idea that geometric forms could emanate subtle energies which affect living beings. They presented Dr. Karim with the challenge. With two fast-replicating yeast cultures placed in Petri dishes, he was to kill one using only a geometric form and leave the other untouched. Dr. Karim replied that biogeometry is not for killing, establishing at the outset his firm ethical boundaries in using this work only for good and never for harm. Dr. Karim then stated that he would paralyze the life functions in one yeast culture with a simple geometric form, stopping its normal replication, but not killing it, while leaving the other culture replicating normally. This was easy for Dr. Karim, based on his knowledge of the specialized powers of the different vibrational bands, especially the negative green band. The results of this first project are described in the scientific report titled Observations on the Interaction of Biogeometrical Shapes and the Growth of Microorganisms. This is from the National Research Center of Egypt. It was authored by Professor Dr. Badr el-Din, the head of the Department of Microbial Chemistry. After stating the success of the experiment, the author went on to say, Further experimentation on this type of interaction between the biogeometrical shapes and a variety of microorganisms is a top priority. The essence of this type of interaction seems to surpass explanation through our traditional and classical knowledge in basic science. This highly successful result led to the formation of a working group at the Egyptian National Research Center led by Dr. Karim to study the effects of geometric forms on life functions. Again, this is truly biogeometry. After proving that geometric forms emit subtle energies which affect living beings, Dr. Karim was invited to participate in the Egyptian National Hepatitis C Research Project, being held at the Pharmaceutical School of Al-Azhar University in Cairo, which is one of the oldest universities in the world. Hepatitis C has been a major issue in Egypt and throughout North Africa, leading to this comparative study of all available remedies in both allopathic and alternative medicine. Everything from Chinese medicine herbs to pharmaceuticals such as interferon were included in the project. Dr. Karim is not a medical doctor, and he always emphasizes that he simply does the work and then leaves it up to the medical authorities to report on the results. He makes no medical claims whatsoever for biogeometry. He lets the medical authorities describe its empirical effects. One of the incredible new methods which Dr. Karim has developed is known as biosignatures. In this method, Dr. Karim used radiesthesia principles to tune into one specific band of vibration inside the human body, and then to painstakingly trace out the precise movement pattern of that energy within an organ, a gland, or other physical body system. Dr. Karim had discovered that the powers of each vibrational band become expressed through specific movement patterns of energy within different parts of the human body. One of the key principles of biogeometry is energy into shape creates function. 
This means that energy is programmed to perform a specific biological function through putting the energy into a precise movement pattern, creating what we think of as a shape. Again, this is truly biogeometry, the programming of life functions through the geometric shape pattern of how vital energy moves inside the body. Dr. Karim had found that when the energy movement pattern becomes distorted in the body, whether through physical injury, the presence of pathogens, emotional suppression, etc., that the associated health function then becomes impaired. This understanding that correct internal energy movement is essential to health and impaired energy movement leads to illness is a classical concept found in Chinese medicine and many other traditions. However, Dr. Karim created an entirely new process to solve the issue. He identified many hundreds of these three-dimensional energy movements inside the human body, then simplified them down to two-dimensional outlines, which he calls biosignatures. Dr. Karim found that when a person had this biosignature energy movement pattern projected into their energy field, or if they wore that pattern on their body, that the correct energy flow pattern of the biosignature could couple with the impaired flow in the body's energy system, restoring the correct flow pattern and thus the needed biological function. Not only that, when properly drawn, the biosignature also emanates the BG3 energy quality, harmonizing the effect of the polarized power of the vibrational bands found within that particular biosignature. And so the doctors running the Egyptian National Hepatitis C Research Project were surprised when Dr. Karim told them that he did not want to personally meet anyone in the group of 300 Hep C patients in the group that he was assigned. Because he said that once they saw the results that he was going to get, they would then say that somehow Dr. Karim had auto-suggested the results to the patients if he had met them. So what Dr. Karim did is he simply used radiesthesia to test for which biosignatures people with hep C needed. This turned out to not only be biosignatures for the liver functions, as would be expected given that hep C roots in the liver, but also required the addition of biosignatures for the heart, for immunity, and for other functions to get the full needed effect. These first biogeometry medallions from the 1990s, containing the needed biosignatures for the patients in Dr. Karim's Hep C research group, were printed similar to computer chips. Current biogeometry medallions are available to the general public and are not made for specific illnesses. They are collections of biosignatures for general wellness. In the first stage of the project, the biogeometry medallions with biosignatures were given to 300 Hep C patients for six months. The only treatment they received was wearing the medallion with these biosignatures, nothing else. The results were an astonishing 90% normalization of enzyme levels, much higher than anything else tested in the entire project, much higher than any other pharmaceutical, any other type of alternative medicine, the head of the project for the Egyptian government, Dr. Taha Khalifa, announced the results on national Egyptian television. The 
Although not all participants were tested, some participants also showed complete viral clearance. Dr. Kareem has now made the majority of biosignatures public with his recent book entitled Biogeometry Signatures. Although the complete radiesthesia methods for working with them are too involved to be described in the book. The complete radiesthesia methods for applying biosignatures are now available to the public through international biogeometry online trainings. After these successful results with human subjects, the next project was to show beneficial biogeometry results with animals. This was first done with the Chick Farm Pilot Project, with monitoring and reporting by Dr. Ahmed Hussein and Mahmoud Nasser of the Egyptian Ministry of Agriculture. In this project, Dr. Karim had the poultry facility stop giving antibiotics and growth hormones to the chickens and instead change the vibrational harmonics of the building in which they were kept. For this project, he used another of his innovations, which he calls color balancing. In this method, colors are placed in specific locations inside the room to create the needed energies. However, this is usually misunderstood by those not trained in biogeometry who think that it is similar to color therapy in using the energy from the red band or the yellow band, etc., directly. In fact, in this method, the color used is unimportant. It is not that color which creates the effect. It is the placement of that specific color in an extremely precise geometric location in the room, which then activates the energy of the center of the room. In other words, the correct geometric placement of the color creates strong BG3 inside the entire room or building. To create the effect, the exact placement of any color must be determined through direct radiesthesia testing. It's not based on any rigid pattern of placement. Different colors will require placement in different locations of the room to create the activation of the center effect, which creates BG3. The results were dramatic. The chicks stayed healthy without the use of any antibiotics. They reached full weight in 37 days rather than the usual 45 days it took when using growth hormones. And the amount of food consumed to reach full weight was reduced, showing more efficient utilization of the food consumed. Not only that, but the flesh of the chickens was full of BG3 energy quality from having grown up in this enriched environment. This same effect of having a growing body integrate BG3 deep into its internal structure can be created for any animal, plant, or a human being by using biogeometry techniques to fill their living environment with BG3. The next project was to prove that the benefits seen with humans and animals also applies to plants. One early project was conducted at an apple orchard with Professor Peter Moles at an agricultural university in Holland. Dr. Kareem instructed that his biogeometry section of the apple orchard not be given artificial fertilizer, nor use any pesticide. He was told that if they did not use pesticides on his apples, that they would be absolutely destroyed by pest infestations. So in response, Dr. Kareem gave an incredible demonstration to the farmers. Dr. Kareem placed a color on a wooden stake and found a plant with an infesting insect on it. Dr. Kareem slowly moved the stake in a circle around the plant, and when the stake reached a precise angle, the insect jumped off the plant. 
When Dr. Kareem moved the stake away from that position, the insect jumped back on the plant. Dr. Kareem showed that this was because this form of color balancing, having the color on the stake move to a precise angle to the plant, created an emanation of BG3 from the plant. This neutralized the weakness vibrational signal from the plant which attracted the insect. As the plant's weakness vibrational emanation calls the insect in to perform its task in nature, which is to tear down and reprocess the plant. And so Dr. Kareem was able to have zero pest issues with his test orchard, despite using no pesticides whatsoever. In addition to using modified color balancing techniques, Dr. Kareem also used specific biogeometric shapes, which created strong BG3 energy fields around the apple trees. This included the L pattern, the 45 degree emitter, and other biogeometric patterns taught now in public online trainings. The result was that the biogeometry apples had higher nutrient counts than the conventionally grown apples, with no pesticide residue, etc. But not only that, another amazing result was seen when the conventionally grown apples, picked at the same time as the biogeometry apples, were kept in a heated apartment for a month. The conventional apples completely rotted through, whereas the biogeometry apples were completely fresh after the month in the heated apartment. Dr. Kareem has commented that this is an important result which requires more research. Today, the food industry is wanting to increase toxic irradiation of fresh fruits and vegetables to stop the decay process so that produce lasts longer on the shelves. But this is killing the enzymatic life force inside the produce. Biogeometry methods are very different because they increase the shelf life through strengthening its vital forces not through destroying it. Another plant research project was conducted with engineer Adele Amar on the Red Sea with sweet potatoes. The Red Sea has some of the highest salt content in the world, leading to very high costs for desalinization. The project was to determine if salt water could be used directly to irrigate crops, if the vibrational quality of the salt water was changed and improved. The conventional answer would be that this is absurd and impossible, but Dr. Kareem agreed to try it. Dr. Kareem created biogeometrically modified containers to hold the salt water from the Red Sea and to channel the water to the growing sweet potatoes and to hold the growing sweet potatoes inside of. These biogeometric containers infused strong BG3 into the salt water, but did not remove any salt whatsoever. The results of the project were astonishing. Those sweet potatoes grown with the fresh water grew normally, and those grown with salt water from the Red Sea with no vibrational modification did not grow at all. However, the sweet potatoes grown with salt water infused with BG3 energy grew better than those with the fresh water. This result completely upends the current scientific dogma that the physical chemical constituents are everything, and that vibration is nothing. This shows that even with the high salt content still present, that this chemical aspect was completely secondary to the vibrational qualities present, which appear to be the primary factor. Another major application of biogeometry has been in experimental work 
with toxic radiations, such as electromagnetic fields. Dr. Karim was invited to the village of Hamburg, Switzerland, following the installation of a large cell tower array into the center of town, which led to terrible problems. Swiss national media reported that citizens in the town had to move to sleep in their root cellars to try to get away from the radiation, and that the songbirds and mammals left the area, and that farm animals that could not leave the area miscarried or had tumors on their organs when slaughtered for food. Dr. Karim used biogeometric shapes to harmonize the emissions from the cell towers and other electromagnetic sources in the area, leading to a dramatic recovery. These biogeometry corrective forms are not electrical. They are based on pure geometric shapes used in combination with tuning in specific energetic angles, which produce both BG3 as well as strengthening energies from the 12 vibrational bands. The results were so positive with a huge remission of local electrosensitivity issues that Dr. Karim was given the key to the city by the Hamburg Town Council, which then petitioned the Swiss national government to make the same modifications to the entire cellular communications grid in the country of Switzerland. This led to Dr. Karim making similar corrections for the nearby village of Hirschberg, Switzerland, this time while being observed by the Swiss Authority for Mobile Communication with similar highly beneficial results. However, all the projects were completely paid for out of Dr. Karim's own pocket and no funding was offered by the Swiss government for any further work. Swiss national media reported on the incredible results from the transformation of the cellular networks in these cities and how they formed a blueprint for electromagnetic field remediation work possible now throughout the entire world. In other biogeometry research on radiation, reported on by the World Journal of Medical Sciences in 2014, radioactive building materials were purchased to make cages for mice. Mice kept in the radioactive cages began to develop tumors as expected. However, the World Journal report authored by multiple specialists from the Egyptian National Research Center, noted that those rats kept in the same kind of radioactive cages, but with special biogeometrical shapes next to the cage, did not develop the pathological lung, liver, kidney, and thyroid tissue effects from the radioactive cages. Dr. Karim was also a friend of the late Japanese water researcher, Masuro Emoto, who showed how beneficial energies create beautiful geometric crystallization patterns in water. It was Dr. Karim who introduced Emoto's work to Egypt. Emoto commented that when he made images of water crystallization changes from environmental energies, that only a small number of the pictures came out perfectly. And these are the ones that you see in his books. Emoto noted that the energy fields from the biogeometry cube as seen here, and from other biogeometry tools, made the most consistent beneficial crystallizations in water that he had seen from any source in the world. Biogeometry training makes deeply esoteric concepts practical and easy to apply. For example, as mentioned earlier, biogeometry techniques make it possible to identify weaknesses 
which can be corrected at any of the seven planes levels. It also allows testing to be done at all subplane levels for all seven planes, for human beings, animals, plants, minerals, locations, homes and offices, etc. These geometric forms, which act as antennas to allow us to test energies on specific subplanes, can also be modified to help to correct the energetics of any of these subtle levels. It's been fascinating for me personally to see the precise imbalances needing correction in people and in their homes on specific levels of the emotional plane or the mental plane, revealing the energetic background behind the issues which arise on the physical plane. These methods allow us to make visible and conscious what was described in the ancient world as the net, the complete matrix of invisible energies and higher planes, which affect the energy and consciousness of every human being, and to then find powerful corrections and activations to help manifest our full spiritual potential. This brief introduction barely scratches the surface of the power and practical applications within biogeometry. There is so much more, such as the precise methods to turn toxic earth energies at any location into a power spot full of BG3. Or the pattern from the Egyptian temple walls, which is used in biogeometry to navigate multidimensionally through the human energy field. Or how biogeometry uses the Taurus pattern, which we described earlier in this series, for advanced space-time navigation, and then applies that pattern to tune and balance the hemispheres of the human brain. Or the story of how Dr. Kareem used radiesthesia to pinpoint and excavate the location of the 12 water springs in the Sinai, which Moses found with his staff for the 12 tribes during the Exodus. As the higher harmonic of gold is the hallmark of the divine plane energies, so Dr. Kareem has noted that the true purpose of biogeometry is to help manifest the great goal of so many spiritual traditions throughout human history, the creation of a new golden age. I hope you'll choose to join us in helping to create this new golden age for all of humanity and for all life on Earth. For more information on biogeometry, including complete online trainings open to the public, please see my website, www.vesica.org. Join us for our next episode, when we will explore the key patterns which create happiness or suffering in our lives, the sacred geometry of relationships. See you then. just keeps getting higher everybody <laughs> all right this one we made an executive decision rama did we're going to play the next one is a wayfinder's path through the unseen and the host is george nuri our good friend and the guest is erica gabrielle how can spirit mediums connect the physical and etheric realms to help us resolve traumas? Medium and Wayfinder 
Erica Gabrielle shares how we can find purpose in our time on earth to help ourselves and others heal on a soul level. I mean, that first gentleman was just talking the same language here. See how Gabrielle describes it through her wisdom. Gabrielle offers her experiences working with law enforcement. Oh, hell. Help. Somebody's got to help that situation. Working with law enforcement, solving crimes, including helping a spirit identify their own killer. Yikes. Well, all right. I'm trying to find you. Uh oh. Okay. Well, we can play the other one if you're having trouble finding that. That sounds a little intense, Lord Grandma. I mean, we could do the Horus Solar Transmission. Yeah, let's do that one. Okay, Okay, we made a different decision here. Okay, this one is called the Horus Solar Transmission. Embracing Full Solar 5D Abundance Consciousness. And this is uh, by um, Steve Nobel. Ready? Mm. And this is 38 minutes. Welcome to this Horus Solar Transmission, embracing full solar 5D abundance consciousness. And this transmission is designed to help you shift from the 3D, 4D frequency band and all modes of expressions therein to a higher band of possibility, abundance and light. So open body, open mind and breathe. with your breath once more invoking the light in the universe from the horizon 360 degrees light from the east the south the west the north into all cells of your body all cells of the body billions of cells and anywhere you are holding low frequency energy in the body on the out breath purge and release back to the universe back to the stars, back to the sun, releasing and purging from your field all lower frequency energies, allowing more light into your body. And following that cycle of breath, on the in-breath light from the horizon, breathing in expansion and freedom into your body, all cells, On the out-breath, releasing limitation, restriction, scarcity. On the out-breath, back to the light. Allowing a higher light, a higher possibility back into your fields. 
rotate from 360 degrees from the vertical plane also above and below from Gaia from the above space from the horizon into your body into the bones of the body all joints or vertebrae light into the foundation of your being light of expansion of freedom of possibility and on the out breath releasing scarcity and limitation and contraction out of your field back to the universe allowing a greater light to return to you a greater light to return to you cycle of breath on the in breath possibility freedom light on the out breath density scarcity restriction team of the highest light and resonance all angels archangels your higher self i am presence all star races working with you come be with you now and i call to the archangels of the horizontal plane beginning in the east with raphael archangel of air of the mind the symbol the caduceus the crystal wand with two golden serpents entwined and where they meet near the top two golden wings as you focus on the symbol invoking from the universe emerald green fire which is the energy of this angel into your field the clear cleanse and also hold the space breathe and open and to the south michael archangel of the element of fire warrior protector angel the symbol of this angel is a sword of light and the energy electric blue fire calling that sword of light and that fire into your field protecting you front back left and right all directions of the horizontal plane protecting you in every timeline from low frequency interference from scarcity frequencies limitation slavery oppression protecting you in all timelines past present parallel future breathe 
to the west, Gabriel Archangel of Water. The symbol is a silver cup or chalice, the energy, diamond white fire. Invite that fire into your field, a waterfall of fiery light cleansing your field. Releasing what can be released from your auric field out of your field, any interference, any thought forms in your energy field, releasing in this shower of light. Breathe and open. Allowing three angels to hold the space, hold the space. Fourth angel, Uriel, Archangel of Earth, of the body, of structure. The symbol is a golden pentacle, a five-pointed star in a circle of light. As you focus on that symbol, invoking ruby red fire into your field. Ruby red fire to cleanse and hold the space. Four angels, four energies, and expand into the horizon. Embracing the energy of freedom, of possibility, of light. Becoming light. And Call the vertical force angels beginning with Metatron of the great central sun to bring down that grid golden white fire into the room, seal the room. Closing off any lower frequency openings in the floor, the ceiling, the walls, the door, the windows. Closing it as a sacred space. And allowing that field now to coalesce like a great ball of light above your head, like a great sun above your head. Beginning to descend the crown chakra that opens, opens, allow this ball of light to merge with the crown chakra, expanding the light there, expanding the possibilities there, expanding the sense of freedom there, releasing anything that is scarcity or limitation. The great sun in the crown. that sun to descend to the center of the head the third eye that opens allow this sun to blaze away all layers, levels, dimensions expanding the freedom, the possibility the abundance, the flow opening your vision
allow that sun to begin to descend to the throat that opens allow your throat to become a great sun of light blazing in all layers levels dimensions releasing what needs to be released expanding the light the possibility the freedom the flow in the throat and down to the heart that opens the heart becomes a blazing sun expanding the light the freedom the possibility growth through joy anchoring into the heart and allow or chakras from the heart upwards to align the great central sun to align with freedom to align with expansion to align with possibility and breathe Archangel Sanophon of the crystalline grid, the diamond white grid of the earth, to bring that light up from the core of Gaia up into the room. Expanding out into the room. begins to coalesce like a diamond white sun the diamond white sun beneath your feet and begins to rise up towards the base chakra and the base chakra opens as this diamond white sun becomes one with the base expanding the abundance of the earth of being grounded on the earth feeling the flow of the earth releasing anything of a limitation or a contraction out of your field bring the light up to the sacral that opens a great sphere of light opens allowing light to all those levels dimensions of the sacral expanding the possibility expanding the flow here expanding the growth through joy here a sense of enjoying abundance positive warm feelings around abundance and flow releasing scarcity all limitation or contraction and bring the energy up to the solar plexus that opens allow this diamond white sun to become one with the solar plexus expanding the light the possibility the groundedness the connection to the earth the light of the earth releasing anything of a contraction limitation and 
up to the heart and anchor into the heart. And then all chakras from the heart down to align with the light of the earth, expansion of the earth, the safety of the earth, the stability of the earth. And breathe. Six angels, six energies, and expand your energy into the horizon, up to the sun, down to the earth. And into this, I call to Metatron to open the Christ grid, the ascension grid. Call the god Horus, the light warrior Horus, and all beings of light working with Horus, all solar archangels, all star races, Syrian, Arcturian, Pleiadian, and others, working with this aspect of the great central sun. And just breathe. And a core for a great pillar of 12D light connecting you to the crystalline core of the earth and the core of the great central sun. A great pillar of light protecting your energy, sealing your energy in a higher frequency of light and possibility. and Horus, archangels of solar light and all masters of light. They ask for purification of all pathways or timelines of ancient karma concerning abundance in any and all of its forms, including money. Lining all pathways and timelines with the resonance of the ascension cosmic Christ grid. all lifetimes, all timelines, please revoke and neutralize all religious programming, renunciation, and any and all beliefs that the material world is sinful or evil. Revoking and neutralizing all old programming of a religious nature. for evoking and neutralizing a full programming, creating a split between abundance and money on the one hand and the spiritual path on the other. Allowing money and spirituality to join, healing this artificial schism that's been going on for thousands of years. no separation between abundance and spirituality. I call 
recall across all lifetimes, all timelines, revocation and neutralization of all soul contracts, anywhere where you have suffered hurt or harm that block abundance, or where you have caused hurt or harm that blocks abundance in this lifetime. Revoking and destroying all agreements, contracts, promises or vows that create any sense of sabotage or scarcity or limitation or struggle around money or wealth. Clear all agreements to grow through scarcity or limitation or suffering. Expand the possibility to grow through joy, through fullness, through trust. upon Horus, Archangels of Solar Light, or Masters of Light in the 5D planes of existence, to revoke and neutralize any family patterns or dynamics that seek to create or recreate scarcity or limitation in your reality. Clear all scarcity and limitation programming originating from the bloodline, releasing and clearing from your fields of reality. I ask for a purification and restoration of all bloodlines within the ascending diamond white crystalline grid of the earth. I call upon Horus, Archangels of Solar Light, or Masters of Light, or Star Races within the 5D planes of existence and higher to revoke and neutralize all and any stories, meanings, beliefs, and identifications across all space-time, all lifetimes, all timelines that hooks you into any scarcity patterning. Clear any and all egoic beliefs that the 3D financial system has any power over you in any way. Clearing all agreements with the Illuminati banking system. Any agreement that keeps you in financial slavery Clearing all imprinting of anxiety, fear, doubt, conflict, drama, restriction or limitation or blame or shame, any programming of slavery or exile or pain connected to abundance or wealth in any of its myriad forms. can neutralize any stories or beliefs it's not safe to be abundant it's not safe to allow money to accumulate in your reality clear and release any stories around abuse or being abused any stories of master or slave anywhere you feel you have to sell your soul for money release all that programming and printing clearing all discordant energies and imprints with light and love
upon Horus, warrior of light, all solar archangels, all star races, all masters of light within the various 5D planes and above, release all unconscious resistance to abundance of wealth. Clear all programming or beliefs that healing or energy work or spiritual work must be done for free. Clear and purify any energies or any codependency around money or any form of accumulated wealth in the base chakra. Call upon Horus, all archangels, archangels of the great central sun, star races, masters of light within the various planes, existence 5D and above. Clear all virtual platforms of interference. Seal all opening through lower frequency dimensions on all virtual financial platforms, including all bank accounts, anywhere where money or wealth is held. Clear and neutralize any interference that seeks to drain, harvest, or divert your light in any way in the form of money. Sealing your energy fields anywhere that is any attempt to drain your energy or any form of your abundance. And open and breathe, open and breathe. clearing in your field, a sealing in your field of light, allowing your energy field to be sealed in light. Allow all platforms, financial platforms to be sealed in light, all bank accounts to be sealed in light. Allow for a greater accumulation of light in your energy field. A release of the lower and allowing of a great accumulation of the higher energy in your field. upon Horus, all archangels of solar light from the great central sun, star races from all planes of existence, 5D and above, to cleanse and purify all channels of money entering into your energy field. Cleanse and purify, allowing for greater ease and flow with money in your field, clearing out any guilt, shame, anger or pain or fear from the collective. allowing money to come in as a pure channel of light. I call upon Horus and all beings working with Horus to assist you in expanding your relationship to abundance and flow and wealth in all of its forms within the ascending purifying light of the Ascension Christ grid. 
called upon Horus and all beings working with Horus within all planes, 5D and above, to raise the frequency of your energy to the highest spectrum of possibility so that you are able to truly receive a limitless, universal, golden, miraculous flow of abundance and wealth. Expanding and aligning your consciousness with more possibility. With your chakra system, with more possibility. So you can more fully accept, absorb and utilize this golden, miraculous, universal flow. upon Horus and all beings working with Horus in the various planes of existence 5D and above to open your heart and mind to a new higher frequency of thinking, believing and feeling around abundance and wealth in all of its forms. Opening the heart and mind so that all forms of wealth and money can be used for your upliftment, growth and also for the upliftment and growth of all others in alignment with their sole purpose and in alignment with yours. and all beings working with Horus to assist you in growing in greater abundance, flow, possibility, prosperity, to contribute to the highest good of yourself and all others around you, including the planet itself. Final blessing of light. Open to receive a final blessing of light.
just allowing the energy in your field to be absorbed. Feeling a greater expansion in your field. Expansion in the mind, in the heart, all chakras within the body, within your auric field. An expansion of possibility. Opening the inner channel to more light. release of all lower energies, all lower agreements, all lower contracts, all lower patterning and dynamics, all programming, all imprinting, releasing, feeling a greater light in the cells, the bones, the blood, the organs, the systems of your body, feeling a greater expansion in all chakras, allowing a greater flow in all meridians. opening up to the great golden miraculous universal flow as if you're part of that flow and your heart and mind can enhance that flow and feel that energy in your body tingling expanding and let's thank all beings working with you in this transmission Horus all beings working with Horus, all star races, archangels of the great central sun, and also the archangels holding the space, the vertical force, Metatron, Sandophon, the horizontal plane, Uriel, Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, thanking your team and spirit of the highest light, your I am presence, your higher self, all beings working with you, This transmission is offered to you always with love and blessings. Love and blessings. Two short ones, but delightful. This one we are going to do is called the Maya Factor. The Arc of Time with Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Is there a connection between extraterrestrial messages and cal and calendar calendars? of the cultures of the ancient world. The Mayan civilization was one of the most important in the pre-Hispanic world, and its complex calendar is the source of many messages, some of which are yet to be discovered, and others are awaiting a clearer interpretation. Find out the numerical meaning behind the calendar and the predictions according to the extraterrestrial's message and what awaits humanity in the coming decades. 
And this is 23 minutes starting now. date for the end of the world? In studying Mayan prophecies, many believe so. But the interpretation turned out to be wrong. Ten years after the mythical 2012, let's analyze together the misunderstood message of this fabulous civilization. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho. Welcome aboard the Ark of Time. As we saw in the previous episode, according to Hopi leader White Bear, the Kachinas, their gods from the Pleiades stars, rescued the survivors of the submerged Cascara to take them to America. One of those places, like I mentioned, was Mount Shasta. But White Bear also talked about other places, like the mythical Palenque in Chiapas. We're talking about one of the most important scenarios of the Mayan culture, where the temple of the inscriptions is found and the mysterious tomb lid of King Pakal Botan, which inspired the imagination of the theorists of the ancient astronauts, researchers such as, for example, Soviet scientist and writer Alexander Kazantsev. It has been interpreted that the Mayan priest was aboard some type of rocket or flying vehicle and that Pakal's hands seem to operate levers. As we see in the image, his feet, in dynamic motion, also seem to be stepping on some kind of pedals. His head is also visibly resting on a support. And next to his nose, you can see some kind of breathing device. Pakal's gaze is looking at what would be the bow of the ship, and at the bottom of the mask, there appears to be a plume of flames coming out, which corresponds to the propulsion of a rocket, irrefutable evidence, or pareidolia, as the skeptics call it. The official version of the archaeologists is that the stone shows the ascension of Pakal Botan from the underworld into the sky. The truth is that, to this day, the debate continues. Is it possible that the Maya had contact with extraterrestrials? Could they be, by chance, descendants of lost cultures dating from antediluvian times? If so, theorists of ancient astronauts think that legacy could explain this culture's obsession with time and prophecies. And there is no doubt that the Maya were one of the most important civilizations of the ancient world. According to official history, this culture emerged in Mesoamerica around the year 25,000 BC, but a good number of scholars suspect that the roots of this civilization could be dated back thousands of years. In fact, the Maya inherited the foundation for their system of calendars from those ancient cultures. We are talking about a complex time measurement system in which a solar calendar called Hobbes stands out, a 365-day civil calendar and a mystical lunar ceremonial calendar called Sokin with 260 days, and the so-called long count, a much broader calendar 
which extends over a period of thousands of years. This lung count was begun mythically around the year 3113 BC, and it corresponds to a period of 5,125 years composed of 13 baktuns. Each of these baktuns contains 144,000 days. These 13 baktuns that are to have started, as I said, in 3113 BC, would culminate sometime on the 21st or 22nd of December of the year 2012. And this led to multiple interpretations. On one hand, the diehard doomsayers and catastrophists thought that the Maya had prophesied the end of the world since our planet, according to old native traditions, had gone through different cycles of destruction either by fire or by water, as the Hopi Indians believed, or as it is also apparently immersed in Mayan beliefs. However, at no time did the Maya talk about there being an end of the world when their long count finished. Others interpreted it quite differently, that from the year 2012, a gradual path of transformation for humanity would begin. Historically, spiritually, which would generate a great mutation, not just for our species, but all over the planet. But within that interpretation, some mystics were convinced that as of December 21st, the Earth would make a giant leap. The ascension to a higher dimension of consciousness, being that the reconnection with the previously discussed real universe time, the fourth dimension or real time of the cosmos, or some even spoke of a fifth dimension, of a frequency of the fifth stage or the fifth scenario, as also referenced in some channeled text. But by all accounts, none of that happened, nor did the catastrophe that many had interpreted, which, of course, was depicted in television series as well as catastrophic films like 2012. Nor was there a great dimensional leap of humanity to the fourth or the fifth dimension. So both the catastrophists and the diehard mystics were completely disappointed. But the thing is, the Maya never talked about it. They simply had a system of time to mark the end of one historical cycle and the beginning of another. In my opinion, according to our contact experiences, of course we are moving towards higher spheres of consciousness. But that path is gradual. The path is step by step, and we still have to continue going through learning experiences. I would ask our audience who is watching right now, do you think that we are already in the fourth and fifth dimensions? Do you think that we have already overcome our problems? Do you think that our humanity is already in that frequency, vibrating in another time-space reality? I don't think so. But we could achieve it if we correctly understand the messages and we do not distort them. One detail that caught my attention in a powerful way within the numeric message of the long count of the Maya is the number 144,000. As I said, every platoon contains 144,000 days. And that has been interpreted in a mystical way that this number comprises the critical mass needed to transform future events. A number, as I have mentioned on other occasions, which also appears in the Bible, in John's vision of the Isle of Patmos. The Apocalypse, 
This led to a channel calling herself Antara Amara to promote a great gathering of many people in different parts of the world to gather the 144,000 who would vibrate in this frequency based on the Maya prophecies. One of the big gatherings, the starting point, was the harmonic convergence in the year 1987, which brought together different consciousness and new age groups. That was the beginning of the meetings of the 1111 portals. According to Antara Amarra's channeling and initiatives, they had to bring many people together in the world in places of contact and places of power, in states of awareness and meditation, to elevate the frequency of the earth. And they celebrated the first 1111 portal in Egypt in the year 1992. Since then, these New Age 1111 ceremonies have been practiced to this day. Although I must also say that all this has been distorted. Some believe that because of the simple fact that on Gregorian calendars, numbers add up to 11 or the date contains that number, an interdimensional portal is going to open and that is just not so. It's true that numbers have a great vibration, a great power, and they can amplify our power of intention. But to say that because a determined number on a calendar, as inaccurate as the Gregorian calendar, alluding to the figure 11, is a guarantee that a dimensional portal will open, that is a belief that has very little foundation. Of course, it is wonderful that different spiritual groups in the world meet in places of power, meditating and thinking about a better world. We must support that, and it's fantastic. But you have to remember how these meetings began, which are based on the harmonic convergence in the Mayan prophecies and in the cycle of calendars that are so misunderstood. Other information related to the mystery of the Maya relates to our sun and its activity with the earth. While it is true that the Maya did not refer exactly to the mass coronal ejections of the sun, apparently they did have knowledge that everything that occurs on the sun could affect the balance of the earth. At least that tradition and that belief is held by many ethnic Mayan peoples to this day. And it also reminds me of the belief of the Amautas, of the wise masters of the Andes. Just like their ancestors, the Incas, they believe that everything that happens with the sun can affect the earth. That's how a mystical interpretation of Mayan prophecies came about, claiming that Hunabku, mentioned in Mayan tradition in the beliefs of this culture, it is nothing more nor less than the supermassive black hole that is found at the center of our galaxy and that it would have some effect through a synchronizing beam. Interpreted as such, the Maya didn't say that exactly, but it was interpreted like that through modern channeling, which they attempted to combine with this knowledge. And that synchronizing beam would reach our sun, affect our sun, and from our sun, extraordinary things would happen in the solar system, and especially on Earth. It is curious that in the year 2012, the year of the Maya, the year of the end of the long count, there was unusual activity on the sun, which appears to have had some effect on the Earth's magnetosphere. But it must also be noted that these phenomena have been repeated throughout recent years. Scientists officially think that climate change and everything that is happening on our planet has no connection with the sun. 
However, other scholars, like scientist Paul Lavollet, think otherwise. He is convinced that activity on the sun has a very important connection, not only with the Earth's climate, but also with the behavior of human beings. Something that I will discuss in greater detail in the next episode. In any event, the Maya intended to represent, perhaps, certain cosmic phenomena in their traditions, in their myths, even in the famous ball game with the rubber ball that they hit with their elbows, that they hit with their hips, which could contain information of cosmic characteristics, which perhaps involve the sun, the center of the galaxy, and the cosmic evolution of the Earth and of human beings. I think that this episode has been important in order to understand something. First, in order to study the cultures of the ancient world, we have to be very careful to separate our interpretations, our esoteric and mystic visions, and contact from existing tradition, folklore, archaeology, and history. That happened with the Maya, and that's why many scholars quoted them with things that they never said. Interpreting the end of the world or a jump into a higher dimension. However, it is important to combine those legends and that information and those numeric calendars with what you could be developing in genuine contact experiences. The intent of this episode is so that you can see it in this perspective and understand that in 2012, nothing ended. We haven't achieved anything yet. We have simply started a new cycle. And that cycle lasts a very long time. But now we are laying the foundation for that building. That is the main message of this episode, knowing that we should keep moving forward, that the process is still not finished. In addition to all this, there are some interpretations of the Maya codices, those that survived the unfortunate burning by Diego de Landa during the Spanish conquest. One of these interpretations speaks of the encounter with the Lords of the Stars in the Codex of Eclipses, one of which was accurately indicated by them in 1991, visible in Mexico City. The eclipse occurred, and during that celestial event, several UFO sightings were recorded, unidentified flying objects. And many researchers, like my friend Jaime Mausen, wondered at that time if those objects If those lights that were being video recorded in Mexico had something to do with Mayan codices or with the alleged prophecy that spoke of the return of the lords of the stars. That's why some traditions talk about how the secret Mayan masters arrived on earth through a hollow reed or serpent's tail from Pleiades. As if it were a wormhole for an interdimensional journey bringing beings from other worlds. Many wonder if the pyramids of Mexico and its cultures and everything that has been developed there is of extraterrestrial origin. In my opinion, no. All this was done by human beings. Wonderful information that generated from living on Earth, which could have been influenced by or which may have had some kind of connection with visits from beings of other worlds or even with survivors of those lost kingdoms, which I have already referenced in the Ark of Time. Do Mexico's UFOs from 1991 represent the return of the Lords of the Stars? 
And did they have some kind of contact with our ancestors in America? In addition to the long count of the Maya and the cycles of time, which involved the beginning of a 14th Bhaktu, symbolically, since for some specialists, the long count repeats itself. Those 5,125 years, and for others, when the 13th Bhaktun ends, Bhaktun number 14 begins. That is to say, right now humanity would be going through its 144,000 days of transformation, which is a cycle equivalent to 400 years, which I'm going to refer to in a few moments. But apart from all that, there is another prophecy circulating in Mexico, a prophecy that has been transmitted through the oral tradition which speaks of the return of the Mayan Superior Council. In the Popol Vuh, it is said that human beings were originally created by a council of 13 masters, created from corn, and oral traditions assert this council of 13 cosmic masters, or whoever they are, will resurface at the end of the time, at the peak time of human learning. And these 13 great cosmic consciousnesses would be embodied or would materialize in crystal skulls, like the famous crystal skull that was found by explorer Mitchell Hedges in Lubantun, Belize. It is one of the Mayan skulls that are circulating throughout the world, and it is believed that the Maya did not create them but they had guarded them since it would have been very difficult for them to have been able to polish a piece of quartz with such perfection. Obviously, there are many fraudulent crystal skulls that may be found on the black market in Mexico. But here I'm talking about 13 authentic skulls that are hidden not exactly in Mexico, but in different parts of the world. You may recall one of the sequels of the movie Indiana Jones, which was inspired by this legend. The explorer and archaeologist in the end meets the 13 gods or the 13 creators of humanity through the crystal skulls. And these 13 gods, according to the Indiana Jones movie, were extraterrestrials. Is this what the Popolivu is trying to tell us? That life on Earth was sown by beings from other worlds? Now, allow me to return to that 14th Bakhtun cycle. When I've had the opportunity to meet with these extraterrestrial beings and we ask them, how long does humanity need to generate the final change? We were told the change is gradual and must be sustained. It is assured that you are going to achieve it, but this will not prevent you from going through different learning trials, some very painful so that in the end, you can rise up as a cosmic civilization and integrate with us. That process is going to take 400 years. How curious. 144,000 days is equivalent to 400 years. And the 14th Bhaktum reminds me of a very important esoteric number, which may be a coincidence, but I think at this point, nothing is by chance. The number 14 represents the return of the cycles. It represents the return of the great masters. For example, in Peru, it is believed that the 14th Inca, the one who is hidden in Patiti, Incarri, will return after 500 years of darkness to restore the Pachacuti of light. And if this were not enough, in the Bible it says that from Abraham to David, 
from David to the exile from Babylon, and from the exile from Babylon to the birth of Christ, 14 generations go by. Like the 14 steps that Jesus of Nazareth would have followed on the way to later die on the cross and then resurrect, a subject that we will explore in an upcoming episode, these very interesting cycles that take us to the 14th Baktun number and 144,000 days seem to encompass a pivotal message. We are living in the definitive times for transformation. Those envisioned by great mediums like those mentioned before, Paravicini, Edgar Cayce, or Nostradamus himself. According to Antarel, of these 400 years, which started in 2012, the first 13 are very important. That number 13 that the Maya also considered to be a sacred cycle. A great master and 12 disciples, the magical priesthood. That is, from 2012 to 2025, we are laying the foundation of that great transformation and we'll see what is going to happen to the earth in the times that follow. I have disseminated this information since before 2012 and I see that it has had significant influence on many contact witnesses and researchers and I continue to be convinced of this information. I believe in what has been said by this being who calls himself Antarel as well as in many numeric and symbolic messages of the Maya. We are living the 144,000 days, the 14th Baktun, the opportunity to change the future. The question is, how could the Maya and their predecessors, the Olmecs and other cultures, decode all this in the magic of numbers, in the magic of mathematics and calendars? Maybe because it's a perception of the lines of time, of the infinite possibilities. Is it possible that in those numbers, in that geometry of the universe, is found the hidden evolution of creatures and their learning experiences? I am convinced that ancient human civilizations cherish that knowledge. And if there really is a connection between extraterrestrial messages and the calendars of Mesoamerican cultures in 2012, that 13th Baktun ended, a transition of great changes imposed by the conquest of many native peoples. And from this beginning of the 14th Baktun, we would gradually need to rise above, leaving behind darkness and pain. And after facing those difficult times, our humanity would resurface, like that cosmic civilization that I've talked about so much. Extraterrestrials point out that this process will take us some time but we can achieve it. When does the 14th Baktun end? It concludes, according to this information, on March 25th, 2407. On that date, will we still be on the planet? Or will we be in the first colonies on Alpha Centauri? In the next episode, we will continue our search and we will delve into the mysterious solar disks. I'm Ricardo Gonzalez Corpancho, and you are aboard the Ark of Time. Oh, Mani Padme Hum. That reminds me of Carlos Callanan, Rama. In his book, what's his book again, Rama? The Mayan Calendar, right? Yeah, I forget. Uh, 
just remember that Rama has a friend who's 20,000 years in a single body. Mm. And she looks just fine. It's about love. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is the Baird and the Bible. The Bard. Well, I've heard it both ways. Okay. Okay. The Bard. Yeah. And the Bible. All right. So, this is our friend Alan W. Green again. Our British friend. Who knows many wise things. And here we go. This is Shakespeare again. What are the connections between Shakespeare's works and the best-selling Bible of all time? From the Royals to the Rosicrucians, author Alan W. Green explores the secret messages hidden within the Bard's plays and poems with meticulous attention to detail. Shakespeare left an intentional breadcrumb, breadcrumb trail through various encrypted mistakes that many assume are printer errors. Trace the mirror parallels that Shakespeare deliberately created between his works and the King James Bible. 23 minutes, and let's do it, Rama. Here we go. In this episode, we explore the amazing fact that Dee and De Vere, sometimes known as Oxford, were planning this entire coded mystery for a full 30 years. Shakespeare wrote poems, sonnets, and plays. We're going to look at them grouped from the very first time the name William Shakespeare appeared in print in 1593, through to the 1609 publication of his sonnets, to the final collection of 36 of his plays in the first folio in 1623. But what has never been proven until now is that the great author also played a significant role in the translation of the King James Bible, published in 1611. But then, why would the king not call on the greatest writer of the time right there in his own backyard? It ultimately became the best-selling book of all time, billions of copies in print, and a large part of its success is that it has one cohesive poetic voice throughout. Hardly the result one would expect from a committee of 54 non-writer clerics cobbling it together, which is the official story. You're going to see that the Shakespeare Rosie Cross fraternity added the same coded messages over and over again into all of these publications expressly to reveal a royal secret so dangerous at the time, it simply had to be encrypted. Remember, nothing that is so, is so. 
It seems obvious now, given the hindsight of 18 years meticulous and obsessive study. But in fact, not until recently did I realize the linear periods of research I've been doing had fallen into neat categories of two central periods of six years bookended by two years and four years. I'm just saying. I'm now so in the habit of seeing patterns everywhere that you could say, and many have, that I'm a living example of self-fulfilling confirmation bias. It's an interesting field of inquiry, that, isn't it? Most people who don't believe in positive thinking don't experience it, which is probably why they don't believe in it. Look, I know there is such a thing as apophenia, what psychologists define as the human tendency to see connections and patterns that are not really there. But look at that definition. In itself, a form of confirmation bias. Not really there. End of conversation. I've heard many, many people have had at least one, probably more likely several experiences where you know something is about to happen or has already. But we usually deny it because the stigma attached to even bringing it up with friends and family. It's worth repeating. Patterns that are not really there. The definition itself is biased against any other version of truth but theirs. If we allow someone to have the authority over our own mind to tell us that what we see is not in fact real, and that's happening today, isn't it? Well, then, of course, no wonder the multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies are doing just fine. Believe me, I would not have spent 18 plus years on this if the patterns were not real and didn't adhere to a replicatable system that's easy to follow once you see it. Quite simply, they're always to be found in three places within each of these publications. The very first page, the very last page, and the very center of the structure. Consequently, I've named this hypothesis the Alpha Omega system. And as you will see, it was being followed consistently by Dee and Shakespeare across a span of 30 years. Clearly, the authors knew such redundancy would increase the probability of their messages being found, but would also be necessary in order for future generations to accept their validity because of their innate confirmation bias against confirmation. See, one or two random codes can easily be dismissed by a skeptical public. And I only have time, unfortunately, here to show you a handful of them, but believe me, there are well over 150 of these, each repeating the same message and the same locations where their claims can be proven. Now, that's a self confirmatory system because the probability of intentionality is essentially 100% mathematically. Let's go to the altar. For a quick recap of what we've already seen in the sonnets, the first page hides the geometry that reveals precise knowledge of then unknown math constants. The mathematical relationship between the world's three major measurement systems, 
and incredibly accurate coordinates of the Great Pyramid. The last page of the very last sonnet reveals Alterstone finally solves WW1001, Evere. The very last lines of a lover's complaint reveals in fine, meaning in the end, print conceals I am Edward de Vere. Notice even the letters I am, all caps in the lines themselves because they're the abbreviation of the most common translation of the name of God. I am that I am. So let's look again at Sonnet 121 where Shakespeare writes this astounding statement. No, I am that I am and they that level at my abuses reckon up their own. Uttering the name of God was unthinkable because in 1606, King James issued a new law banning the printing or speaking of any names of God. (laughs) This was not only blasphemous, because the poet is using it in the first person. But it was treasonous, too, because the law that forbade the use of the name of God was called the act of abuses. And Shakespeare is blatantly flaunting that royal decree by saying, they that level at my abuses reckon up their own. This is utterly outrageous. And the clear proof that the author cannot possibly have been the Stratford grain dealer There's simply no way a commoner could have got away with threatening the king. Shakespeare would have been hung, drawn and quartered the day after the sonnets were published. It also has huge significance because it means Oxford had to be still alive in 1606 to know the name of that law. This is clear proof. His supposed death in 1604 was fixed, as the codes have repeatedly stated. However, in order for this forbidden divine name to be complete, it must by definition include its past, present, and future tense versions. We already found I will be what I will be in the center of the folio. Let's now check out the center of the sonnets book. Indeed, we find it hidden in the catchwords again. We have I was and I was the past tense version of the name of God. But Oxford goes one better and adds not, giving us I was and I was not, thus including all existence, all non-existence, everything that's possible to be and not to be. It's the ultimate name of God. And just to add to the perfection, the center of the sonnets is divided into 40 pages on the left, 40 pages on the right, Devere's code number. Now let's look at the center of the first folio. Recapping again, we already saw the center words of the center pages of the folio, 100 and 101, give us the catchword code, I will be what I will be. So there you have it, he's done all three. I was, I am, I will be. But even in these six little letters, he still managed to place a code in the center, beginning and end. Or, E-O-R-E, which is the reverse of E-R, of course. Still the same message. Over and over again. Am I to be just Edward Oxenford? E-O? 
or Edward Rex, ER. And remember, the center is page 100 and page 101. Now let's look at the first and last pages of the first folio. The beginning and end of the folio is the first page treats us to a cartoonish engraving of the supposed author with far too many deliberate mistakes to mention here. We're just going to look at one for now. But first, let's turn to the last page, which has an enormous seeming mistake that academics think really is a printing error. The final numbering goes from 398 to 993. Obviously, it should be 399, but as you saw already, Malvolio in Twelfth Night reveals that all the codes work both ways, forwards and backwards. Revolved, be opposite. And this is indeed a mirror image of itself. Going back to the engraving now, note his jacket is half of a front and half of a back. But those are thinly veiled letters, aren't they? I and C. And then the ribbon down the center is another I. In a simple alphabet code called Gematria, I is the ninth letter of the alphabet, C is the third. So, oh, nine, nine, three. Perfect balance, beginning and end. But there's more. The jump from the expected 399 to 993 is plus 594. Now, hold that thought. We're going to come back to that. 594. Remember, this is the last page of the last play in his last ever publication, The Folio. So let's go back to his first ever publication 30 years prior, Venus and Adonis, 1593. The first time the world saw the name William Shakespeare. This is one stanza of the poem, and each stanza consists of six lines. Here's the entire structure. 594 lines to the left of center. 594 lines to the right of center. And the very center stanza itself is number 100. So far, we've counted lines and numbers. How do we keep track of biblical passages? Chapter and verse, isn't it? Line and number. He must be wanting us to count chapters and verses as well. Back to the sonnets a moment. We've already seen Dean de Vere place key words into certain sonnet numbers to reveal very important math, like, for instance, encoding the speed of light. That was kind of important. On the left, the numbers of the sonnets that contain the word you're searching are multiplied by the Shakespeare equation, one, two, three times pi over six, and the solution will be on the right. So let's check where he uses the word verse or verses. This is sonnet number 17, so count 17, then 19. I won't show them all, they'll be listed here. After number 81, he starts doing doubles, so 86 is doubled, 103 is doubled, 109, he gives a huge clue by making universe capitalized with all thy sum right above it. A hint to include sonnet 126, 
which has two parentheses that serve to represent missing lines, missing verses, missing stanzas in various other codes. But above all, it signifies a joining together of two halves in the pyramid structure. And that's exactly what it does here. Add up the first half, 594. Add up the second half, 594. Well, this is obviously deliberate and significant. And I promised you proof of Shakespeare's involvement in the King James Bible. So let's have a look at it. This is about as simple and elegant as it gets. Here's the first page of the King James Bible. Here's the last. And this is the very center chapter in the entire Old and New Testament structure. It's also the shortest chapter in the Bible. Just two verses matching the two verse lines that are missing in Sonnet 126, which we just saw divides two sections through the middle. But here's the kicker. It sits precisely in the middle of the whole Bible with 594 chapters on the left and 594 chapters on the right. Shakespeare is very deliberately drawing parallels between all his major works and the King James Bible, which wasn't published until 1611, two years after the sonnets, long after Venus and Adonis but also long before the first folio. Going now to the center of the King James Bible. Psalm 117 had been changed to Psalm 116 in the Latin Vulgate translation, which was decreed at the Council of Trent to be the official Bible text of the Roman Catholic Church. As such, the mathematical perfection of the real Psalm 117 being both the center chapter of the Bible as well as the shortest chapter, was completely ruined, along with the proper balance of 594 chapters on either side. Similarly, Psalm 119 on the very next page, which happens to be the longest chapter of the Bible, became Psalm 118. So along come D and De Vere, with a righteous mandate to restore the mathematical perfection, and they change all the psalm numbering back to match the original Hebrew text. Perfection restored. So now consider the subtle nudge-nudge, wink-wink to the similarly brilliant subterfuge going on in the sonnets, where the only incorrectly numbered sonnet is this one, printed as Sonnet 119, but really it's Sonnet 116. As we saw previously, the last two lines tell us this is not an error. It's a clue. Because day 116 in the Sonnet's calendar is April 26, 426. But it's fixed to be the mirror image code of June 24th. 624. What they're subtly saying here is psalm or sonnet 116, the shortest story on record, is Shakespeare. And it's been changed to sonnet or psalm 119, the longest story imaginable, that of De Vere and others within the Rosicrucian fraternity. But as always, for this pattern to be truly consistent and follow the meticulous attention to detail that is the D. De Vere trademark, it ought to have a mirror image. So we must return to the folio where we found it in the last 
wrong age number. A jump forward of plus 594 gave us the 993 mirror image of 399, but to prove this mirror thesis, we must go backwards 594 pages from here. And we see at the bottom of that page, a curious song in the winter's tale with three telltale signs that it's a code. The T in exit has been dropped about half a line space. The song starts, will you buy any tape or lace for your cape? Well, that's not an A, it's an R. The song ends at another letter that should be an A, but it's a mirror image view of a capital R. This would have to have been a purposely created character for the Gutenberg Press. A lot of work for just one letter to look wrong. We obviously must put it into a grid. As you can see, I've been true to the changes. R here, R here revolved, and the deliberately dropped T is drawing attention to a triple tau at the corner. Right away, we see the obvious intention is to line up 20 by 10 and have two perfect centers. Just as the grid for I will find where truth is hid had two centers dependent on each other. Each section spells out a location. WSWT aisle, the west-south-west cross aisle. We saw how Shakespeare's grave, monument, and altar form a perfect geometric construction pointing to Richard Hill's altar tomb in the South Cross Isle. But if we check the actual compass orientation of the church, we see the location of Hill's tomb from the altar is closer to west-south-west. Back to the grid. What do we see placed precisely under the center code? in a horizontal cross formation, the altar. And now we see the brilliance in him turning this A into an R, encrypted by D, of course. In fact, as a pure anagram, it reads D encrypt, which is exactly what this is challenging us to do, decrypt. The triple tau altar that's hidden under the west-south-west cross aisle. And now we see why they went to all that trouble to make a special character for that revolve R. I, E, R, Rex. But not really because the R is turned around. He's drawing attention to the ultimate question of his relationship with the Queen politically, whether Edward de Vere was to be or not to be. E-Rex the King. His E-R has been turned around. Obviously, the answer is no. He's not to be E-Rex the King. And of course... And in case you still have lingering doubts, wrapped completely around the altar is the name Edward. This is why the T is lowered. He's finally become the fourth T, the inverted Tau cross, sacrifice. Just like St. Peter. <laughs> <laughs>
onward. In the next episode, we're going to be looking at the very last sentence of the very last play in the folio, which as we've just seen has the last wrong page number in it. Where is all this leading? To the biggest secret in the whole Shakespeare mystery. My goodness, St. Germain is alive and well, has an office in Washington, D.C., and two more in Virginia. Mm. And this is a never-ending story. Mm. Okay, so we will do a little reading here. Our our, uh, galactic ambassador... Um, Aurora Ray. Go call. Go call in the other room. Go call. Can you call Rainbird, Doug? You got Oh. There we go. Lovely day in the neighborhood. Wonderful. Okay. So. And then we would be careful not to have too much of echo there. Little lady who. Okay, the state of the fifth dimension is not. Too good, I'm here. Okay, um, we gotta read a little bit. Uh. <laughs> I can hear you, Raymond. Hold on here a second. Okay, the state of the fifth dimension is not a far off goal. Yet rather, a state of being that is always accessible to us. We just need to let go of our attachments to the external world and turn our focus inwards. Once we do this, we can experience the joy and beauty of our true nature. Turn the page. Ascending to new heights. Transforming your life from within. Ascension is not something that needs to be achieved. It is not something that can be acquired through material possessions, achievements, or recognition from others. It is our true nature. As we journey inwards, the hiccups, upside down, Moses. <laughs> As we journey toward ascension, it is important to understand, understand, overstand that it is neither a goal to be achieved in the future, nor something that needs to be attained. It is a state of being that already exists within us, waiting to be discovered. The state of the fifth dimension A higher level of consciousness is already within us. However, we often miss the point and forget about it. We get caught up in the external world and lose touch with our inner being. As we stop searching for ascension, we can realize that it is already within us instead of striving for something outside of ourselves. We can learn 
we, excuse me, we can turn our attention to the present moment and become aware of our inner being. Our mind often tricks us into believing that we need to achieve something in order to be happy or fulfilled. Yet true happiness and fulfillment come from within. The mirror, excuse me, the mind is to blame for the buildup of dust on our inner self, the mirror of who we are. The good news is that we can look within and rediscover who we really are. The crucial step in this process is to turn your attention inward. Through the power of attention, you can connect with the divine spark of consciousness within and experience this inner luminosity in all its glory. As you can do that, then you'll feel at peace and start to understand, understand, overstand the true nature of your being. The state of the fifth dimension is not a far-off goal. Rather, a state of being that is always accessible to us. We just need to let go of our attachments to the external world and turn our focus inward. Once we do this, we can experience the joy and the beauty of our true nature. The journey of self-discovery is not always easy for some people, as the mind can be a powerful force that distracts us from our inner being. Yet by staying present and aware, we can slowly peel away the layers of conditioning and rediscover our inner selves. The more we connect with our inner selves, the more we can experience the state of the fifth dimension and live in a state of joy and celebration. The path toward ascension requires us to let go of our preconceived notions, shed our fears and insecurities, and surrender to the present moment. It is only as we stop searching and start surrendering that we can experience the true power of ascension. We need to let go of the need to control everything, everything around us, and instead trust the process of life. So, how can we begin this journey of self-discovery? It starts with awareness. We need to become aware of our thoughts emotions, and the world around us. By observing without judgment, we can start to recognize the patterns and beliefs that hold us back from our true nature. Once we become aware of these patterns, we can start to let them go and make space for our true selves. Hold on, turn the page. Make space for our true selves to shine through. As we connect with our true selves, we can start to live our our lives with purpose. That gentleman with Regina Meredith, that's what he said. 
with purpose and meaning. Instead of just going through the motions, we can dance. We can celebrate each moment. We can live in a state of gratitude and appreciation for the beauty and the wonder of life. We can become the embodiment of the fifth dimension and radiate love and joy to those around us. The art of ascension is not about achieving something that is external to us, rather about discovering our true nature and reconnecting with the essence of our being. It is about letting go of the need to control and surrendering to the present moment. With mindfulness, we allow ourselves to experience the present moment and approach our daily existence with more intentionally as opposed to mindlessness, intentionality as opposed to mindlessness. One of the most effective tools for mindfulness is breathing by focusing on our breath we can strengthen our minds and bodies by cultivating a greater sense of awareness and end the hiccups right Rava (laughs) mindfulness is truly transformative as it comes to personal growth so as you find it difficult to accept this idea at first don't give up It may not happen overnight, yet as you keep it, as you keep at it, you will be rewarded with the true beauty and serenity that mindfulness offers. In the end, true spiritual ascension is all about light, just as the Buddha declared. As we experience enlightenment, our whole inner light will shine so brightly that we will fill every corner of our being with this glowing luminosity. We have been living in darkness for far too long. We have forgotten about luminosity and about the light that lives inside each and every one of us. Yet now it is the time to remember It is time to open our eyes and see who we really are. Beings of pure light and love. The ability to let go and surrender may be difficult for some people to master. However, it is only by facing our fears and making changes for the betterment of ourselves and others that we can truly fulfill the purpose of our existence. Ascension into the realm of enlightenment. My hope is that the information presented here will serve as a stepping stone to assist you on your path of ascension. It will be up to you and you alone to discover the secrets within that will reveal your inner light. For true illumination can only come from within. So, Let's embark on this journey together to reconnect with ourselves and experience the transformative power of ascension. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho.
Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. And all right, our other ambassador of the Emerald Serpent Feathered One, along with angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, Menahuni, Sasquatch, and all the little people and giant people and everything in between. Here comes that talking stick. I pass it to you, Rainbird. Okay, I got it. And thank you, thank you, thank you for today. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Unbelievable. Gaia TV. Yay. Yeah, Gaia TV. Awesome. So lots of gratitude for everything and look forward to tomorrow when we meet on Cheryl's meditation call. So here comes his talking stick. Well, have you got anything for us? What you got for us, honey? Uh, we recognize this. Okay. We're going to recognize this. He said. Oh, yes. Christian or Jew or Muslim, not Hindu, Buddhist, Sufi or Zen, not any religion or cultural system. I am not from the East or the West, not out of the ocean or up from the ground, not natural or ethereal, not composed of elements at all. do not exist. Am not an entity in this world or the next. Did not descend from Adam and Eve or any origin story 
My place is the placeless, a trace of the traceless, neither body or soul. I belong to the beloved, have seen the two worlds as one, and that one call to and know. First, last, outer, inner, only that breath, breathing, human. I belong to the beloved. I've seen the two worlds as one, and that one call to and know first, last, outer. Inner, only that breath, breathing, human being. Tell everybody who that was, Rama. Uh, that was Doctor Paul. We had him on. The night at the round table a while ago. Caroline found him, right? Yeah. Wonderful. Okay, so one one more thing. Rainbird brought it up. Come and join us on Sunday evenings and Monday evenings, seven o'clock Mountain, nine o'clock Eastern, and we'll take another journey about three hours, and that journey will be. Uh, to divine government on earth as it is in heaven. And it's been a long road to Tipperary, yet we are moving at the speed of light and the Sarah now and the phone number to come together and bring it forward is 425-436-6260. And the PIN code, 946-7441-POUND. Okay, 425-436-6260. And the PIN code, 946-7441-POUND. See you in the light of the most radiant one on the ships. Satnam. Satnam G. Thirteen thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. Live long and prosper. Until we meet again, everyone. Namaste. Namaste.